following podcast is brought to you in part by IWTV. Go to independentwrestling.tv and use promotional code PROVINGGROUND with no space to get a five-day free trial. Mike Montero. <laughs> What's going on, Derek Simonetti? <laughs> well, all right. So uh, this is the first time we've ever done one of these. We've done right. a couple of different things in the past, but like this is the first time we've really sat down and kind of done a production, and I figured who better than the guy who's held guy. my belt for almost the two guy. years. Um, but please, for the, for the sake of everything that we do, don't call me Derek Simonetti the whole time. Hi, I'm Todd all, Graham. Welcome Todd to the Graham. podcast. All right, just so um, you all know, this is Todd Graham over here. Uh, <laughs> He's it's, todding it up today. It's a lot of people, like, at this time, like, when we post this, I will maybe have come up with a name for this podcast, but as we sit here, I don't have one. Okay. It's not, somebody suggested putting the uh, Proving Ground logo in the back, and I'm like, well, this isn't really the Proving Ground podcast. You want it to be a wrestling podcast, yeah, right? Okay. Yeah. And, you know, without using your legal name, I kind of want to talk to the real Mike Montero. Okay, sure. You know? Um, so, yeah, you know, like, fuck, uh, we've, um, you know, we've been talking about doing this for uh, for a very long time. And then the last time we got together was the, uh, like, the 500 the five hundred oh, yeah, like days, the, deal. the, the celebration, yep. yeah. And uh, for the people that are watching this that don't know, um, we have done a show that will air on IWTV late January, awesome. the Proving Ground Cup. So, uh, so look, look, look for that. Uh, that's coming. Uh, so we'll try not to spoil that as the day yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> as the day goes on. I've had to tell a few people that have done these kinds of interviews, like you can say it happened. But let's let's not give away the results. Yeah, let's not all tell right? you what what happened. So, all all I can say is that it was great, and uh, your contribution to that was was fantastic. But we can talk about that at a sure. later date. Um, so this is the first time we do, and I'm going to say this now because there are going to be some people who make comparisons to other podcasts because, well, podcasts in general are fairly they got a flow. Well, they're fairly similar, mm-hmm. you know. I look at this. Um, the mission statement for this podcast, at least for me, is. I want the real you, which I think everybody does when they go on these things. Right. But I also don't want to limit you. When I go on, um, I, I, I take a lot of inspiration from some of the shows I've been on. So I was on Leo Connors, The Ring and All of the Sports, mm-hmm. which you can check out. I'm sure I'll, I'll link it um, in the description or on the screen right now. Um, you know, when I go on that show, he'll ask me, you know, we'll get fan questions, which we do have a couple of. Okay. And then, but it's like a strict, like, 58 minutes, right? I don't want my guests to feel rushed. Rushed. Okay. I want. I want. Like, if I ask, if like, oftentimes, and once again, this is not a criticism of any of the uh, other shows. I'm just saying this is what I'm trying to do to be different because I'm not like he's on public access exactly. TV. Exactly. So he has a time limit, whereas yeah. opposed, this is a free outlet to basically just spew what's going on. You exactly. Know? I, I, I want to have a platform for the boys to be able to come on and say. So if I, if I were to ask a question. On that show, with the, on any show, let's you know, let's just make sure there's no heat. Not on Leo's show, like any show with a time limit. If I ask you a question, you might feel like 
Well, I could probably answer that question in a very, very long-form response, but we only have so much time, so here's a two-word response. And I feel like for some questions, that'll feel like very rushed or cheating mm-hmm. the person who asks. So, um, so, there, so there's that. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of different things I'd like to do. I'd like to just talk shit. Like, you know, by the way, we we can curse on this one. Okay. Uh, (laughs) I'd like to just talk shit about everything. Like, it doesn't always have to be wrestling. I might might randomly just go, give me a top five, you know, favorite albums. Okay. You know, or some shit like that, right? So, I want to just, so that's the mission statement. Let's, a a free flowing conversation between two friends. And that's, you know, you and I, like, um, you and I, we met at, I believe we met at NCW. Yes. We could have met a decade earlier. Probably with that tag team deal, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. There was supposed to be back in the... It was the like a 20-something 20, 20 man or team, team I forget. 2014 team, yeah. tournament. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Christian was the one who was booking that. The guy who does the... The, the gra- graphics. For, the people who don't know, the guy who does the graphics yep. for RWA. I believe at the time, he was booking... And shout out to Christian for all his good work. Um, I believe for years. The, for years. I believe at the time he was given the book to plan a twenty-something team tag team tournament. Yes. The Underground Cup. Yes. And I always forget that it happened, and then I, you know, I was let in on. Oh, it didn't. It never happened. Yeah, I was looking forward to that. Too. Yeah. So I was given. And I'll tell you a funny story about that. Um, I was given the graphic of it was supposed to be Tommy Corbin and Richie Sick mm-hmm. as the team in the tournament. And I remember when Christian reached out, because I was running PZW at the time, which was a similar, like, we, we were always kind of running parallel, but RWA definitely exceeded what we were doing with that project. And then, you know, we wind up meeting at Fenway in 2018, and then Crazy. the rest is history, you Crazy. know, or something like that, but the rest is history. And uh, so I get the I get the message from Christian to do that, sh- to do that show, do you have a tag team that you'd like to contribute to this, because we're trying to get all the underground promotions or what have you. And I'm just like... Immediately, I was just like, underground promotion, who the fuck do you think? <laughs> Meanwhile, like, retrospect, I'm like, we were below all the underground. Not we were realizing how many there were and how far along they were. Right? right, and that's the problem with doing these kinds of things. It's ego. Like, if I think it would be amazing if not just the wrestling promotions around here, you could probably get that done, but if, like, the wrestling promotions on TV all did, like, a summit mm-hmm. show or what have you, it would be amazing. But um, I remember talking with Christian, and I'm like, so what are you paying them? <laughs> which is a great question to ask when a bunch of untrained guys are about to get booked for a match. Um, and they're like, cause I think he wanted them for two days. It was like a Saturday, Sunday double kind of a thing. And, uh, I was like, we live in Salem, Massachusetts. That's an hour and a half drive in a time where we don't really have jobs to pay for the kind of money and wear and tear in our cars. If we had cars. Right. Oh, trust me. I know that. I didn't start driving until I was 30. Okay. <laughs> so like that's why all of a sudden you saw more of me in twenty eighteen. That you makes know? sense. <laughs> um or whatever whatever year I was thirty. Um but yeah, I remember we got into it about that. We didn't get into it, but like we had a a, a minor argument scuffle. More or less like I got these guys in on my word, let not so much right. money. I, I know I know how it works and I knew how it worked back then. And so I told him I said, I know what we can do. We'll come for the one day. Don't worry about anything. We'll come for the one day. I'm feuding with them at the time. Mm-hmm. I'll cost them the match. We'll use the footage on our show, et cetera. We'll do some, you know, integrating synergy shit. And then what have you. And then we never heard another it didn't, word. Yeah, it didn't get off the ground. Yeah. So you and I, so we meet uh, years and years later at NCW. Yep. And I tagged along with them one night, and then I wound up doing commentary. Like, my, my big break there was doing commentary at WrestleFest the night uh, Tim Kilgore wrestled uh, Tim Lennox. Okay. 
So that was like, I was, I was there to ring the bell for AJ Matrano. Like I was just sitting at the ringside around Mm -hmm. that time. So whenever that happened was around that time. And then we met and I remember watching it and, and I kept saying for like a year on NCW commentary, I was just like, this guy's a tag team wrestler. But I wasn't saying it like that. I was like, he's a tag team wrestler who's breaking out into the singles here in NCW. Let's see what he's got. And I remember repeating that line over and over and over again until I forgot you were in a tag team. Yeah, honestly, NCW was the spot where I broke out finally. Because I kind of dabbled back and forth. I started in RWA as a tag team wrestler, but in RWA, that was my home. So that was kind of my outlet to try all kinds of different things. So I bounced from different partners, went back to work in singles. But everywhere else, I had always made my name as a tag team wrestler. So I didn't really get to branch out singles. And what was happening was uh, once we started building momentum, myself and Jason Devine at NCW, yeah. he had things going on in his personal life that were just una- enabling us to be able to make the bookings. And what would happen would be, oh yeah, we'll both be there. But then it would just be me. Like there was a year where my first WrestleFest was WrestleFest 11. And we were both in the Ox Baker Cup. Yeah, which would have been cool because now there's a team in the Ox Baker Cup as opposed to everyone else who were singles guys. Right. So it was it was like every man for themselves except the influence. But I was the only one who was there. So the the coolness factor comes down a little bit. Done something fun with that, and then the next year I I found myself as the last man eliminated in the Ox Baker Cup at WrestleFest 12, which is I think where we met. Yes. Because um, I, I think I, that's the one where Tim wrestled. Uh, that, the Lennox. Twelve was the one where they where they wrestled each other. And I remember it's funny. Um, I gained a lot from that commentary job that night because Kilgore and I had met my first day in the business, and I, my first day in the my first day at training school. Right. I went to Chaotic in '04, and I wasn't there very long, so I don't want to give anybody the idea that I. I'm, I know what I'm you mean. You, you, you passed through. Yeah, I was there. I, my first day was uh, Cold Fury Four weekend. Okay. You know, so that was so I was like. Oh look, low key and Xavier and who's that? You know, like yeah, the, yeah. And because I'm still a young man, and I was like, oh, look at all these cute girls, and I'm like, they're coworkers, they're coworkers, you know. Which I'm glad I ingrained in my brain really early on. All things considered, right? So, um, so yeah, that was the big show. And during the, I I put Tim Kilgore over so big on commentary, and we became like best friends after that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's like, you really like my work. Let's hang out. You know, like one of those moves, you know? Right. It was really Pava who gave me the opportunity. Oh, my God. Because he was the one who saw it. They, they were, I remember years before, like, in the mix of this Jason Devine on again, off again, coming back to NCW, I showed up just to hang out one time. Yeah. And they were like, hey, do you want do you want to work a tag match? It'll be uh, Steve Weiner and Dick Lane. And Dick Lane at this point is very, very green. And you'll tag up. With He's Mr. Very, Res- very green. You'll rah-rah. tag up with Mr. Wrestling number whatever, right? Sean? Yes. Yeah. And I'm like Sean Feeney for those listening. I'm like, uh no, I think I'm just gonna sit and and, and hang out. No big deal, guys. It's don't, cool. Don't I, worry about me. I don't have to wrestle. Yeah. It's it's cool. About 10, 15 minutes later, Lumberjake comes up to me, goes, We'll put you in the the singles with Trips and Casanova. How's that sound? I was like, I'll go get my bag. So you know that, what was, I mean? that was your first match with Casanova. My fir- my, yeah, my first match with Casanova was a triple threat with. Was uh, was he still issues. doing the the Jackson gimmick at the time? Yes, and he was still the man then. Oh yeah, dude, he was unbelievable. Back then, I I knew right away that he was going we to be had, something. We had Casanova like really early on at Elkmania. We had him at Elkmania too. It was him and Thun- uh, Firecat 
against Marshall McNeil and uh, Johnny Vegas. Oh boy! And it was hilarious. It's, it's literally Casanova. All gimmick because of those guys. Firecat got Firecat supposedly got loose. That was the storyline. Right. So you got Casanova looking for a tag team partner in the bushes, going kitty oh. you know? <laughs> it's <laughs> the good gr- it's it's totally like oh, by the way i just put that on on blu-ray uh nice. so it's totally worth just seeing that um but like he was we knew right away i le- i think my first thought was he can do the moonwalk he'll do good in this business <laughs> like this. i felt like at that time i was married to the same four-way i kept ending up doing the same four-way we like show after show Corey michael tyler nitro and foxy we we were together we did this four-way like three times and you want to talk about some guys that really came into their own like i can't say much for Corey because Corey, i think Corey, i don't know what the deal i don't was i don't know him. what he does now but i, I mean, think he might have went back to dancing i have no idea because he was that, a that shoot was, and that was literally i know and that was literally the last time i saw him was when we were working that that little loop of doing those four ways over and over again yeah and then it was pava like they 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 were like, we're going to have you run a program with Mike Pava. He wants to work with you. And to me, I'm like, well, that's awesome. I mean, because he's one of their guys. He's had that crazy long reign as the New England champion. Yep. You know yep. what I mean? He's definitely – he's the Mike Montero of NCW. You know what I mean? That is a really – that's a really interesting thing to say. Like, I I get that comparison because a lot of people, when they think about NCW, at least in my experience, they'd be like, well, who's NCW's top guy? And a lot of people would be like, well, Lumberjake. Right, you know. No, see, exactly. You know, I, and but but like, Mike, but Mike Pava, like Lumber he's a Cornerstone, Lumberjake was a good Hogan, in in that in that respect. Right. You know, like, you know, he wasn't the workhorse that Mike Pava was, or like you are. You know what I mean? Like, people aren't going to see Lumberjake for his amazing athletic prowess. He's a big guy who's got a lot of great agility, and I watched him for a year. Man, he's got he's got charisma that people don't realize Absol- that he has too. Absolutely, he's. he's I loved working with Lumberjake. It's the same thing I said about um, my involvement at Elkmania. Because my first time at Elkmania, like, granted, I was on the team with Atlee and Ryan and putting stuff together, and they put me in the main event because I was a local guy, but I was the heel. And then, like, as the years went on, it became he's the main event. And I'm just, I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't get it, you know, because I felt like, oh, I'm not as good as a... Christian Casanova or some of the guys we had on the show at the time, like Doug Summers or Buddy Romano or what have you. Right. Like those guys I looked at like and I'll you know what? I'll even say it on this podcast because I have never been a critic of the guy's work, but like Todd Sobel. Mm-hmm. You know, him and I had some kind of a personal issue. It's one of those things where he had heat with me and I responded and that's why it got worse. But you know, but for his work I honestly, I've seen him work a ton of times. I've paid to see his shows. I can't, right. I can't tell you a time where I went, man, that match was the shits. No, I know what you mean. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, but like, there were a lot of guys on the shows who were like, all right, well, these guys are well traveled, and I'm just the shit bum from down the road. That's how I felt. Exactly. And even when I was in a cage with Jack Kruger after six years of filling that building, I was just like, I still felt like the shit bum down the road, but these people like the shit bum down the road. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that's, once again, and I know I'm making, I know I'm saying that in comparison to, like, Lumberjake. You know, I'm not calling Lumberjake the shit bum down the road. I know what you mean. It's just he's you know. garnered that audience, and what he, he doesn't earned, have to, he he doesn't their have sympathy. to be the most athletic man because right. he has them. And But that's what matters. He carries he himself. He's, he's got that, he's got that, uh, Dick Lane said it to me once. He's like, um... <clears throat> You know, brother, I think what it is, at least with you, is that you have a way about you. (laughs) You carry yourself a certain way, and people can see it. They're like, that's a guy to watch. And I'm just like, what about you? I'm all gimmicks. 
<laughs> you know, you know. So, but like, but that's the thing. So lumberjack, and you know what's funny? I I was talking about this with a friend last night actually, because um, I wanted to come prepared, you know. And I've you know I've been around for most of your career for the last five years. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, so I know I know I know a lot, and I can I can ask the right questions and extrapolate on stuff. But I was talking with somebody last night, and I said, Have you ever stopped to think about promotion exclusive people? You know what I mean? Like, when you stop and go, who are NCW's guys? Immediately you can start rattling off the roster, right? Mm-hmm. Mike Montero, DCMC, uh, Lumberjack, Mike Pava, uh, Scott Levesque, uh, Shea Cash, uh, Castro. Yeah, uh, exactly. And you're naming off everybody on the roster. And then you stop and go, okay, take that list you just named and pick out the people that only work for NCW. Right. You know, it's like, okay. So, like, in PG, it's like Burke Beckett. Joey, yeah, Joey, I know you mean. Joey Warner. You know, like those, those at least early on. So it's just like Lumberjake is an NCW guy. And that's not to say he doesn't get work. He's worked in other places. Of course. But primarily, he works for NCW. And Mike Pava, same thing. It's because he, they, they made a choice. And that's where they that's where they had. Fun. They helped make something grow. Exactly. They created this thing, you know, and I saw it. I think how intriguing that is, because a lot of people were like, well, what about RWA? Because arguably and a lot of people don't give RWA this credit, but I do. Um, at the very least, anyway, I'm sure other people do, but RWA is majorly responsible for a lot of the success that most of the promotions are having because NCW is, for example, is getting over using you in the top spots, Dick in the top spots, uh, the DCMC, the Middlesex Express, all guys that, you know, they may have started in different places. Mm Mm-hmm. But they really cut their teeth and became something in RWA. JT Dunn. The, that's trips, that's a lot. Of, that's the thing that a lot of people you know. don't realize is that a lot of these guys who are really flourishing today, a lot of these guys who are branching out or even even have branched out for a while now, a lot of them, like you said, they started in RWA. Yeah, and I feel, and, and I've said this before, I feel like RWA or even the Chop Shop as a whole. You know, because I feel like the Chop Shop's the family, RWA's the product. Right. Um, I feel like, you know, for the most part, if the Chop Shop's being talked about, it's negative, and it's coming from people that either, A, owe their career to it, or, B, don't know what they're talking about. I've never stepped foot in the building. Exactly. You know, so it, it's it's really strange. So I'll say it right here. Like, if it weren't for the RWA, PG wouldn't be where we are. I know what you mean. Because... I, I, if, if it weren't for the RWA, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. Exactly. Because if you if it weren't for the RWA, and we'll, we'll talk about this because this is one of my favorite Mike Montero stories. If it weren't for the RWA, you might still be in the, pro, in the backyard in the projects before someone drove up and picked you up. And picked us up, yeah. <laughs> but we'll get to that in a second. So we talked a bit here. We kind of got a little loose, a little warm. Yeah. So I'm going to pull out the phone here, and I'm going to pull up some of the uh, fan questions okay. that were pulled up. Um I'll save this one for last because I feel like it's gonna be a I feel like it's gonna be like one of those ten pole discussions that okay. we're gonna have here. Um, so the first one comes from uh, Peter Girardi, okay, as we know is the the mighty boss. Yep. He says, "When there is some sort of normal again, who are some of the people that you would like to work with or against?" Now, before you answer the question, I'd like to let's take this time to do one of those segments I was talking about. Let's do a top five. Mm-hmm. I want to hear. And they don't have to necessarily be in any particular order, but if you want to do that, it'll make it easier for when I put the names on the screen. Okay. Um, 
I want to, I want to hear a top five. Top five wrestlers, uh, since you know, since I'm the proving ground guy, top five wrestlers you want to work with that aren't currently in the proving ground or have never been through. Okay. Top five that are, and top five from anywhere in the world. And I don't. And you know what? Anybody can be like Okada, Tanahashi. <laughs> yeah, I know. Jay, you, you know, you know. Let's let's keep it. Let's keep it real. Let's keep it like. Let's put it this way. I'm asking you, which suckers I might get to pay for to bring in I know to have you yeah, wrestle. I got you. I got so, you. So, right. which one do you want to start with? Uh, let's see. You said local. Uh, top five that have never been through PG. Okay, never been through PG. Top five that have. Okay, I yeah. got you. Um, I guess never been through PG. I think the number one on my list right now in terms of how we would match up in terms of his attitude, in terms of his athleticism, Alec Price. Very good. I like that name, especially considering he's coming. He's (laughs) one of those guys that I talk about this a lot. All it takes is that one opportunity to show your ass and that can change your entire career. And you had that with JD Drake at Limitless Wrestling. The the vacation land. He was there. Well, no, he was. This was months ago. He was there. He was there. Showing face, doing what you're supposed to do to yeah. get work. And JD Drake's opponent didn't show up and they threw him a bone and he succeeded. Wow. And that's where and that's why he's where he's at right now. Can't have anything but respect for that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um let's see. From watching Vacation Land Cup, Daniel Garcia, that dude is unreal. I f- quick funny story about him. Amazing selling. Him and the you know, remember not long ago him and the rest of the Buffalo guys yes. got into that terrible car accident right. and I was doing trading cards for Limitless. And uh, I was not familiar with him. Um, and I said, let me make a, a car because it was a cool picture of the four of them. And I mm-hmm. said, let me turn that into a trading card. Maybe you can sell that at shows. Or maybe he even came up with the idea. I perfect. I Honestly, I don't remember. But the long and short of it is we made a trading card that they they were selling for like five bucks a piece. And all the money went to the boys to, yep. you know, for their bills and shit. And um, on the front of the card... It was the Buffalo Boys. And on the back, it listed all their names. And I spelt the motherfucker's name wrong. And I felt... And I even messaged him. I'm like, I am so sorry. (laughs) Because I was so used to Mike Grassa. Okay. So I referred to him. I referred... Oh, Daniel Grassa? Yeah. Oof. Or... or, or, uh, Cringe. Yeah. Gracia. I called him. Gracia. Yeah. So I messaged him. I'm like, I'm so sorry. He's like, dude... Don't worry about it. Thank you for even doing it. And I'm Sweet. like, he's super. So he seems like a super cool, cool guy. And the thing is, like, of the four Buffalo guys, I had looked like when I watched the Vacation Land Cup. I remember it came down to Casanova and 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 Daniel Garcia. And I remember thinking to myself, well, it's got to be Nova, right? One because I'm biased. I like the man. <laughs> but secondly, I was just like, I didn't think at the time that Daniel Garcia was. Not necessarily that caliber of worker, but I didn't realize his position. How in, much momentum he built for himself prior to it, things going crazy. Exactly. In lim- also in Limitless's hierarchy. And they did and, and props. They did great in telling the story of Absolutely. why he was there. Exactly. And Dude, props to opinion, Randy. Like that was the best independent show of twenty twenty. I, in I my can't opinion, argue with because it. he didn't have to go all over the world to search for talent. He brought in guys that he absolutely 100% established there. I knew every single guy on that show from seeing them in Limitless before. Yeah. And it didn't ha- it didn't have to, like you explained earlier, like not not saying that this is a bad thing. This was years ago anyway, but how you explained Cole Fury, you you were excited because they had low key on the yeah. show, right? 
Randy Carver didn't have to do that for a Vacation Land Cup to be the best independent show of 2020. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it, you could argue to a point, and I love Randy Carver. If I'm being real, Randy Carver's the reason PG has remained financially stable because of all the, you know, he's ordered car like his his trading card game is on fire. <laughs> like he's on series 3 and he's got a set of moments cards that he only gave to his VIPs. So it was mm-hmm. like a, it was like a throwaway deck of 9 cards. You know, because only VIPs were getting them, and it was like only like one show or whatever. But it was just like he messaged for for a while there when stuff was popping. He would message me like every like every two months or so because he was doing shows bi monthly. Mm-hmm. He'd message me every two months or so. It was like, you ever seen Blow the movie? Blow? Yeah, of course. I need more. I need more. <laughs> like that guy dr- traveling with weed and like yep. giving weed to the base. Like we need more. We're fucking creating a feeding frenzy over here. These people wanted these cards, right. you know. And uh, so it was like it was it was amazing. So his hustle is amazing. And the thing is, is like there I'm sure that there was a period of time before all of this happened that there were people looking at Limitless going, oh, Randy's probably a money mark because the shows began to I don't know if they began to go this way because you were there at the beginning. You can tell it's me. different, man. He didn't. I, I remember like he was so smart about it. He secretly was going to independent shows and just secretly scouting. Like yeah. he didn't, he didn't just decide, Oh, I have money today and I'm going to go put on a show. Like it was strategically planned. Like yeah. I was starting to spot Randy Carver at Fet music. I was starting to spot him. I remember I worked Ricky when he was still the master of disguise at an ah, RWA yes. show in 2014. If you look in the front row, Randy Carver sitting right there. Yeah. Like he was scouting for probably a year or so before Limitless even got off the ground. Well, I think I think the point I was making was more towards what Beyond did. Well, right, he was trying. He he saw what they were doing, and he was trying to create not the same thing, but Maine's version of that. Because in his opinion, the main landscape of pro wrestling wasn't that great. No, and the and the caliber of athletes they had out there not so great. You kind of seen the same people over and over and over again. Kind of the same rep that Rhode Island gets a lot sometimes. Yep, this yep. you see the same guys over and over again. He took Maine and he made it a healthy wrestling platform. You yep. know what I mean? And one of those one of those Mike Montero facts that people don't know is that you were in the very first Limitless Wrestling match. I was also in the very first Let's Wrestle match. Yeah. So, you know, as far as the you know, the roots of the end and you were also uh, you know, I, I would say a big part of Beyond Wrestling's development well, in the beginning of their Fet Music days. I wouldn't say so much the Fet Music days. We kept the secret shows alive. That's the thing. We worked. We worked. And to those keep were the, done primarily in the shop. We worked, and that's the thing. No, the whole idea, the whole idea of the secret show is that you pay extra. I forget what it was, but you pay extra on your ticket for Fet, and you get to see a card that you don't know who's on it. Yeah, that's the secret. And it that, was, and it was full. And of, it would be, and it you could have. For instance, you could have the Influence versus the Hoods open, but then you could have A.R. Fox versus Kimberly as the main event. We had Timothy Thatcher versus Biff Busick as the main event of one of the secret shows in yeah. the Chop Shop. You know what I mean? So, like, we were the mainstays of those. Every time Drew had a side project that he wanted to get off the ground, we were always those guys. I want to do the secret shows. I want to do Dojo Wars New England. You know what I mean? Yeah. We did a bunch of those. That That's what got us to Fed. But we could never really... I can't say that we had success in fact because we couldn't really get our feet wet there we got the chance to do the big tag team battle royal at the american rana where the young bucks first showed up and that's you hit the i think it was that was the night you did the dirt city destroyer i had to do something to get a pop to get remembered for somebody to remember there was literally 20 tag teams in this thing so there's like 40 people and rydoon you know like the vine guys exactly it was so hard and then we finally got our chance at a fet music and we work the hoods, which we've done a million times, but we usually get more time. Yeah. 
So the story we have already told, we had to cut shorter than it already was. You know what I mean? So, and also myself and Jason Devine, our tag game, like our offense, our continuity, it wasn't fully there yet. Had we had gotten that FET experience to work the hoods one-on-one, I mean, two-on-two, I should say, had we had gotten that a year later, once we got more like reps under our belt, we would have definitely been mainstays. Mm-hmm. We didn't get we didn't get our feet off the ground until we had a year under of actually doing these loops, and until honestly our personal lives just started getting out of control. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess I guess you know where I was mainly going with that whole thing was Randy had a product that from somebody like you know from somebody like me who I'm promoting on a certain level right now, mm-hmm. and I I would love to bring PG to where limitless is, you know, or where beyond is. You're saying to that level. To yeah, that, I'd I love you. to bring it up to that level. But I remember looking at limitless shows going, that's gotta be expensive. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. But like then, then the plague hit <laughs> and, and Randy was just like, well, I'm not going to sit on my ass. I, you know, I'm going to go do something. And he started doing the, the dojo tapings mm-hmm. and the whatnot. And I was just like, all right. And I'm watching it and no disrespect to anybody that he used. I'm just like, all right, well, these aren't the same name talents that you would expect from a limitless show. And you know what? It still fucking worked because he believes in them. Right. And that's what matters. You have to believe in your talent, who you have, what, even if you don't have the big, the biggest names or every, or the, the guys that everybody knows, you got to believe in who's there because if yeah. you don't believe they're not going to believe in neither of the people who are sitting in the audience. It's absolutely true. And every time I've ever, like, even in my own experience, anytime someone has come to me with an idea that I didn't come up with, or maybe they'll say something to me and be like, Hey, what would you think if we took a little creative control on this match or whatever? Like a perfect example. Um, uh, king and corinne level 1.5 that was just a one-off match Mm -hmm. that wasn't meant to be anything steve comes to me and he's just like well what do you think about you know what do you think about if we did something creative with this match because it's like you know it was just a match you know because that's what level 1.5 was it was just like whoever showed up let's do some matches and we had the jersey contingent and uh he's like you know what do you think i didn't even ask him what he wanted to do at least i don't remember anyway but i remember basically going with very little information going yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I know what you mean well, because the there was no story to build, so that there was their match to have fun with. Exactly. You know what I mean, do, I got you. do whatever you want to do, and it turned in to fucking like two years of a story. Because mm-hmm. it be organic. It, be, it became she's the ex-wife, mm-hmm. and then he's still looking. He's still looking for real challenges, and then he you know jumps me, and we're off to the races, and there's right. the birth of the Dick Busters, and. You know, like the wedding, like all these different tentpole moments in PG history, all because somebody went. Do you trust me to do this thing? And that's where I think mm-hmm. Randy Carver is a genius. Exactly, because he has the same trust with the guys in his yeah. locker room. And not just the guys with his locker room, his whole production team, everything. Not even that. People completely outside of his, like, he doesn't know me from, from a hole in the wall. Right. Like, we've done business with the trading cards, but every once in a while I'll hit him up at 3 o'clock in the morning because you know I don't sleep. <laughs> I'll hit him up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, what time is it in Maine? Uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I'll be like, you know, Randy, like... Sometimes, sometimes I'll ask a question like, "So, how much did uh, how much did so and so cost? Like, uh, you think you can help me with that? You know, like I'd like to get so and so down. That'd be great." Yeah. And then, but the thing is, is like, once again, he doesn't know me from a hole in a wall. He doesn't give a shit about my quote unquote status, like where proving ground lands in the hierarchy. He right. doesn't give a shit about that. He's just like, yeah, maybe you know, if you want to use somebody, I forget who it was. I think it might have even been Danhausen. You know, at the time, because somebody asked for Danhausen. Right. 
you know, very evil. And uh, I, I just decided, I was just like, I'd like to use Danhausen. Fuck it. And I reach out to him because he uses Danhausen a couple times. And I'm just like, you know, what's the deal with him? And he's like, well, he needs this and this because I think he lives in Canada. Okay. You know, or something like that. And it was like, okay. And I'm like, do you think you could help me broker a deal? And he's like, I'll do you one better. Like, if you run a show, because he runs shows on Friday nights primarily, mm-hmm. and we were shooting for Saturdays. So it's like, if we run a show where I'm running Friday and you're running Saturday, maybe we can go halvesies on getting him in. So it's like, oh, so no shit. I can get this talent for half the half right. the cost it would have cost me, you know, uh, or whatever. But, like, but that's the kind of shit, like, once again, Randy doesn't know me. He doesn't know if I'm a good business person or not, except for our experience with the right. trading cards and shit. But he's still like, I'm willing to trust that you're not going to fuck me over in this deal. Yeah. And it's going to help build my brand. You know, so I'm just like, so Randy Carver, like Randy Carver is a superstar and he's only like 23. I know it's mind blowing. It is unbelievable. And, and, and limitless has been around for what? Five years. Yeah. So he was a teenager when he started this. It's really wild. A real Jim Crockett, that one. So we were on. That's two. 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 (laughs) I'm like, I'm trying to think. So we said Alec Price. Yes. Daniel Garcia. Daniel Garcia. Three. Mm. Someone who's never been through PG, which, despite there being over a hundred people that have been, there are still hundreds of people that have not. Maybe a rematch with Jordan Oliver. Jordan Oliver. You worked with at Wrestle Party. Yes, and he's yeah. picked up some serious momentum since then. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he's a uh, you know he's like at the time when he worked with uh, Conway. He was like the CZW Livewire champion yes. or something like that. And I believe he has branched further than that. Yeah, he actually just point. won the Synergy Championship a couple of nights ago. Where does and this is this is an interesting conversation. We might touch on this later, but it's one of those conversations that could get people heat, so maybe we won't. But like where do you think where do you feel like Synergy lands in the in the in these proposed hierarchy? Uh, I feel like they're on that same that same hierarchy with like the Limitlesses and the Beyonds and like Black Label Pro. And Just out where they're located, you yeah, mean? Yeah, exactly. They're they're trying to create that same buzz, same deal, you know. All right, I'm gonna put them over real quick because there was one time um, I was originally when I was working on the action figures years ago, and I was because I tried forever to get this to work, and thank God it worked. Mm-hmm. But I tried forever to get it to work, and originally I was doing like molding, like pour molds, and um, Synergy completely beat me to the market and they had like a series of like five oh man synergy figures it was like ag that's Sun- awesome sunny kiss and whatnot and i remember seeing them going well i'm definitely doing i'm doing something similar but different in the long run but like fuck Damn, somebody beat me, beat to, me it. to it yep. you know well it's the same thing with the dlc title we've talked about that right and then instantly and then new japan was a new japan yeah. new japan and i saw and i saw what they were doing with it and they were barely touching on it we're going to be really upfront with it and even still like i can't be mad about that because that's basically an idea that the rwa had years right, ago way back in the day i just didn't know that exactly and that's the thing you got to remember when when you come up with an idea that somebody else is doing immediately or what have you and you didn't announce it or tell anybody about it. It's like great minds. Right. You know, you can't really be upset mm-hmm. with it. So that was three. Jordan Oliver was three. I'm going to give you two females for the Perfect. last two. I'm going to go with Ashley Vox. Oh, yeah. Because we had, again, a killer one-on-one match at Wrestle Party. That's like one of my favorite matches I've had singles. I, I was actually working to book that rematch at pg around that time i think that girl is one of the best baby faces in this area she's amazing absolutely I, you know a lot of people will be like she's one of the best women's wrestlers no she's one of the best wrestlers Agreed. in this area and i remember seeing her first singles match with delmi on an elk mania show no kidding and 
I do get a kick out of Ashley coming back. She doesn't have any hope spots. This is bullshit. <laughs> you know, so. Uh, but, like, I, I, I remember seeing her for the first time, and, like, um, I didn't. I didn't I didn't see it at the time. Right. You know. And but she's undeniable. Without a doubt. Without 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 a doubt. Uh number 5 Kimberly. Kimberly, okay. Beyond wrestling staple at least back in the yes, day. Yes, and... we mixed it up once in a tag match. Uh the influence against JT Dunn and Kimberly, the one and only match that I know of that they tagged together. Uh it was awesome. David Baker came out and screwed the finish a little too early. And it got a little crazy, and then we had to kind of scramble our way back. So because of that, I've always wanted like a second a second chance to do business with her because yeah. we had we had some good momentum going. We had good chemistry. The chemistry was there, and we came close yeah. to making something happen with outside the box before the Azrael deal. Mm. But the deal was anyone I don't have to fly, and at the time she needed to be flown, so it didn't. Why? Where was she living at the time? I don't know where. She, I don't think it was where she was living. I think it's just where she was currently at. Getting where booked. she was going to need to be flown from. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So there are your five, and you said, uh, I think I, I didn't. We didn't. I, we didn't necessarily talk about who's uh, number one through five. Oh no, we, it doesn't. To doesn't me, matter. The, no, I don't. I don't have a pecking order. Okay, good. We'll, <laughs> we'll avoid. We'll avoid some heat. Yeah, let's try that. that. Try yeah. that. Because as much as I want everybody to be free, I don't want anybody to ruin their career on my podcast. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, all right, so now we'll go into the selfish top five. Top five guys that have been through PG, whether they're regulars or have uh, have only been there once or twice, You know, who do you feel like you'd want to get in the ring with, either again or for the first time? Mm, Foxy Calvin Campbell. There we go. Okay. For sure. Absolutely. And he has come such a long way. Since since the first time I the saw him, the kid at has NCW. so much charisma. It just, he, I find like I can't not watch him and not crack a smile and be entertained by what he's doing. He's just so great. It was one one of the greatest things that I had ever seen was he was tag teaming with Osiris, and they were doing the tumultuous team right. angle. But Doctor Ozone loved him because Osiris Osiris's character is very much like a disciplined warrior type character, mm-hmm. and Foxy likes to party. Exactly. You know, and Doc Ozone. Who you know? We know he loves to party. Whenever he steps into a room, somehow the aura of the room gets a lot greener. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Not from personal experience. (laughs) I have have no idea. But from what I hear, you know, from what I hear, Joe Rogan, that stuff's pretty good. (laughs) But um, there was one match, and Osiris was taking the heat, and Foxy literally in the middle. Instead of standing there waiting for his partner to get a second to tag him out, hops off the apron, walks over to the bar. Just takes a drink. Goes over, takes a drink, and he kind of goes, <sighs> and he fucking hops up on the apron like he snorted cocaine. And he's ready to go. And he's just like, Woo! Make that tag, baby. He gets the hot tag. Fucking, he comes in like a fucking house of fire. Meanwhile, I'm like, like, I'm like, your partner's getting killed. What, what you, <laughs> <laughs> your partner could have, maybe, I don't know, I didn't. he didn't break away to get a tag, but let's say hypothetically he fucking did, and you're on the bar going, oh, this is a good cocktail right here, let me tell oh you. Oh my god, that's having, great. Having apple teenies and, and whiskey <laughs> sours waiting for Osiris to get done getting his ass kicked, you know? Like, that's <laughs> it was, great. But it was so great, and then, um, yeah, so that's that. That's when I saw Foxy that time. And yeah, then, I enjoy his shtick. Yeah. Um, so that's Foxy, okay. Chris Venom. Chris Venom. I got to have a one-on-one with him for Ben put on a show. I think it was like a birthday show. Or no, not a birthday show, but it was like a school. Yeah. Senior yeah. project, something like that. Yeah. yeah. And he booked it, but we only had like eight minutes and we really didn't get to do much. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. We were the main too, but by that point, there was no there was no time. Yeah. And we kind of cut it early. So I wish we could have done more with that. So I definitely would like to a more long. Yeah. Yeah, a longer contest because with... I saw the match he had with Christian. Yeah. At Proving Ground and was like, Pfft. you know, like that was when I was like, damn, like, and I obviously I saw the one the first one he had back with AG. Yeah. At NCW. And that's the thing I had I had met venom years and years and years ago so if i actually i trained with him that's yeah who i initially trained with was dan freitas brian noons and chris venom was the guy who Pride, they were yeah. like this is what you're gonna do chris venom was the guy who showed you how to do it on nick westgate on nick westgate <laughs> yeah so all right so chris venom foxy calvin campbell i and you know what to chris venom i love sean i really do and he was so jazzed about getting to work with Christian Casanova. Like he was just like, fuck, okay, I'm going to work with this guy. He's like a top guy in the area. He was so jazzed about it. He put it over in his hall of fame speech. That's so cool. He was literally like, and tomorrow, cause we, we did it. So the show was the day after the, Mm -hmm. a day after the convention. Cause we did the convention and he's just like, in two days, I'm going to be wrestling one of the top guys in the area at proving ground level four. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. Belmont mentioned name dropped us in her speech too. And I'm just like, I love Catherine. That's awesome. You know, like this is, this is, that's awesome. This is amazing. I'm like, it's all downhill from here. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> All right, so Foxy Calvin Campbell and Chris Venom. Corinne. Corinne, okay. I would love to wear Corinne. She's I, an animal. <laughs> you never you never do you never worked with her at no, Wrestle Party? No, we've never touched. Mm. She's an animal and I would love to get the shit kicked out of me by her. Let me tell you something. It's not gonna take a lot. She's only ever slapped me in the face, and every time she does, I come home and it's like, I don't know, because for a long time I was alert. I, I don't know if I still am now, because I really I date pretty plain women. Uh <laughs> Uh, that don't wear makeup. You okay. know what I mean? So, yep. and she, she'll, she'll, she'll doll up for the, for the shows. And I don't think I'm saying anything negative when I say that, no. but like she'll, she'll gimmick up with the makeup or whatever, which means it's probably on her hands in some form or fashion. Well, anyway, every time she's ever slapped me, my face is like broken out in hives. Oh, now either, she, now either she's hitting me really hard, which she does. And I don't hate it, but like I used to be allergic to, like very popular brands of like I, I once had a girlfriend who really overdid it with like the lipstick or whatever. Okay. And she kissed me on the side of my body once. Just, just being, I know what you mean. Just being cute. And then it was like that scene from Fight Club oh, where shit. I had the lips burned into my. I'm like, okay, no more of that cheap shit. Okay, yeah. you know. So it could have been something like that, or she just she's she's every time she's hit me, I've always walked away going, well, I know she hit me. And that's what made her want. That's why she's one of my favorite right. women's wrestlers. Because well, a she'll work for me, and secondly, and she brings it. and she fucking brings it. Like when she was standing at we, once again, it's, it's another situation where we didn't really have much to go on, and she turned it into amazing. Mm-hmm. It was like her and Delilah, and the story was Delilah took a, did a photo shoot in King's Throne, and we were about to jump into the angle. We've already established that Corinne was the ex-wife of the king. And I was just like, well, maybe she's a little jealous of right. this other broad. <laughs> yeah. Because that, that's how she would have described it. Exactly. This other broad. Is, is, she's in my man's chair. I bought him that chair. Like, we really extrapolated on that. And the bell rings, and Teresa Delilah is like, look, I'm sorry I took pictures in the chair. Corinne just cuts her off. You slept with my husband. And I'm just like, what the <laughs> fuck? The whole room, like literally the whole room was like, ooh, Takes Jerry Springer. Right like, yep. Exactly. But that's the thing. She was, she was, she is amazing. And she's like, right now she's in the middle of a fucking renaissance. I know. Because she's completely changing who Again, she is. Yeah, that's, we were talking before this thing started about 
taking that that leap to reinvent yourself you know what i yeah. mean and she did it and it, it's worked for the positive so far you know what i mean the golden girl was awesome it still is awesome for sure. but the ice box it's badass man. i'm all f- and, she, and she's a and she's a mongo fan i'm yep. sold yeah it's hilarious man i love that so much um so all right so foxy chris venom corinne mink number four probably just to because i mean every time we do it it's magic it's chris pyro pyro yep yeah, I love wrestling, Chris Pyro. I, uh, you know, I, I obviously I discovered those guys late, you know, late in the game. Man, I used to sit in the crowd and I used to watch Chris Pyro wrestle, and I wanted to be Chris Pyro so bad. Original Young Gun, right? Oh uh, man, oh yeah, the original Young Guns, Chris Pyro, Chris Cruz, and then they added Davy Cash, and that's where the name The Hoods came from. Right. That's eventually the team. Davy Cash was the third, and Pyro and Cruz were the team, and then eventually it became the other way around: Cash and Pyro. And if all you ever knew was what you saw of Davey and Pyro. You'd go, these guys will fucking kill me. And then once the camera's off, nicest motherfuckers <laughs> you've ever fucking met. Hey, they've, know, co- they've come a long way, man. They've hey, I know you're selling way. action figures for 10 bucks a piece, but, you know, my kid's a big fan. That's one thing. Know? I can't, that's what I love probably most about Davey is he loves his family so much. I Everything wa- he does in this world is for his family. And that. <laughs> Well, how, how else can you, you know, how do you not respect that? I was sold on Davy Cash the night, and I forget what night it was, but the night that his kid walked him to the ring. And in the locker room after it was done, he's openly weeping because he's just like fucking. Just made his dream come ma- true. It made the world, it was the world to me. Yeah. That's the kind of shit. Like, as soon as I saw that, I was just like, all right, I want you to work for me. Yeah. Because that's the kind of passion I want. Those guys, they did so much for myself. Devin Blaze, Jason Devine, Tommy Trainwreck, and Beyond Wrestling. Yeah, they're they're they they were the tag team division. They wrestled the Young Bucks. I think we don't the need hood, to, you the know hoods, like the Minutemen, the EYFBO, the LAX. Yeah, they, though, that was the tag division of Beyond Wrestling. And I didn't realize that when I got IWTV. By the way, we've talked about IWTV a little bit. You got the yeah, you, you know. got the hoodie on. If you want to check out IWTV for a free five day trial, uh, use a. Uh, uh, code proving ground no spaces Simple. get the free five days you get to see some of the stuff that we have up and uh you also some get of to the see, stuff we're talking about and some of the stuff we're talking about i'm pretty sure that that once again the hoods versus the young bucks i'm pretty sure that's on there i've heard chris pyro say it so many times he's like man i when you when you see the excitement in me you know it's real because i've wrestled the young bucks like it doesn't get better than that for me and you reach them you wrestled the mountaintop exactly um, like, wait, like, that's the thing when you, when you have those, it's such a weird thing being like, uh, I want to say a fighter, but I feel like that's more of a connotation towards a boxer, but like right. as a wrestler, when you have these big tent pole matches and you kind of stop and go, am I ever going to get something like that again? Yeah. You know, cause what, what's the next step? You wrestle the best tag team in the world while well, a contract would be probably the next step. Right. You know, and unfortunately we could wrestle every day of our lives and still never get one. There's like a mi- there's a middle ground though, and at that time the Young Bucks are in that middle ground. See, the Hoods needed that match to continue to have matches like that, so that they could continue to have matches like that in front of a broader audience. Because yeah. the next goal from there is not getting a contract. It's we just wrestled the Young Bucks here. Now let's wrestle them around the world. Let's wrestle them everywhere. Let's show everywhere what we that, can do. That that's the missing piece, and that's not a discredit to them. That's just it's. A difficult road to get there, you know what I mean? How how everyone gets there is different. And who who we were just talking about Davy Cash's family life. Who's to yeah. say that's even something 
they're even trying to do right now. David Cash has been wrestling and been in the business since he was like 11 years old. Look at Maverick Wild. Right. Maverick Wild is, as far as I'm concerned, because the guy trained me, uh, he, he gave me the majority of my training, uh, you know, my second stint in a right. wrestling place. If my information is correct, and I'm sure he'll correct me if he watches this. Disclaimer, he's not. <laughs> but, like, if he should happen to, if I should happen to message him and go, hey, didn't you get a contract from both of them? Because I'm fairly certain that he got a contract from the WWF and WCW. See, I didn't even know that. And he went and then ended up just going, I'm going to give you the money back. I got a family. I got to go home. You know? Yeah. Like, Mav in, like, 93 period of time, he was a enhancement worker on, like, Raw. So he's wrestled He's wrestled the, okay. the head shrinkers. Right, he's I got you. He's done, those, he's done those, like, Richie Rich style loops. Right, right? And, then it, and then in, like, 95, he was getting his ass kicked by Jacqueline on WCW and whatnot. Okay. Like, hey, you're on the network, brother. Why you not? Know? Exactly. <laughs> you know? Oh, funny Raw fact. This is I don't think this is ever going to come up again. Funny Raw fact. In 1993, you know who had the most matches on, on televised Raw? No. PJ Polacco. <laughs> that's awesome. That's a little interesting. It's a just incredible. Dude, fact he was like you. he was like a family favorite in my household. Are you kidding me? The, Aldo the Portuguese Man of War, dude. Yeah. Everybody loved Aldo. Yeah. My mom loved him. It was hilarious to me because I'm over here like Brett's my guy. Brett's my guy. And then like my grandmother and my mom are like Aldo's on. Aldo's on. Like so <laughs> ridiculous. Um. By the way, we're still on the first fan question. I'm just. Oh uh, my god. I'm not. I'm not even. And thankfully, we only got three. Yeah. But uh, uh, I think we're on number five now. Number five, Sean Leader. Sean he, Leader. He's the only blemish I have in PG. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like you guys had, like you guys were the absolute. You guys were the kickoff for what became the modern era of PG. Right. Agreed. Because it was like you guys never wrestled each other before, or if you did, it was in some kind of a tag team situation. Some kind of yeah. It was you, never. It was never promoted to that level you know never had a highly publicized singles contest with sean leader right it's crazy because we worked in rwa all these years and we've never had a singles match to this day we still have never had a singles match we've only touched once in an rwa ring it was a four-way match yeah so we didn't even really make contact yeah and like i remember hearing that going well there's my fucking main event you know like i can't i can't not do that you know i've never seen anybody so good at just oh that's what he did there Okay, now I'm gonna do it and just do it. Sean Sean has gotten himself like I know when he came back from was it Virginia when he came back from Virginia from his from his prison imprisonment yes yeah. when he came <laughs> back self imposed he went to XWA and he went and got and started training and stuff like that. But Sean's progression came from his natural ability to just pick up what he sees. Yeah, he was watching that old school Chikara stuff and learning how to crisply do those arm drags and all those different takeovers and snap mares and stuff way back in like 2008, 2009. We, we, you were talking about that competitive, like ego type thing. Like, Oh, yeah. these motherfuckers beat me to it. You know, that was how it was with Sean and his crew because my crew was considered the spot monkeys of RWA. And then Sean, Billy Ware, Alex Corvus and uh, CJ Pangman, they all showed up and were doing crazier spots than us. And the first day they showed up, we were all like, well, these guys, these guys trying to steal our thunder and then we had competitive animosity it was almost yeah. like our click against their click and then once we would work like the shows more and we had that like rwa everybody's changing next to each other because we're studio taping you know yeah. what i mean now you start talking to these guys and you realize you have a lot more in common with these dudes who you thought were trying to take your spot and that's how like i really started to understand because like i always thought like how the hell does this guy like where did he learn these things? You know what I mean? Yeah. Where, where did he get picked this stuff up? Then I started hanging out with him and I'd watch him like 
even like I don't know if he's gonna I don't know if he's gonna be mad at me saying this, but he's a great dancer too. And like just from like watching back in the day, he used to like I forget who it was. I think it was like Chris Brown. He used to watch this dude's like music video, and he could just like boom, 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 pick up like his because it's running a spot. You know what I mean? He yeah. could pick up his entire like choreography and just bust it out. I don't know. Might have heat with me for saying that, but he busts moves. He can bust a move or two. You know what I mean? So. Just seeing him do that, seeing him watch wrestling and the way he picks it up, like, he has a gift that most don't have. Yeah. That's a really good list. I like that list. Um, and then I think the last five would be I think we could I think we could narrow the field a bit because I think people who have never been through PG also kind of fall on this list too. So let's do this. Five non local names that with the right amount of money. Could probably be coerced into with the right amount of money. Oof. Like we talked about, little Guido was was sure. one because you were supposed to have a match with him at one point. Yeah, that unfortunately, didn't happen. Definitely, yep. You said one for me, little Guido go. for sure. Amazing red. Red, yeah. That's when I was a backyarder. My name was Blue because <laughs> I was a mark for Amazing Red. Like I loved Amazing Red so much, I decked myself out in all blue all the time. Like, I, hate to, I hate to ask this question. Did you use the song? No, I okay, didn't. Right. But Blaze would try to convince me to do it all the time. Of he, course. Would, he would rib me all the time. Like <laughs> when we first got like YouTube was the thing, he'd be like, now check this out. I think you should come out to this song. And I can't tell you how many times I'm not next to the computer and he does this to me and he gets me. I think this should be your new theme song. And then he starts playing. And I'm you like, stop like, all I'm right, like, let's hear this. I'm like, oh, you son of a bitch. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Amazing Red's one of my guys for sure. Like I, so I was Red Guido. Okay. Because you were a big ECW fan. I was a huge ECW fan, yes. Yeah, so so those those names that are still kind of kicking around in the indies would probably be like a catch-all for like, you'd like to work the Kid Cash's or the Stevie Richards's. <laughs> would I the... love to work Kid Cash? Are you yeah. kidding me? That dude was unbelievable. Listen, I carried a picture of Stevie Richards in my wallet through high school. Uh, I'm going to book him eventually. I worked, a sh- I worked a show where the whole time uh i was putting the heat on i forget who it was they were just chanting stevie richards at me because they said i looked like stevie richards i thought that was stevie hilarious. richards scotty riggs you have this like uh, early you got this mid to late <laughs> 90s uh wrestler look. well that's what i'm going for uh let's see this this is a, this is a tough one because it's like be realistic but also unrealistic at the same time yeah. you know what i mean and it's tough because there's so many people that like i see throughout the, the week when i'm watching wrestling where i'm like Oh man, I would love to work that guy. And then now I'm here, and I can't even remember who it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? The hot seat. Once you're in the hot seat, yeah, you, you, you exactly. can't answer the question. How many have we? We're three. Three. Okay. I think. Yeah. I think Kid Cash was three. Yeah, for sure. Uh, this is tough. Have you have you seen Blake Christian at all? He's messaged me actually. Okay, so about, he was the he was the other in. kid in the in the spot with Jordan Oliver that Cornette went insane for. <laughs> Insane in a good way? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. Oh, it's Not, corny. Never mind. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Never of mind. Of course. Um, yeah, he's got freakish athleticism. You remind he not just because he looks like him, but he reminds me a lot of Danger Kid. I can see it. You yep. know what I okay. mean? And I actually I've never got to work Danger Kid one on one either. You know what? We'll throw him we'll on throw the list him too the... because I've never I've, I've worked Aiden Agro one on one and that was freaking awesome. So I can only imagine. Let me tell you something. I worked with Danger Kid one on one. Yeah, how was for 90 it? Ninety seconds. Ah, oh, damn, ninety seconds. Because it was that ten on ten NCW match. Oh, okay. You know that one time a year, JC would throw me a bone and treat me like a wrestler. I, I've yeah, had, I've had one. I've had one of those too. Like the match where you're in the ring with somebody that it's cool. I'm wrestling this guy, but then you don't even touch. And the thing is, 
uh, Danny and I do not have the same style whatsoever. It was a weird, like, all right, Derek Simonetti, you're going to be in there with Danger Kid. I'm like, all right. Cool, let's see what happens. This is awesome, you know? <laughs> and then he comes up to me. He's like, so what do you want to do? You know, and I'm like, I don't know. I mean, we can lock up. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like he's like what do you do for spots and i'm like i'm big uh <laughs> i do a at the time i wasn't even doing the saido suplex i'm like i can throw a hell of a fucking forearm you know <laughs> like what, what, you, <laughs> i'm a big fat striker like what do you want um and we he proceeded to plan out every idiosyncrasy of the 90 seconds and it was the busiest 90 seconds i've ever had in my life and that's not trying even trying to make the most of his absolutely. And a half. I'm, it's not even a dig. It's just like, unfortunately, Danny, you've been handed this big red singleted lump of clay, and you now have to fucking mold it mold into, it into something, something for ninety <laughs> seconds. And he's just like, uh, you know, I do this thing. He does the rolling rough rider, yes. or some shit, whatever. And I'm just like, oh, perfect. I, I'm, I'm good at bumping. You know, mm-hmm. I. Well, that's the thing. I got over being Hogan. Get your ass kicked. If it's a 90-minute match for 88 of those minutes, I'm fucking getting the shit kicked out of me and then, and then the two, fucking up, Hulk baby. up, big boot, like dro- drop drop the Civil War cannon across his face. Uh, and it's over, baby. And it's over, baby. Uh, here comes a deer in my, in my case. Here comes a DDT. Let's go home. Get out of the way of my moonsault so you don't die. Here's a DDT. Let's go home. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I worked with Danny for 90 seconds. And you know what? I'm Like, Bobby Rossi once accused me of being a clout chaser. And I didn't know what the fuck I didn't even know what clout was because that's never been my bag. I know what you mean. You know, so but he said that to me uh, about like, like you know, fucking you're trying to take credit for like RWA guys. Like, no, I'm not. I'm trying to like it was the night of the XWA cage matches. Oh, okay. Yep, I remember. And and every match on the card, it was all chop shop guys in cages. And well, we was, did something crazy, man. And it was we amazing. Cha- it was we changed the night for those guys. It was fucking awesome and they didn't mention the chop shop once. That's one of my favorite probably one of my favorite moments I've ever had in my wrestling career because literally I the last time I worked XWA, mm-hmm. actually worked XWA was in 2012. Yeah. So it had literally been seven years since the last time I wrestled there. And you the did people, war games. The people didn't even know who we were. We walked through. I came out and I was getting booed because AJP had been there every week. Right. I was getting booed. Who is this guy? By the time the, the rest of the Dirt City comes out, everyone in the crowd has this, oh, like, who are these dudes? We go out there, tear the house down, two Spanish flies together. Chris Pyro's getting speared off the, out, off the, the rafters. Hanging edge, from the fucking edge, thing. Jeff Hardy style. Yeah. And when it's over... We all celebrated in the ring curtain call, curtain call style, and we never came back. Yeah. And not only that. The- we left those people with that, whoa, who are those guys? Where and did wh- they come from? And where did they come from? Where can we see them? And nobody fucking and said exactly. shit. And the thing is, Jose, he came really close. He came really close. He's like, there's a place down the road. Like, that's as close as it got right. to saying the chop shop or RWA or whatever. So I posted a thing saying, you know, you're welcome, XWA, fucking RWA or whatever. And he thought you meant, like, he thought you I personally was... were taking credit right, for right. it. And we and the thing is, to Bo- for Bobby Rossi's credit, and I don't think I'm telling tales out of school when I say this, Bobby is a passionate fellow. And he can. He, he can, stood up for what he thought he was. He what, stu- what he thought he needed to stand up for. He and stood up for what he thought he was standing up right. for. And then we had a conversation, and we buried it. And then him and I, we had a, a small little, a weird little thing. He must have been having a bad day or something. And we talked it over, and we're cool now. You know, like I like Bobby Rossi. You know, so but like I just remember like, you know, that particular situation. It's like you guys went and did that thing. Yeah. And and it's like nobody heard that so anyway on the on the clout chasing thing it was like because i was the one that was capturing the the footage at the time from mm-hmm. cw immediately fucking immediately i was like 
posting online. Here's my 90 seconds with Danger Kid. <laughs> and it's like this super edited fucking like I was like, let's get the best. Let's get the angles that make me best look less seconds fat you've ever seen. Yeah. The less fat angles, the better, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, yeah. So Danger Kid would be four and we got one more. Realistically, unrealistic fucking talents that you could get in there with. Unrealistic, realistic. I'm just waiting for someone to come on and be like, The Rock, Steve Austin. <laughs> Matt Seidel. Matt Seidel. That is, I mean, he's working for TNA, and I believe TNA's contracts well, are, are... No, no, no AEW. Yeah. But I believe that they're not exclusive contracts. So he can kind of go where he wants. So he probably could. Like, that's the thing. When I see some people in AEW and I go, ah, fuck, I wanted I wanted to use them in some form or capacity. You know, like a, one, a one-off thing mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, I couldn't afford to have them in all the time, you know. I'm sure I'll figure... I, I want to get to the point where I can figure out how to maximize the money on bringing in a name like that. You know what right. I mean? But anyway, like, I, I see them on AEW sometimes. I'm like, oh, fuck. Same thing with TNA. Like, I would love to have Jordan Grace. Right. Uh, on the show. They and have one of the best women's rosters of any company. Didn't their women's champion, somebody who was highly, like... Deanna Perrazzo is un- amazing. Underused in Ring of Honor. One of the best technical wrestlers in the world, like far none. And I had, and honestly, I, I'd, I'd seen her in RWA. I'd seen her live. R- RWA. In ROH. I know what you mean. Yep. I'd seen her live, and I was just like... At the time, I was like, oh. man, when they brought her back for NXT and they gave her her vignettes about being the virtuoso and all that stuff, yeah. I was so ready. I was like, man, they're finally going to do something with this girl because I had been watching her do Beyond. And, yeah, what happened? Did and, she get let go? Or Yeah, they just, during the pandemic, she was one of the people who got let go. And I was the, I, I literally was like, well, that was a mistake because now somebody's going to pick her up and they're going to make her a star. Yeah. And, they and, did. and that's what happened. She was Impact's Wrestler of the Year yeah. overall. Overall, not not just not just women's wrestling. And, they, and, and wrestling their roster is pretty deep. Yeah, I like the. I think um, once again, speaking for the proving ground side of things, I really want twenty twenty one to be the beginning of you know getting more uh, women's wrestlers sure. on the roster. And I mean, all right, so let's let's there let's be real here. Um, women's wrestling, or even more specifically, intergender wrestling, is what is garnering the most eyes. Sure. Go to Beyond Wrestling. Yeah, and, man, they're the ones who put it on the map. You go on, yeah, you go on their channel, and it's like all their top viewed shit is uh, intergender. Mm-hmm. Now that's just the business side of me, but the fact of the matter is, is like, I don't care if you're a woman or not. Who the fuck wouldn't want Ashley Box on their show? Right. Who the fuck wouldn't want somebody like, like Davian? Dude, she's a beast. Like she, she's awesome. As far as I was concerned, I considered her the fucking standard for women's wrestlers around this area right. for a long time, based on reputation alone. Right. I can't tell you the last time I saw like a, a aside from her match with Basic Becca, which at was limitless, friggin' awesome. I couldn't tell you the last time I saw a full Davian match, and she, t- in my mind, she was always like, "Well, she's still the measuring stick." Right. You know. And then of course you see Ashley, who's now doing everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Layla Hirsch. Right. Um, you know, uh, I mean, even Delmi has improved absolutely. so much. She has such a presence now that she didn't have before. Right. She was very much a fish out of water when she first like she's started. so like I want like watching her on TV and watching the things that she's doing now. Like she's she's like got it more up here. Like it's she's so much more fine tuned with everything. Yeah. And then, um, and then of course you've got the up and coming uh, women's talents like the, the basic Beckas, the Mean Kathleen's. Yep. 
uh, Paris Van Dale. Oh yeah, the, the, the whole the whole and they have squad. And, they, and that's yeah exactly. They have they have something they can sink their teeth into with the with the shtick like a gimmick. You know what yeah. I mean? The whole scrunchy squad deal, the higher society, all that stuff that they're doing with with is it Armani Chaos? I believe. Yes. Yes. Who uh, I remember I met him for the first time at NCW, and I I don't know if this is a weird word to use, but like he was just so jazzed. It was adorable. Like happy to be there. Yeah. You're saying, yeah, exactly. He's See, just that's... like, he's just like, fuck, I'm on, I'm on a wrestling show, you know, like that's so cool. The, yeah, you know, it's and it's real, and it's like, and like, if he had been in the business for a long time and he was still like, like Vince Russo running the booking and being, oh, it's nice to be on the inside of the rail. No, he's just getting started. You, you would think that guy was a lunatic if he's like a year and a half in and he's like, can't wait to do this. It's like, look how big the fucking barbarian just, is. You, you know? I get what you're saying. You, <laughs> you could know? see his excitement for what was to come. Yeah, and you know, and not only that, but it's like he is also like when you look at the when you look at what he was doing, he is like in the complete opposite role that you would expect. Right. He's the manager of a female talent, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, and she, and Paris Van Dale, as far as I've known, I've only seen a couple of her matches. She's very much the fucking, the muscle of the, of the duo. Right. You know, and, and then you got Becca who I saw for the, I think I saw her for the first time. I had seen her profile on Facebook a bunch coming up. I'm like, who is this? She says she's a wrestler or whatever. I think it was a picture from, um, Fenway, right? One of the Fenway shows. And I'm like, Abe, what's that? Like, is that her, middle name is that her last name whatever i'm just like oh interesting okay cool and then we do that ufo show in february yeah and i see her wrestle with alec price oh that was killer actually oh, i forgot about that it match. was a fucking it was a fucking banger and that was mm -hmm. the moment i was just like first of all i'm gonna book both of them and yeah. second of you know if they'll allow it and then secondly uh i'm booking them against each other in their first match hell yeah because that's what i did with foxy and um and channing channing mm -hmm. thomas uh, i had him and uh i had him and tim in the fucking um in the, the, the dojo days, I guess you could say, right. the, the taping days. And they had a great, like, one-on-one -on -one contest. And then I said, fuck it, I'm putting that on my first live show. And so part two was Foxy versus Channing at level one. And it was this great match. And to, to the point where when JC booked it for NCW, he actually wrote in the script, he was like, we're looking for some of that that PG magic that <laughs> or something like nice. that. And I'm just like, all right, cool. I, I've been able to inspire some good shit. This is good. Cool. Um, didn't that sound like I took credit for that? Like I was in the fucking match. I am so sorry. That is not what I meant. Uh, <laughs> I'm just glad I booked it. Let's just go with that. Um, all right. So there we go. First question. There down. we are about an hour in first okay, question, now, baby. We are, oh yeah. About an hour in, uh, first question. Anyway, well, we, we did have a, we did have a, a starting point. Anyway, question two. Uh, from from Dick Lane. Okay, my currently estranged brother. Uh, if you were in a new area at a new promotion, like kicking it off, okay. and you've done this before, what kind of match would you call, and what things would you do to teach the fans and the promoters of who Mike Montero is? Can I level just a small, not necessarily criticism, sure, but something that has been brought to my attention on more than one occasion, and I want to get your your, your thought sure. on it. I've had people come to me, and they do the usual, Mike Montero is a great athletic uh, guy, he's a great technician, he's a great spot guy, he's a great this, he's a great that, he's good on the mic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then you're waiting for the butt, and they always go, but he doesn't work to the audience. I've heard that more than once. What would you say to that kind of a, kind of a thought? Um... Because I think I think when they when these people these particular people in question have ever said this to me, I think what they're getting at is that you're not overly looking. I don't pander. Pander, yeah. Because you know, was, you're, you're not leaning over the ropes like, huh? Because you know, I like, was taught not to. Okay. I was taught that if 
obviously you can obviously there's the what do you think of that or like the here yeah. I am like I, I'm feeling it you know like and it's that, quiet and, that, let's and that's get what him you'll up. see out of me when the crowd is going that's what you'll see out of me you'll rarely see me like if the guy who who I'm wrestling starts the deal and he starts clapping like I'll I'll chime in and I'll we'll clap together but like I never really try to pander because if I'm begging you to cheer for me then you don't really want to. I, I feel you know that, what I mean. I feel that way about like relationships and I was always, as well. Yeah. And I was always taught that like it, you're not over when they're chant when they're just chanting like "This is awesome" or "Holy shit." You're over when they're chanting your name. Yeah. And if you can make them chant your name without being like, "Hey, cheer for me," then you're over. These guys are great. Who are they? And that's the <laughs> thing. Maybe you you can you can say it's the chop shop, right? Okay. Fine. Because that audience is a, a very specific type of audience. But when I'm in there, I don't have to pander, and my name is chanted from beginning to end. Right. So I'm over. You know what I'm saying? Right. Now, elsewhere, that's the job, is to be able to make it so that it's the same deal everywhere else. And now, you'll catch me pander one time, and that's when we're working in front of a carnival-style crowd. When we're working Kids Fest, when we're working those places, I will hot dog as much as I possibly can. Because they're not even wrestling fans. They don't know what the hell they're watching. So you have to you have to be as loud, stupid, extravagant as you can to get them to be like, Whoa, what's up with this guy? Let me watch him. And especially for a guy like me, because I know I'm not aesthetically pleasing. I know I'm not this big, jacked up dude who's in great shape. So Well, I mean, you you've taken the pandemic to get pretty I'm, cut. I'm wor- I'm working on it, man. That's so. all I like to me, I feel like if you're not using this time to better yourself, then you have no excuse when this shit's over. You know what I yeah. mean? I'm not going to dumb things down for you, and I'm not going to limit myself for you. I'm going to run circles around you, and you're either going to keep up or you're going to go down trying. You know what I mean? Because during this time period, I, I use that to think about the fact that, like you just named off, I never even heard I don't work the crowd thing. I've never even heard that before. That's a first. So well, that's because most people and I and I I actually said this in a conversation or uh, I don't want to call it a dispute or whatever. Just you know, I was talking with Liz and we were having a conversation about some public thing that was going on and you know, um, and we were talking about like all the things that are going on in the world and mm-hmm. the people who are fighting it and talking about it. And she's very vocal and very passionate sure. about her, about her opinions and her beliefs. And she knows that. And we all do. And, you know, we had a brief moment where she was like, people like you don't speak up. And I'm like, wait a minute. People like me don't speak up on the internet because zero is going to change on the internet. Have you ever heard a bigot say something to you in the vicinity of a punch? doesn't happen all that often i've always been one of those guys where it was just like if anything happens in my presence that i can shut down i'm going to shut down right but doing anything online is pointless and that's just my opinion it's no disrespect to anybody who does that by by all means be you be passionate be yeah loud. whatever you got to do to get it out do what you got to do to get it out see if you can stop it see if you can change an opinion i'm of the mind that you can't mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean you shouldn't try so but i mentioned that to mention this there's a reason why nobody's told you and it's because nobody has the balls to fucking say these things to people that they're gonna fucking run into and the thing is i'm sure when people tell me things they're not saying it the way they would say it to somebody directly. Right. Like the way I just did it now, it's just like, well, what do you think about that? You know, as opposed to someone coming to me and going, you know, doesn't work the crowd. I'm like, have you told him? Oh, God, no. 
<laughs> I don't want to get punched in the <laughs> face. You know, like. Well, no, man. If you if that's what you think, just tell me. You know, like. Yeah. I'm not above anybody. I I feel like I get that weird. People put this weird stigma on me that because I work for Proving Ground and because I had a past working for places that are pretty prominent today, that they can't come to me and talk to me like an equal. That I'm I even I believe that I'm above them. And contrary to belief, I'm not. Because if I was, I wouldn't be working here. Do you know how much shit I got for making you my first guest? Do you have any idea? Do you, like, <laughs> I just, I just want, I just want to help this thing grow. You know what I mean? I'm, I like, I, I've said, and even when AJ said a couple of weeks ago, "Oh, you're just a JT Dunn wannabe, just waiting to for his chance to leave." I had my chance. He said, "Come with me, kid." I had my chance. You voluntarily took a year off from RWA to make sure that people like AJ and whoever else. Got a chance got their to shine. have their spot. Got their shine, man. Like I didn't need to do that. I don't. I don't need to be here. No. I want to be you here. You drove an hour and a half or something like that from Fall River. I want to be here. That's it. You know. That that's what it comes down to because I love seeing smaller companies rise and become bigger. Yeah. And I might not always be responsible for that. No. Maybe I even have a small little piece in that. That's all I want, man. If I can borrow one from the Baker clan, if you're even just a brick in the foundation. That's all you're looking for. That's it, man. I don't. I, and I don't need the credit. You don't have to go around and saying, "Oh, he he started, like he was the first match of Limitless." That's great, but that's because Randy Carver put me there. You know I know. What I mean? But I, it's a great factoid. It, it I'm is. I'm cloud it chasing. Is, I, what but, do you want? No, no, you're right. No, I get it. I get it. I just I feel like a lot of people think that because most of the proving ground guys, for the most part, especially in the beginning, have pretty much stayed in proving ground. Yeah. That they're afraid to say things like that because they think I'm gonna come at them some kind of way. But I'm not that guy. You know yeah. what I mean? I just want to be better. Yeah. And if you think that's a hole in my game, shit, tell me so I can make it better, you know? Yeah. Let me yeah, in in my case, whenever someone had like I I always find out secondhand just like this. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, at least if you told me, I could have pulled out what was left of my hair to obsess about it and make it better. Recently, and I for respect reasons, I won't talk about names. Cause it's it's it to me, it's a dead issue and this person got it off their chest and whatever. But I upset somebody recently, and I felt terrible about it. And the reaction that I got um, in public was, you know, a couple of uh, a couple of fucking tools in my game mm -hmm. were openly criticized and questioned. And one of them, I think the exact quote was, um, I do long, depressing, show-killing promos. And... When I heard that, I'm just like, well, first of all, you're mad. I get that. But then second of all, I did stop and go, well, there was a period of time in the last year where I was going through a very, very deep depression and I was still coming to work. And I would always open the show and I'd cut these promos and it was like I was giving the audience you know, a chance to be like, hey, I'm letting you in on my life. I need this for me. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. you know. And then when shit started to finally get good and I could report it to them. I was having a handful of fans at the shows going, we knew you could do it. Right. We knew you could pull through because they were following along. Now, was I really long in the tooth on some of these? Absolutely. Did I need to get as personal as I did? Absolutely not. But unfortunately, that is who I am. And that's how it went. And mm -hmm. that's how it went. And you know what? I don't think it ruined anything. I thought RWA, because it was at the time I was doing RWA shows mostly, and I think RWA was going through a really, really, really good period of time. And I'm not even saying it had anything to do with the f the fact that I was assisting with booking in any way. I just mean I think everybody fucking wanted it. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, there's many. There's been many points in time where RWA is kind of and that, that's one fire of those, got lit under its ass and it's kind of pushed along a little of, harder than it usually does. That's one of those things I really want to talk about in this podcast. Um, you know the, the the RWA times that I that I had no fucking idea about that you have referred to in conversation privately as the best times. Okay. Um, so <laughs> going what back, what would to, I do? What would what I? What would do? you do in a new okay, place? Okay. So it, to touch on what you said about. Um, I don't really work the crowd. Yeah, I would like we talked about the carnival aspect. They don't know who I am, so I have to overly, especially if I'm a, if I'm a babyface, yeah. because that's the biggest thing in the world. Every every wrestler, pretty much every wrestler, will tell you that they love working heel better than they love working babyface. It's way easier because think about it in a psychological sense. In your entire life, how much easier in this world is it to piss people off than it is to make them accept you? Yeah, that's that's that is that's the, the that key. Is the trick. And and you know what? Maybe that's a part of me from my childhood. Maybe that's why I work heel so much better than I work babyface. Because when I work heel, I use all those people who made me feel uncomfortable, all those people who made me feel shy, all those people who made me feel afraid to speak my mind, and I destroy them. Because I can do that as a heel. Because I don't have to give a shit what anybody thinks. Right. Whereas as a babyface, I get that feeling of almost, not so much anxiety, but that feeling of, man, I have to make these people like me. And I don't even really want to do that. And how do you do that? You know what I mean? Have you ever... It's it's like your first day at school. I just want I just want to fucking wrestle. Yeah. I just want to tell stories in this ring. I don't care if you love me or you hate me. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But when I have to be the baby face, that is the toughest job for me. Because I have to work overtime to make the person... Oh, not the person, but the audience accept me as that and want me to be the guy that they want to buy his t-shirt they want to pay to see the next time and that new shirt's pretty baller and it is pretty badass (laughs) but so what so what i would do is honestly in that aspect trying to get the crowd is difficult but working a new place is the easiest thing in the world because for me i'm just going to plug in my greatest hits and i'll pick them out because to me if i'm going somewhere new and i've never worked somebody before that's a brand new blank canvas for us to tell a story. I'll use Dick Lane as an example. Yeah. We never worked each other before prior to NCW. We had our first one-on-one at NCW. It was the double title match, wasn't it? Nope. It no, was a couple that? years a couple years before that. All right, so early on. And we finished the match with I went for the sunset flip and he countered Bulldog style Wembley Stadium. He goes ah, over. Yeah. We hadn't touched in a year since then at NCW. Mm-hmm. So once we came back, we used that as a near fall sequence. Right. Like, oh, we got him last time with this. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm that's the point I'm trying to make here is if I go somewhere else and I've never worked this guy before, we don't have that. So I don't have to do that. I'm not so much intricate with the counters. Oh, he slipped out of my finish to get to this. It's more or less I slipped out of this to get to my big move as opposed to the person countering my stuff and then building to me finally hitting it. Once we've established a chemistry and we've established that we've worked together and we have a history, that's when I start building off of the first story we told. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and I think a lot of people, especially when they're fresh and when they're new in the business, they will look at a new promotion like, oh, shit, I really have to impress, and what if I, they don't like me? Whereas what you're saying is you need to go into it with a more experienced attitude of they don't know me. This is exciting. What's your best stuff? Like, Pick it. Do I, it. You know what I mean? Let's let's use let's use a crude analogy that probably wouldn't fly in this decade. It's like when you meet the girl you like for the first time. What do I have to do That's to it. take her home? That's it. 
you know, what what kind of what 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 am I doing at this? What am I doing at this locale to get this one to notice me? Only this one is however many hundreds of people or whatever that are in the room. So it's just like, yeah, you know, that's a really good way to think about it. Like, okay, what? And also, where are you on the card? Are you the first match on the card? Exactly that too. Freedom to do anything you want as long as you're not doing someone else's finishes. All the unwritten norms. There's so many different things that factor in, but like at the base of it. I go in with a blank canvas. Uh, Asriel, we never worked before. so You nodded that motherfucker's head up he is said, what you did. <laughs> he said, where would you go from right. here? Where do you go from here? House. Where would you go? Not so much that, though, but it's we haven't established a chemistry. We haven't told a story yet. This is the first chapter in our story. Mm. So, see, we worked now. So, if we were to go to work again... Well, then obviously I'm going to go back and watch the match that we had. He's going to do the same thing. And we're going to find ways to counter the things that we did before. So now we're making the pe- the story that we told even bigger. Yeah, like you're not going to land the Meteora this time. Maybe. Or, Exa- or something exactly. Like that. Yeah. Or maybe it. Exactly. Maybe he, I'll slip I out. I remember that. Fuck. Maybe you know? I'll slip out of this. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, as opposed to trying to do that in the first match. Because if I go to, if I go to a place I've never been before and I try to tease something that I don't, that they don't even know that I do, why does it even matter? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he kicked out of my finish. Well, they don't know what you finish. Exactly. If, they you, don't, fin- if you finish the match my, with a back elbow, it's finish. my job to teach them what, I, what I'm going to do. You right. know what I mean? And then once they know what I'm doing, then the next match is, how's he going to get there? Is he going to get there? Yeah. You know what I mean? Let me ask you this one, because this is something we experienced in PG together. How did you feel at level five? Because level three, same building, the PBD Knights of Columbus, you know, you have this this five way ladder match, and you become the champion, mm-hmm. and the place fucking erupts erupts for you. And maybe that room didn't know you, but they certainly did when you were done. Mm-hmm. So that would have been March. We come back in August, and you come out to the ring, arguably to like crickets. Now, yeah, it was a pro Conway audience, because Conway's family is from the area and his fan base is from the area, but like. How, what, it, all right, so one, how did you feel in that moment? And I know how you reacted in that moment, and I thought it was perfect. But what would you say to somebody who's maybe just getting started out, or maybe they've encountered that and didn't know what to do? Like, what would you say to that person? I'd say be you. Don't, 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 don't steer away. And just because, especially in my case, because on paper, I'm supposed to be babyface. But, you but when I got there, I, w- I knew I wasn't going to be. Yeah. But at the same time, this is one place. Right. I get it's his house. When we're in the chop shop, it's my house. Right. So I'm not going to beg you to for like your applause you. because I know no matter what I do, you want Conway. Yeah. So instead, I'm going to antagonize you about it. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to be like, oh, why aren't you cheering for me? It's just, okay, well, now I'm going to show you why you made a mistake, why you bet on the wrong guy. And that's exactly what you did. Like you came out and so, first of all, the first because I, you know, I, when I edit, I listen to it on the headphones. And the first thing I heard was, this is your champion from like the back of the room. And then someone goes, who even are you? And you're just like, oh, you're going to see. That was your response. You're like, oh, you're going to see in five minutes. And then no less than five minutes later, you're doing a flip off the fucking stage <laughs> and he's not catching you. You know, so like it was it was it was one of the, it was just one of those things where it's just like, yeah. And, but, you know, but I've heard from people going like. I don't know. Your champion didn't get a good reaction. Uh, should he be your champion? And I'm like, yes. 
<laughs> like, are you fucking? Are you really going? I to... get it. Then that's 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 understandable. But you know. my aunts, uncles, and brothers and sisters also weren't in the audience. Right. And I imagine they're probably a lot. It's bunch. a lot. It's a lot easier to be over when you sold a bunch of tickets to your family. Let me tell you something. If Aldo Montoya was over in your house, let me tell. Let me tell you something. If I'm if I was booked against Aldo Montoya, my entire Portuguese family would be there. We can do that, you know. They'll they will lose their minds. He's still he's still willing to they work will, as Aldo. They will lose their minds. But all right, hang on. Future Todd. Remember, book Aldo Montoya <laughs> against Mike Montoya. No. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. And you know, uh, this is what I. And by the way, this is. I think what we just did in the last probably twenty minutes or so. I think this was the absolute what I wanted from this podcast. We talked about some stuff that, if you were a lesser man, you would have got seriously upset. Yeah. If you were, and I say lesser man because I feel like if you're in your mid twenties to you know going on thirty, going on forty. You shouldn't be so goddamn sensitive about a critique. Right. And we see a lot of it. And sometimes the anger, sometimes the anger is justified. Yeah, man, it's normal to be like, oh, well, fuck that guy. You know what I mean? What, but did, what did I say earlier? I said, at least if I'm doing something that you don't think you like, tell me. And then I'm going to get inside of my head about it. And I'll probably get really fucking depressed about it if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. I'll fucking pull. Like I said, I'm bald for a reason. I pulled all my hair out a long time ago over the things people used to critique me for. Um, I just got tired of doing it. And, but like when I heard that particular criticism that I mentioned, I knew, I knew that they were angry. I like, I knew that where it was coming from. Oh, okay. All right. Like I, I knew where it was coming from and maybe they meant half of it. Maybe they meant all of it. Maybe they made two minutes, two, two times as much. But I, I heard that and I was just like, well, fuck it. Let's, let's put it in the machine yeah. and let's, and let's actually, no, let's actually fine. audit and I, it. And I can, and I can see that. That's, that's definitely that's definitely a, a, a hole in my game. Maybe I need to work on more, you know? You know, uh, you know, and but that's, I, I don't think I'm going to be in the business of making people like me these days. So especially I considering if, I don't know if I have to worry about it too much. No, probably not anymore. All right. Um, now here's, here's the third question. And I saved this one. Well, there was another one, but Buck, I don't think we're going to ask him uh, why he's skinny fat. Uh, <laughs> um, what was what was what was the question? Can you tell me what you're doing in the gym so I can avoid that so I don't look like you? Oh, that's kind of depressing considering I'm 20 pounds heavier than I was before. So you might want to take a little bit of advice instead of taking advice from Conway, who is doing his workouts at Starbucks and playing Dungeons and Dragons. All right. So our last question uh, in the fan question section is from uh, Buddy Coach C. And he says, uh, what are your thoughts on your action figure? And uh, as a kid growing up, did you always have action figures? No, I figured this would bring us deep into the weeds. All right, so it's going to get a little, a little personal, but so let's start. Let's start by um, little you, little me, and um, that you were the first head that I got commissioned back before I knew I was going to do anything like this, because I figured if I was going to do anything, it's my champion. Let's start there. A lot of people were like, how come you didn't get you done? Because I am not going to sell as many. <laughs> uh, that's why, to, to date, like the Conway figure has the most sales, but I've sold one of each guy. Right. When the Dick Lane figure goes out, I know that's going to be course, super popular. Of course. You know, and not only that, but I'm going to be surprised in all of this by, you know, who get and, and I mean, let's be real. Like, a lot of our families are just going to be like, oh, I want, I want, I want to have, exactly. I want true. a nephew figure. It's true. You know, like yeah. one of those, right? 
but like we also have a fan base and i think what's when it's really going to pick up is when shows are back and you can actually look at the table and go oh my god they're all here right you've done that i know yeah, you've done that course. i've done that you go into a toys r us back when when it was worth a I shit i mean i still do it now <laughs> i know so we go in we'd go into a, a place with toys and you'd be like oh my god look at all the guys yeah exactly you know? and that was back when they actually stocked shit worth a right. shit now all you're getting is aj styles's new gear yeah and i've got time. plenty of those Yep. As a, matter, as a matter of fact, I asked you before this podcast. I'm like, hey, send me a picture of uh, your figure wall. And you're like, brother. There is not one. <laughs> it, is mo- it is more than a wall. You're it's like, a room. I, I have to send you a video. You know, <laughs> so uh, I'll probably I'll probably put that over this while we're talking because, you know, so we can see it. But uh, these are our first series of figures. And I the question his question is like, like, how surreal is this? It's honestly a dream come true. I I didn't grow up. I wanted to be two things when I grew up. I wanted to be a Power Ranger and I wanted to be a pro wrestler. The other one's not really so realistic. Hey, I thought that about the Ghostbusters, but that shit worked out. It did work out for (laughs) you. So, it when I became when I actually became a wrestler, I never thought that I would have things like even merchandise. Like when I first got in, my first goal was to get gear. I didn't even think about that stuff. I didn't think about that stuff for years. So to have like. Just even like not just figures to have T-shirts, to have hats, to have magazine covers now, and all this other extra stuff that trading cards, trading cards. And, like yeah. man, it's just so humbling. It's it's mind blowing because I, from where where I came from, you don't get stuff like this. And we're definitely gonna jump into the where you came from stuff because I feel like, like I've said, I wanted to avoid like the career retrospective right. thing on everything. But if this is the first time anybody's being introduced to Mike Montero. I'd like to at least touch on it. So, okay. But, like, with the action figures thing, you know, it's like I was talking to you about this a little bit last night, and we were just like, oh, it was unreal. <laughs> that, that was our – That was our. That like, was my time, That man. was your life. Yeah, that was your life was. when you were a kid sometimes, you know? Um, Yeah, I did kind of – I did kind of have a lot growing up, but not – it's weird. I didn't have a lot of figures because I'd get them all the time. I had a lot of figures over the course of a period of time. Yeah. Because growing up, we didn't have money to just, okay, you can get something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. my mom would be like, hey, do you want do you want this figure? And I'd be like, only if you have the money. You know what I mean? Because we didn't have money early, to spend like Early that. age to be that kind of humble. And it was, as time would go on, you know, like, your army builds because of the years. And now, like, I've got my guys, like, specifically, like, my Triple H, who's, like, the same Triple H I've had since he was Hunter Hearst Helmsley, and his body is barely alive, and that's, like, the only one I got, you know? <laughs> so the I original mean? with, like, the black pants and the ponytail? I actually had a second version. I did have that one, too. Later on, I traded it with somebody and ended, ended up with it somehow. Yeah. But I had a, a second version where he had, like, the, the braid and, like, his, his tights, the maroon tights. Yeah, it was, like, the purple or whatever. Yeah, He was yeah. the game at that point. Yeah, they were really, yeah, it was... He was the game, but the the figure was super like bat like outdated. Like yeah. the gear was like not updated. So yeah, and I had those for the longest time. And then I remember one Christmas, I was in the third grade and I got like three action figures that year. And three was a lot. That was like. So would you say that the whoa. like the Jack's Bone Cruncher series was like the series you grew up on? Yes, Bone Crunchers. So I, I started my first figure is a Hulk Hogan Hasbro. Which one? Body uh, slam or uh, or the the big hug or or the just the standard muscle. It's like yeah, it's like standard muscle yellow the yellow tank top. I think it said Hulkster on the shirt. I think that was the third the headband. Of four. So the bandana wasn't 
American flag, but it was printed, but it was red and yellow. It's the red and yellow. So he didn't have the punch arm yet. No, it was just the okay. the, the like jacked arms. You know yeah, what I so mean? That, I think that was the third one. And I had a few out. of those before they made the switch to the bone crunchers. I yeah. had a few of those, but my first bone cruncher was Shawn Michaels decked out in all red. I had a Bret Hart. I had a lot of those actually. Did you have the same problem that a lot of people did with the limbs would fall off? Um, like early on. I had an Undertaker that, like, his skin was glow in the dark. Yes. And his body would just explode. Like, <laughs> I, he'd take a, bump, take a bump, and then his arms and his legs would fall apart, and his whole body would be apart, and I'd be so sad. Like, that, oh, that, was, that was a big problem the first year or the first series or whatever it was, and then they adjusted it over time. That was the only Undertaker I had for years, too. Mm. So I used to get so sad. I used to try to, like, t- tie something around his waist because it was the waist part, like the, the front of the body and the back. Once that came undone, everything else fell off, and it would just happen all the time. Yeah, um, I'd say I had a lot of the Tron ready figures. Like, oh man, I fell out on. And those. they were so bad, though. I hated them, but like, I was so I just wanted. I didn't have a lot, so I just once they came out, I was so excited. And then they started making the belts for them look a little bit more realistic. That's what I wanted to ask you about for the belts, like, because everybody everybody's got like a different yet similar story. Mm-hmm. Like, were you the kind of person who was like, oh, man, I got all these figures, but, like, fucking, you know, these belts are cool. I want these belts, you know? Like, um, Weird. Like, I got belts so that I would have championships for my guys to defend. Yeah. You know what I mean? I didn't so much care about collecting the belts so much as, right, I, right. like, for the longest time, I had one tag team championship that came with one of my Tron Ready figures, and that was my world title for months because it was the only was one I had. had. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, when I was... um. Because I started collecting them, or I started getting them, re- getting really into them when Hasbro started. I wasn't really much into the LJNs. I don't think I was really. I was born in '86. I had, yeah, I, I had a couple so. of those that washed up on the beach one time, and like one, and the Hogan's face was all spray painted blue and stuff. Like it was yeah. all messed up. Yeah, I, I went to. Um, oddly enough, there's a, a flea market called Todd's Farm nice. <laughs> in the area, and I remember going there with my grandfather, and they had a basket of like LJNs. It might. I don't think it was a complete set, but it was a shitload of them, and they were only a buck a piece. Damn. And my grandfather was like, "You can get ten dollars worth." Because mm-hmm. I didn't have my own money then, you know, and right. ten dollars worth of like I didn't have any money. Ten dollars worth, and that means ten new guys. <sighs> exactly. Fuck. Ten big dog toy figures. Perfect. Because <laughs> you know? that's that's how I felt yeah. about them, you know. Like I did, they they didn't really integrate with my with my guys. Right. At least Galoob did the right thing. My and, favorite style was they didn't last long, but they're kind of similar to the Mattel figures now. They were called R three Tech. Ah, uh, yes, with the really the really detailed faces. Yeah, and like the. I remember, though, people used to give him grief because, like, I remember I had a Chris Benoit figure and his legs were, like, super skinny. But, yeah. like, Chris Benoit's legs were super skinny. You That's know what thing. I mean? Those, like, figures, they... those figures were so realistic. Like, I get heat for these. Right, because of how jacked we all are and exactly. all that stuff. Yeah, I got you. Like, how come, like, how come Tim Kilgore's got pecs? Because Tim Kilgore's got pecs, man. <laughs> um, I, I thought it was important to include uh, the belts. Right. Like, uh, you know, Dennis... De- uh, Conway. Conway comes with the Bay State title because mm-hmm. that was his biggest title to date. Right. I'll probably come with it as well because I, I consider that my belt. You right. Know, really, when it, when I look back on shit. So the PG title makes sense coming with you. We also have, like, you know, we've got the, the okay to do the RWA titles. That's and awesome. And the Elk Belt. Obviously, since the merger, all the Elk Belts. Um, as far as, like, figures now, that's – that the reason my collection is so big is because – well, like I said before, when I was a kid, I couldn't just be like, I'm going to grab this. But when I was going through 
Well, I guess I, I've never really talked about it before, but when I was going through my addiction, I needed something that was going to make me not spend my money in a stupid way. And when I thought about why I was an addict in the first place, a lot of it has to do with the things that I didn't have growing up and a lot of the struggles I went through growing up. And a lot of those same struggles you face as an athlete and as a, as a professional and wondering if you're going to be able to overcome them. And sometimes the thing that you use as your escape can also be your worst enemy. And for a while, wrestling was bad for me because I was using it as my outlet to party and really just bring my career down. I mean, I don't have anyone to blame for the fact that I haven't progressed further other than myself and my own stupid choices. Mm. But the figures were kind of like, okay, I could spend this money here or I could get this thing. And like, it took me to a different place. My, my buddy got me my first uh, AJ Styles elite figure and he yeah. knows AJ Styles is my favorite wrestler of yeah. basically of all time. And I looked at that and it just brought back memories. Like, man, I remember when I used to collect these. And then I started thinking like, man, I used to beg my mom all the time or like, hey, you think I could get this this time? And it would always be like, no. And not because no, because I don't want to get it for you. No, because I simply you just can't. can't. You yeah. know what I mean? And that opened my eyes. I was like, but I can now, you know, because I have this money. And it turned into like this big crazy thing. Like now I collect them all the time. First it was, well, I'll collect the ones that actually specifically, I'll collect the ones that have different style belts. Like I got an Ultimate Warrior with the blue powdered winged eagle title. So like, yeah. at first it was like that. And I would look to see if I could find them under 15 bucks. And then like I just, anytime I feel weak or anytime I feel like I'm not myself, Man, I'll just hit up, I'll just hit up Amazon and I'll just stop buying a whole bunch of shit. Yeah. And like it helps. It works because like then I can see that shit on the wall and I can know, hey man, someday if I want to get rid of these things, I can make a I can make a pretty penny off of them or if one day, I mean, my my sister, she has a daughter. I don't know if she's ever going to be into grappling or not, but if she is, Maybe that's something I can give to her. You Barbie know what I mean? needs a boyfriend. So you know think, what I'm saying? Uh, I think Evan Bourne, <laughs> his original gear, would probably be a... Yeah, you know? So, like, oh. so like I think about those things all the time. It's like, it, it's kind of... It became an investment. Yeah. More so. You... So, see, shit, I didn't know any... Like, you and I have, have talked a little bit about that period of your life. But I don't, I don't pry, because right. I, I understand how that shit is. And... Uh, from the outside i'll never be able to understand from the inside i know people get jazzed about that when when people talk like that i understand no you don't yeah i know but so what you so basically first of all that makes these things mean a shitload more to me save my life like you you've got a room full of toys and from an outsider's perspective maybe somebody will see that and go what a dork and then you hear this shit and you realize that fucking room full of toys saved this motherfucker's life yeah you know, and, 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 and I'm looking at this going, and I didn't know any of that when I went into this venture. I just wanted to do this because when I was a kid, all I ever wanted was my own toy. And I tried like hell to crap. I put a, I put a, I put a razor through my hand oh, man. when I was young, trying to shave that terrible Shawn Michaels figure with the hard plastic hair. Right. Trying to make him into something else. <laughs> and I put a razor right through my hand, and I'm just like, ah, fuck this. And then I got older, and I and I just kept working to try and make this happen. Yeah, and 3D printing became a thing. But now that I'm looking at it, and I'm just like, fucking action figures saved Mike Montero. It's crazy. And now Mike Montero's got a fucking action figure. It, I, like I said, I can't. There aren't words to describe it. 
I don't, you know, like I, I'm glad you got through it, man. Yeah, me like, too. I don't, I mean, I don't know how, like I've seen some stuff in my time from my friends and I don't know how they come back. I'll never glorify or like, that's the thing. Like we're having this conversation for the first time. This is the first time I've spoken about it to anyone. Yeah. I've never gone on a pub, gone out publicly and spoken on it because that's the thing. I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, but I didn't want anybody to know because I didn't want that to be a catalyst for my bookings. Didn't want that to become your gimmick. Exactly. You know, and that's not, and that has nothing to do with anyone else. I know right off the gate, people will have something to say about that. And that's, and it's not like that. Like yeah. I get it. I know exactly but what I just, you're thinking. Yeah. I just, I know the real struggle and I know what it's like to let people around me down and to lie to my friends' faces about something and pretend that I'm strong when I'm dying inside. And I don't want to make a mockery of that. And I don't want to glorify it because it's not a good thing. And I did a lot of shitty things to a lot of good people. And I squandered a lot of opportunities that could have catapulted me and helped me live my dream. And I'm not getting any younger. So the fact is some of my best years are already behind me and that's my fault. Yeah. The only thing I can do now is be better. What are you, 28, 29? 29. I'm just going to say this. Because I love you. And I... I think that in my time as a wrestling fan, I don't think the wrestlers that we have all grown up loving were ever as good as they needed to be until they were in their 30s. Like, I heard somebody say on something, jokingly, it's like, shit, back when I was doing this shit, guy wasn't good until he was at least 32. Right. You know? And uh, you are... Now, remember, I wasn't around for what we've talked about privately. It's like the peak RWA days. But I got to imagine... That you're a better athlete, performer, worker, technician than you ever were then. It's only gotten better. And you still got a two in front of your age. I'm going to tell you from my position. When I went to wrestling school for the first time, I was 19 years old. And I couldn't, I didn't have what I needed to have, like mentally, to be able to do it. I also didn't drive till I was 30. If I had a car when I was 19, maybe I would have fucking done all these drives. Right. And I was I was going to a school that was led by killer fucking Kowalski. Right. <laughs> like I was going to learn something. Yeah, for sure. And maybe I and I and I've said to myself, I've said on podcasts before, I think I would have made it somewhere had I started dedicating myself then. Right. You've been doing this for the last decade. And you have gotten increasingly good. Once again, People will bust my balls for the fact that, oh, of course Mike Montero was your first <laughs> yeah. your first guest. Why is he your champion for so long? Blah, 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 blah. Because I fucking believe in him and he's good. You know? And I what did I what did I tell you about AEW? I said, dude, I was reading about Top Flight. And Top Flight got their fucking there it was dark match or right, tryout match. Just by match. harassing basically just, Matt just, Jackson, Just right? by fucking messaging, getting into fucking Matt Jackson's DMs on Instagram. And I'm just like, dude, I will drive you to Florida. Just fucking do it. Just to say you can. 
And the thing is, we have a lot of friends. You probably way more than I have a lot of friends that are in positions where they could go, hey, look at my buddy. Yeah, I mean, Seiji, right off the bat, man, that kid's done so much for me since before he was even a wrestler, you know? AG reached out to me to congratulate me on something that wasn't happening. <laughs> he saw a poster for something on, uh, I forget what it was, but it was somebody, the Proving Ground is a very common name. So right. somebody called something Proving Ground, and he was like, he sent me a picture of it. And before he could say a word, I'm like, yeah, it's a very common name. I'm not surprised. And he's like, oh, I thought this was you. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. But like, I'm like, he's in the WWE right now. Yeah. He, they put him on TV immediately. And he's reaching out to fucking, you know, fucking chubby talks a lot to fucking, <laughs> to, to fucking congratulate me on something that he thought that I succeeded in. And I'm just like, we have got a shitload of cool friends. Yeah. That could probably. That's true. That could, and the thing is, there's there's an old there's I've talked to wrestlers over the course of the last you know several five years since PG really opened and I was like really like fuck it I'm just gonna talk to these people and see if they'll work with me, and um, I've talked to people and and sometimes some of them are just like, you know like yeah no one's reaching out and I'm just like you gotta grab that shit by the balls man you gotta go and get it mm -hmm. and a lot of people was like well you know blah 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 but there was a I think it might have even been a Fresh Prince. It was like Uncle Phil was talking to Carlton. He's like, do you think I got to where I am in life because nobody opened any doors for me? Right. Like, it doesn't make you any less of a person to fucking reach out and go, hey, use me. Like, I'll, I'll, you know, you don't even have to fucking pay for my flight. I'll drive to Florida. I guess that's my problem is that I, my entire life, I've never been given a hand, given a handout. I've never been given that, that hand. So I just don't feel comfortable asking for it. You, I, there's also a part of you that probably doesn't think it's there. Maybe. Maybe. But but it is, and I'm telling you, man. And I'm not just saying that because you're. My, I'm not just saying this because you're my friend or that you're my top guy or the guy I gave the belt to or the first guy in the podcast or whatever. He's got nice hair. You know, it's like it's like I'm <laughs> not. Do, I'm do. not saying this for. You should have saw how upset he was when I said we had to wear. Headphones. Oh, the headsets, man. I, I was I was getting prima donna Shawn Michaels style <laughs> over here. It's like I'm having a good hair day. I ain't wearing the fucking headsets. No way. Um, but I'm saying this because I believe in you, and I think that. There are a handful in our crew that could go out there and do amazing things and get these kind of opportunities. And all they have to do is go and get them. And I will do everything I can to try and help facilitate. Fuck, I reached out to Randy Carver uh, at one point in the beginning of this, and I said, hey, I got this match between Mike Montero and Sean Leader. Would you be willing to put it on your channel? just to get mm -hmm. some eyes on it from your fan base. And then I talked with him about, hey, would you allow me to... Because he's never posted those early, early shows, as far as I know. I said, or, No, they're not there yeah. yet. So I, I said, would you allow me to post the Mike Montero shit that you have, like the, the first Limitless match and shit like that? Because we're working, like I said, for... 2021 i want our youtube channel to be like a destination so there's this thing i came that i want to do called uh proving ground around the indies where it's like my guys and gals working in other promotions yeah. that will give me the okay to post their shit and i've got like like 12 to 15 different places that have said right. okay you know and that's a lot that's a lot of fucking content to put out there and i and i immediately was like randy do you think i could post mikey shit and he was like yeah absolutely in trade for like uh you know, Alexander Lee matches that I might have. Right. Or, you know, the, or mm -hmm. the Posse Boys, you know. Um, 
But I'm like, of all of us. And I apologize to my crew if they take this the wrong way. But of all of us who are regularly a part of the proving ground, I think we're all in agreement that we could say, dude, out of all of us, you can do this. Go get it. I appreciate that. You know, I like, and I, and I understand the feeling because I had that my whole life. I didn't think I was any good. And there are a lot of people that are watching this going, you're still not good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But yeah. like, I didn't think I was any good until I captivated a fucking audience every fucking time I went in front of it. And I'm just like, I had the T fucking said to me once, he's like, you know, every time you speak, you have the fucking audience in the palm of your hand. They're not quiet because they're not listening. They're quiet because they are listening. You know, and it's just like, okay. And I didn't start getting bookings anywhere. I started, I had my first professional match in 2006. Right. I didn't start getting real bookings until after the first Elkmania because they found out I was the fat guy that could do the moonsault. (laughs) That's it. JC, fucking Doug Summers came up to me. He's like, you'll be getting a friend request from me. My name is Doug Jorgensen. And uh, I'm going to be running shows here. Like, I forget where. It never happened, I don't think. (laughs) But he was just like, uh, I really like what you can do. Like, I was doing heel character work, and I was very agile for a 335-pound guy. Right. You know? And then as the time went on, it's like I did the thing with with Jack Ruger, and that got over in different places, and then the Dick Busters, and that got over in places. And it's like, oh, that agile fat guy can carry his weight, all of it. You know, you right. know, so it's like, you know, and then I got hurt and then that became a meme. <laughs> so it's like it's like he's not the agent of change. He's the agent of complaining about the metal in his neck. Like, that's who he is. But that's fine. It's fine. But the long and short of it is, is I feel like if I had started early and actually. I'm going to say this about myself because I think it's a fair assessment. If I didn't spend most of my life chasing pussy down the rabbit hole and actually focused on what I really wanted in life. I had two dreams in life. I wanted to be a wrestler, and I wanted to have a family, own a house, that kind of shit, right? And I spent most of my young life trying to rectify that second thing. Meet the girl. Get married. Have, right. have the, you know, whatever. And then, you know, or, or, or whatever, in the course of that, also work on this dream. And I, I unfortunately didn't have what AG had which was the mental acumen really early in life yeah. to go to like I was a backyard asshole and I thought I knew more than I did and I didn't know anything. Right. You know, and I went to killer Kowalski. I went to chaotic when Kowalski was there and I was there for maybe two months and then I was back to being a backyard asshole. And then I started doing PZW, which you can find on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I started doing PZW, which was basically backyard in a ring at the forge in New mm-hmm. Bedford. And and then I started going to Maverick Wild's place, and then I stopped, and I went back to doing PZW. You know, and you fast forward ten years or whatever, and I'm finally doing what I always wanted to do, which, believe it or not, I always wanted to be the booker. You know, yeah. I always I always wanted to be the creative force because right. I knew my body wasn't going to take the beatings forever. But it's like I always wanted to set myself up for the post career, which is why I love I love doing commentary at NCW because e- even if even if that surgery didn't happen or I wound up in a fucking chair because mm-hmm. I had I had a fucking I, I basically had uh I, it wasn't a broken neck it was I had two um like herniated discs yes and it was so bad that the discs were like crab meat leaking out of my fucking spine so it was it was pushing on my nerves I lost my right arm for about about a year. 
and I didn't know it because my doctor refused to do MRIs for a while. He's like, oh, it's very costly. And I'm just like, I'm screaming when I lie yeah. down. Help me. I did the backflip off the cage with two herniated discs in my neck. Didn't know it. Right. This was right before it started getting really, really bad. I even said it on Facebook recently. I said that was probably that was probably the last real moment. Mm-hmm. Because after that, I was just like, all right, I've done everything I'm, I really plan to do on this level. And I, I, got to, I got to live out my dreams, but they weren't the dreams that I had when I was a kid. They didn't look the same. Right. And I think that's, I think that's like, if you've ever seen an interview with like Raven, and he says, because I never won the world title, my career was a failure. Are you fucking kidding me? I relate to his character so much. And people, do, I don't, that doesn't come across in my wrestling but I relate to Raven's character so much because a lot of, and I don't know if Raven's character is an extension of who he was or how he lived as a human being, but the way Raven's character lived his life is the way I live my life. So I totally relate to him so much. And I think a lot of, a lot of the, um, I guess I, I live with guilt almost. And I battle guilt over the fact that I spent my 20s enamored with the fact that I was there and not so much taking in the knowledge because we're looking at kids now who are 19, 20, 21 years old and they pick this up and they get it so easily. The AJs and the, and the, the guns essentially. Even, even, even beyond that, like oh, yeah. the, the Alec prices and you know Absolutely, what I mean? Like, yeah. the, like those people. And I didn't understand what I was doing until I was 23, 24. And by that point, the bad side of this business had already consumed me. Already got you, yeah. Like, I came up in a time where guys were still regularly drinking in the locker room, and it was acceptable. Mm. There there was a lot of stuff being passed. I, I wasn't in a locker room during the Attitude Era, but I caught, when I started training, I got caught up in the tail end of wrestling, starting to make the transition of not being PG anymore. And the locker room's... Most definitely weren't PG. <laughs> and I was a 17-year-old kid being exposed to grown men and how they act and react. And to be one of them, I had to do what they did. And I got so wrapped up in being one of the boys that I forgot about being a pro. Right. And I did a lot of stupid things that I shouldn't have done. And I got myself wrapped up in things that took years off of my career. Like, there's, there's no doubt about it. That's that's the that's the bitterness and the and the guilt that I live with is that if I stayed on track and I and I kept that same motivation like you were saying like I was on and off at so many different schools you know what I mean I would go yeah. I would go somewhere for a little while and I would stop like the biggest time I spent was with Dan and Brian and Brickhouse Baker right like, at the, right at the beginning when you were the hungriest yeah, exactly and then once I once I got in and oh show's over we're going to party here or you know what I mean like that got me man I I felt like a rock star and I lived a even though, even though, like I didn't, I didn't progress to the heights that I wanted to. In my mind, I was already there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I partied like I was already there. So it, it consumed me, and it put me in a position where now I feel like, like man, my knees hurt every single day. Yeah. My neck's hurting every day. My back hurts every single day. Five years ago, I was invincible. I, 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 there was nothing. You're there, not made of rubber no more. There was nothing yeah. I couldn't do, and now I feel, I feel the the effects of of age you know what i mean and it's it, it's scary time is undefeated it's scary and it's something that i battle with like now 
That's why I'm trying so hard to get myself into shape because that's the up until today, mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm willing to accept that. I didn't I didn't realize that maybe I don't work the crowd so well. But before that, to me, the hole in my game was that I wasn't big and that I don't have a body. Size, yeah. You know what I mean? I don't have size. Let, let's say little Montero. You know, you yeah, know what little, I mean? So Montero gets them both. That to me, that's where I'm that's where I'm at because I don't and it's not to it's not a an egotistical thing not to toot my own horn, but I can talk. Yeah. And I can walk. And it's real. Like I don't have to I don't have to sit here and give you wrestling promo 101. I'm going to tell you how I feel because that's what I always do. I don't I don't have a lot of friends, but the friends I do have is because I I tell them how it is. Yeah. And that's what I always do and it's the same deal in the ring. I I I worked my I I screwed around a little bit, but I worked my ass off. I never stopped loving what happens bell to bell. And Sometimes I used my I used what was going on with me to mask what was happening like out there in the ring and but at the same time wrestling saved me so many times. I know so many people like I'll never understand, oh man, I'm having a real bad time in my personal life. I better take a break from wrestling. I'll never un- I will never relate and understand somebody who does that. I will take and it don't get like and this that doesn't make them wrong. Yeah. But I will never relate to that because every time I wanted to die, every time I didn't think there there was anything in this world that was going to save me, I got in the ring and I tore the house down with somebody and it made me feel alive again. Yeah, that and, was that was the lifesaver. And what and I think that's I guess that's why I feel so guilty because you can create that you can create that feeling, but then you you squander it because you add stuff to it because you think this is going to make the feeling better. And then you pre this is the mind this is the real mind fuck here because you pre can you get so used to what you're doing you know what I'm I'm going to stop masking it you get so used to being consumed with the drugs and doing what you're doing and you get so used to being high that you just function high all the time so you don't you don't have to worry about it and all those fears and insecurities you had before they're gone man because when you're out there and you're doing your thing all you know is I'm wrestling you and I got to make these people care and that's the only thing that goes on in your mind. Mike Montero, when he has a clear path of vision, when he has a clear mindset, what if they don't like me? What if I come out and it's crickets? What if they think I'm too skinny? What if I look like shit? What if I botch this? What if I'm what if this is my only high profile match I'm ever gonna have? Those are things that creep up into your mind. And what kept me going down that path for so long is the fact that I could just well, now I'm high, so like, fuck it. I don't, I don't know what's going on anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just gonna go out there and wrestle, and then you have good matches, and it tricks you into thinking that you're good, and yeah. that that's the way you can be good, and you can't be good without it, and that, and that's what sucks because some of my best matches happen like that, and I, and I feel fucking horrible. Like, I feel horrible that I can say that, that some of my best matches I, I shared the ring with people under the influence, and I shouldn't have been like that. Yeah, that's horrible, and I and I'll never forgive myself for that. But the biggest mindfuck about it is, when it's over and you find yourself where I am now. At first, you don't know if you can do that. When I when I finally got myself in a clear frame of mind and was trying to wrestle, I was fucking terrified because it was like I was there all over again. First day, starting over. Yeah. Nobody knows that I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. Am I still good? Am I still able to do this? That's the scariest part. Is finding yourself after that. Yeah. And I found myself 
God, six, five, six years later. And that's what's scary, you know? Like, that's that's why I feel like I have so much guilt and regret because if I didn't put myself in that position, I, I know I'd be somewhere else right now. And whether I find my, my way there or not, I wasted a lot of my best years. And while I didn't, while it seems like I didn't waste them in, in the terms of time, I wasted them in the terms of my body because I abused it in so many different ways that I don't know how much longer I can do this. Right. That is why I continue to go hard wherever I am because I don't know. You know what I mean? I want to do this forever. We all want to do this forever. You know what I mean? Trust me, I know. We all want to do this forever, but time waits for no man. And time is undefeated. Exactly. It does no jobs. No. Sometimes we can fight it back. Ric Flair doesn't have a bump card. No. Like, sometimes we can fight it back, but, you know, in the end, time will get us all. And... Once you realize that, sometimes it's the, um, you know, sometimes it's the best thing. Right. Now, in my life, whenever, because you mentioned, like, I don't understand people getting rid of wrestling, you know, when they're the most down. Like, maybe I'll just walk away from this thing that I love. I'm also a musician. You know, I spent a long time learning how to play guitar. I spent a long time learning how to sing and how to catch the right notes and all that shit. And I got depressed at one point I think it might have been like um, 2017 2018 probably a little bit before that and the depression took away my interest in playing and I still pick it up from time to time and I still like like it used to be every day you know I'd pick it up and play like a concert's worth of fucking songs just sitting in my bedroom just to get better Mm mm-hmm and then something happened, and I'm and I and I say something because you know me, I'm not shy right. about talking about my personal life, but uh, especially with all that you've shared. But I honestly, the scariest part of it is I can't pinpoint what what it was. But one day my depression got to me so badly that it's just like I looked at my guitar and I just went, nope, no thank you. And even to this day, now that we're in 2021, so it's been you know four or five years, I still don't pick it up every day anymore and the thing is as an entertainer with the wrestling i always said you know the day is going to come that i'm not going to be able to wrestle anymore so at least i'll have this outlet to be a still be a performer Mm -hmm. and then the shit happened with my neck and i took a walk and now i'm 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 basically solely behind the scenes besides any other stupid ideas i might come (laughs) up with in the future yeah but uh I don't feel like I still have that that same safety net. Right. Which is why shit like this became a reality. Yeah. Because it's just like, I have so much, my biggest fear in life, and I think a lot of people have this, but they don't put it into words. My biggest fear in life is dying before I meet my potential. Right. And I still feel that, I'm going to be 35 on Saturday. I still feel like I have so much to give, so much that I can do, and so much that I can, like, are you a video game guy? Sometimes. I loved video games growing up. And if you look around this this room, I know the cameras can't see it, but if you look around this room, it's like I got a 64, I got a PS2, I got all this old shit. I got all the games on my computer. Downstairs, mm-hmm. I've got a collection of hundreds of games that I just never, because I just don't believe in trading them in and getting rid of them because right. I want to play them again and then they'll cost hundreds of dollars. Right. But I have all these games, but I have half of that collection has never been played or opened. A lot of it's still in plastic because when I was a kid, that's what I did because I didn't have a job. Mm-hmm. 
And then I got to a point where it was just like, I am so busy with having a real job and then also focusing on my interests and my creative ventures. Like COVID happened and I made a fucking Hasbro factory in my attic. And, you know, I'm doing that. I feel like sitting down and playing a video game, which used to be like something for fun and to unwind is work now. Yeah, I know what you mean. I'm the same way. It's like I can't sit down. I can't sit down and watch a movie by myself. (laughs) I've said that. I've said that to I've said that to people before. It's like unless I'm dating someone, I never really sit down to watch movies. You know, it's usually like a TV show. Like I just I just blistered through 60 days in. Yeah. Where people voluntarily go to jail for 60 days oh, horse shit but uh <laughs> but like i just i can do that because i can put it on the background mm-hmm. while i'm working you know yeah and i'm not missing anything because it's trash tv but like i look at these things and i'm just like i got all these really cool games all these really good stories and adventures to have but i can't bring myself to do it because i feel like nah, i got too much to do you know and and that's what i feel like when when you mention like when people are just like fuck you know wrestling's the thing that i love i gotta throw it out to to fucking get myself right when you realize that it's 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 there to hold your hand man i'm so i'm like and that's why i'm so grateful for t because man so many times i've just i've lost myself so many times and i've had to put on that brave face and because man i'm i'm not one of those people who goes and spews my how i feel I, i i'm not good at it you don't i can't do it like, I, I was. Just, uh, I'm. I'm gonna be real with you. I am very surprised that we are having this conversation. I'm a little scared. I'll be honest. I'm a little afraid of what will come from the, what I've said here. But I am who I am, and I can't run away from who I am. Yeah. And I'm just so grateful for T because there are so many times where creating moments in his ring helped me. Yeah. And saved me. And when nobody else cared. And when I didn't mean anything to anybody, T made me. I had the best times of my life in his ring. And I won't trade anything I did there for anything in the world. One of my biggest regrets was meeting him late. And, and it's funny, I've told him this. We met at Fenway. <laughs> it was, uh, I forget which, it, wasn't, it was either the second or the third one. Because uh, I think they did four. Maybe. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I, so. I did yeah. two of however many they did. And we were familiar with each other. Like we ran parallel for years. Right. And, uh, and I didn't, um, you know, we never met. And then the first day we met, he's like, I think a hug is in order. Guy I've never <laughs> met in my life. You know, he's just like, I feel like you and I are like the same person. Right. Bring it in. You know? And from then we were, we were very very fast, very close friends. And, you know, once again, he opened the door for me to do for the first time ever to do live shows in front of a paying audience. And this is something I don't talk about in public and I'm still not really going to talk too much about it, but, um, we all know that something went down in the summer. Right. And the details of which we don't need to discuss. And, you know, I'm making, you know, I'm just by saying that I'm making it sound like a bigger deal than it was, but the long and short of it is, is it came at a very sensitive time. And in that process, it looked like I was going to lose a business partner and a friend in T. Right. All because T at the time needed to do what he thought was the right thing. And I don't fault him for that. Right. But I was fucking angry and I, cause I was hurt. 
not because what happened happened. I mean, once again, it is what it is. We're not going to get into it. But the long and short of it is this. I was really upset that I lost him or it felt like I lost him or it felt like like we were still friends on Facebook, but mm-hmm. it, it wasn't the same. A lot of people don't know this because it's not really it was so long ago. It doesn't matter anymore. But we also had a falling out and I left RWA for a year and I was angry, too. But every day it's so funny because I was angry, too, and I was so mad at him. But every day I thought of a way of how we could turn this into an angle. How we could every, bring it back every single day. Yeah, and I, and I remember, and I was talking with, um, I was spending a lot of time talking with Tom, and we know that Tom is T's like right hand man. Of course, and, and you know, and I was talking, and I'm like, Tom, like I don't think I've ever really experienced anything like this before, and I, and I, and I hate this feeling. Please, right. please help me through this. And he's just like, shit, like this happens all the time. You know, give it some time; it'll mm-hmm. work itself out. And it did. He was right. And he was right, and it did. But like, right in the beginning, I was just like, "Fuck," you yeah. know. It's just like I had this powerhouse of a fucking of a friend and a business uh, business. It, like, it's very hard to find people that you trust. Yeah, man, it's so true. And he's one of the good ones for sure. He he and he doesn't he doesn't get enough credit. It, and it's one of those things where it's just like, there was a to do, with like um, with another promotion. And and the RWA and it all had to do with scheduling. Mm-hmm. And I think you remember this. Yeah. And I listened to both sides. Both sides were right. But all anybody remembered of it was how angry T was. I know what you mean. Yeah. You know. And it's like sometimes, sometimes all anybody knows is the worst of you. And I, I, I remember telling T the first time I actually saw T. I was working a Nova show. Mm-hmm. I watched that motherfucker sprint across the room to slap some out-of-towner in the face because it looked like he was going to hurt one of his chairs. I know. And then he came in the locker room and he's like, if any of you try to break any of my chairs, I'll fucking kill you. And I'm like, well, hello to you too. <laughs> it's not a game. <laughs> I even, but I even, and I didn't, I didn't talk to him, didn't, whatever, because mm-hmm. he was just there because it was a rental. I messaged him on Twitter, I think. I, I just sent a private message. I'm like, I'm, I just wanted to say, hey. Just wanted to say I had nothing to do with, <laughs> with whatever let's that. Squash that heat right now. Well, let me just squash this shit right now, and you know whatever. And then at le- even before level one, I was like, I was still kind of tiptoeing around them. Mm-hmm. I was just like, so uh, they might bring some some like barbed wire into the match or something like that. And I know how and I know how you feel about certain shit. And he just once again, we barely knew each other, and he mm-hmm. was he was simply like, no, I trust you. And I'm just like. Well, thanks, <laughs> you know, because lo- I guess a lot of people would rent the place and just completely trash it, and not give a yeah, shit. Yeah, no, there was a lot of people who treated it like shit. So, so yeah, I, I, the moral of the story, T. Phoenix is is an A-plus fucking guy who's a human, just like the rest of us, and he, he, just like all of us, he has to do things. He's my Vince McMahon. <laughs> he does. I, I, like, he I've, does been, I've been there since the beginning. I've seen it all. <laughs> he does. He does. You know, sometimes, you know, sometimes we got to do things that we have to do. And he's one of those guys. And, but the good part was, is that when things got resolved and, you know, and it, and it took quite a bit of work uh, for me to try and figure out the details of this particular situation. Mm-hmm. But when I did, and we we set and we talked about it and everything, and squared everything away, it was just like that anger that I felt towards him about like how I literally and I'm I don't know if I ever said this to him, but 
I actually said to Tom and myself, and I was just like, yeah, even if this ever does blow over, how could I, how could I be like, well, fuck, I got dropped. Yeah, I know. Like, how that, do, and then you got to think about that, that that's ego. Exactly. And I spent, I spent two and a half months racking my brain, trying to figure shit out. And then when I finally got it, I was just like, ah. And then we figured it out. Once again, right. we're not going into it. But the long and short of it is, is the anger that I had towards, like, how could I ever, how could I ever work with him again? Immediately fucking disappeared. Because it was just like, because I, I took the time to be like, no, he did the right thing. And then we, we sussed it out. And that was it. He's one of the best for when it comes to giving something to everybody and making every person on the card matter. Yeah. He's the best at that. Every person has a place. You're, you're, he's not booking you on the show just so you're there. Right. Like everybody there, there's b- before your name is written on the card, there's the synopsis of what you're what doing. You're doing. Yeah. Every person has that. And like you don't see that everywhere. And he took this thing from the the ground, literally the ground, and he made it into maybe we don't. I hate even I hate even saying it like this, but I feel like everybody does it. Like maybe we don't get the the right attention or the neg or we get negative attention. But nah, man, screw that. Like we've been getting attention. Yeah. For over a decade, we've sold out venues that are, that people who legitimately have continued to draw. Well, not so much draw. That's not what I meant. But yeah. people who have run in these buildings, we've outdrawn people who do it consistently on a one on a one shot. You know what I mean? So like, we've proven that we're here to stay. You know what I'm saying? And T Phoenix did that all on his own. All of it. Yeah. Like, I, I I, wouldn't be where I am without him. He's always put me in a position to succeed. Always. Yeah. And he's always listened to me. He's never... I've never done something that I didn't want to do there. Yeah. And, like, that's, and that's a creative freedom that most don't have. If I didn't believe in it, I didn't have to do it. And that's because he knew if I didn't believe in it, then it wasn't going to work. Yeah. No, that's that's... That is the kind of atmosphere. And I remember when you first came to, to PG when we were doing tapings in Salisbury, you were just like, Oh, it's got that it's got that old RWA vibe. And I took that as a as a major compliment. It felt good. It felt it felt mm-hmm. like old times. You know, and, and and at the time I was just like, I really don't know what that means. Cause and once it's not I'd like to I'd like to dig into it. But like uh you know, like I don't know what that means because I didn't see it. Right. You know? It was funny, uh, early on in PG, there was a, a taping before Christmas or something like that, and I just brought a box of DVDs that I didn't need anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, sh- shit I burned. I got a shitload of DVDs, right. thousands and thousands of them that I just don't use no more. And um, people were digging through it, and Tom found an RWA show that I had put on nice. a, that I had downloaded and put on a DVD. Nice. And I, I don't think it was anything like particularly special to me or anything. I think it was during a time where it was just like, oh, wrestling, I can download it. Fuck, I'm going to get everything, right. you know. And they were around here. And it's just like I remember seeing Sean Leader years and years and years yep. before I ever met him. And then I met him at Nova, and I'm just like, you're that fucking guy. Right. Because <laughs> you're kind of specific looking. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, that fucking guy. And then Stephen Lust left a handprint on his back. But <laughs> doing a knee lift. Anyway, um, but like, yeah. So the the moral of all of this is the the amount of um, the amount of passion and work that T Phoenix has put Without in a doubt. over the over all this time. Without a doubt, is is it's unparalleled. Man, like we were just talking last week, sent him an idea for a shirt. Dude, 
he had it all said and done. I mean, you helped him out a little bit at, towards the end, but he's new to this thing and you helped yep. him fine tune his deal. But like, he knew exactly where to go, what to do. He had it done for me, no questions asked. You know, what he, I the file like, the file he sent me, like I put I put a little salt on it. But I mean, like the, exactly. fi- the file he sent me, I was just like, how the fuck did you do this? You know, because I looked at it, I'm like. Why is he blue? How'd that happen? <laughs> he looks like a fucking Star Wars hologram. I don't know how to do nah, that. That's pretty sweet. You know? But I was just like, this is pretty good. And then I'm just like, and then he's just like, unlike you, Todd, uh, there are 24 hours in my day. <laughs> so I was just like, not to me, brother. <laughs> Send me the file. I'll work with him. Because I know you're working overnight. Yep. You know? So, and we figured that shit out. But it was, um, you know, I'm glad. I'm glad we got that piece of business done. Yeah, I mean, I'll just, I'll always have RWA. I'll hold it cl- so close to me. Big da- BigDaddyTees.com. Yeah, there you go. BigDaddyTees.com. Yeah. Yes, no, but T, T is, um, T is just one of those one of a kind guys. And, uh, I'm glad that our, that our situation resolved itself. Uh, I'm glad I had a chance to at least try and resolve the issue at hand. And I've just, I've just had such a great career there. I've, yeah. I've told, the when when it's all said and done because i know I, I i came back and didn't really get a chance to get my feet off the ground once i came back in 2020 yeah but once the 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 book is actually closed and i've written all the chapters in the book that is mike montero and the rwa god damn what a masterpiece that's gonna be and that's not me to my own horn that's just straight who, up facts man who, who better knows the tunes straight up facts like the things that i was able to accomplish and the things that i've done there and the guys that i've been able to help elevate and guys who are there to help elevate me you know like i think i think of 2009 in that era that's like one of the golden eras of the rwa when sean leader and billy ware and jt dunn and vincenzo abruzzi really rose to prominence those guys were at their most athletic back then you know like and really hungry that's like one of my favorite eras of rwa is like 2009 and i'm willing to i'm willing to admit and we've talked about this i don't think i gave billy ware a fair billy ware is creative he's super creative and he can do anything. And like, Vinny too. Vinny, yeah, man, Vinny. Vinny was. It's funny because when I saw we, Vinny holding the big, the big belt and old footage, and I'm just like, wait, he was a top guy. Dude, we used to joke because he was teased John Cena. Really? That dude. As soon as his music hit, man, the place would go freaking crazy. Like, I, I think I like to think like back then because Vinny was there in the backyard with us too. Yeah. And that was more or less like tease family. And like everybody's friends and family showing up to T's yard, and then eventually it was packed. You they know had what I mean? the best fucking cage I've ever seen. And eventually it was packed, but then once they couldn't run there anymore, we literally went from that to doing the small little studio tapings where we can't have fans at Blackheart's buildings to getting the first Bump Factory deal. What was what was the reason they couldn't run in the yard anymore? Um, a zoning violation. The, okay. The basically the neighbors were pissed that they were having to hear bumping every two weeks. Yeah. 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 Um. And once we got to 2009 and really, uh, would you say that's the beginning of the golden era? I think so. Yeah, for sure. Because like, so let's, let's, I mean, I realize like anybody, anybody who tuned into this podcast looking for a fucking short one hour concise. Yeah. It's all over the place. We're about to dig into the weeds on, on a really deep topic here. So, um, so I've been saying the whole time that. I wasn't around for the uh, what we've talked about privately as like the golden years of the RWA. I right. only know what exists today, which once again, I, I started coming around and then suddenly I was involved in the creative. Right. And uh, and I really like I've really enjoyed 
what I've seen from RWA. I mean, obviously, I mean, I use most of you guys on my shows. <laughs> yeah. That was that was that was a big criticism for a while. Where it's oh, like, it's RWA light PG. I can't even say it now because of all the names. Yeah, <laughs> but PG. Well, yeah. RICW was RWA light, yeah. and PG had a lot of RWA. Well, that's what ta- happens when you are running the same all building. Running the same building, and that was. I mean, that was that's when I was dealing uh, recently with uh, getting the exclusive at the Beverly Elks. Mm-hmm. Where it was just like, it's going to create brand confusion. And then the other side was like, it's not really going to create brand confusion. We're two different things. And I'm like, no, we're both wrestling. Right. You know, and and you're right. We both have different presentations and you know, whatever. But like, I know what happened at the chop shop. Right. It was fucking, it was all like, and the thing is, is like, you had people like, uh, you had people like Jason Bomier coming in and doing outside the box, mm-hmm. which I thought was different enough, but it was still you're running at the same the building as everybody else. Shop, yeah. You know, he spent a lot of, uh, to his credit, despite anything that happened between the two of us, um, to his credit, he fucking, he, he went out and got some of the boys in the chop shop uh, matches that they would have never got. Yeah, no, it's true. You know, it's true. He tried so, really hard. He did. You know, I, I have, I have nothing bad to say about his effort. He, he tried, you mm-hmm. know, not absolutely for some for someone who was just a fan yeah he came exactly not smart at all just can't you know what i mean you know what i mean when i say not smart smart to the business like that that part of it yeah Yeah. exactly so so uh 2009 yeah is what you're talking about so in 2000 paint me a picture of the landscape of rwa in 2009 we still doing we still doing that fucking enclosed taping stuff no. Or is this right? In 2009, we just got an actual entranceway with a ramp. The star? We've got, not yet. It wasn't a star yet, but okay. it was. We, we were on our way there. We've got the flashing lights everywhere. We've got, the boys are in the audience, but so is all the fans. Not yep. so, not charging anybody, but anybody who wants to come can come down. You know what right. I mean? Some days this place was, I can't, in 2009, I can never say it wasn't packed because it was packed every time, but it was just a matter of, how many people were there? You know what I mean? 2009 was the year I realized, oh, the fans are now real. Because for the first two years, it's we're bought. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's the boys. It's the boys, mom and dad, uncle, girlfriends. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then girls are starting to come to watch just the boys, random chicks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then it's like, now this guy's coming. Oh, my cousin's friend came this time. He's never seen it before. Now he's a f- Oh, it turns out he was a fan. Suddenly all and these he's people. he's bringing his friends. All these people are yeah. coming, man. And I remember one of my favorite moments is Zach Alexander's working JT and... Was that uh, Zach Fantastic? Yes, Zach Fantastic. He's working JT and we were a trio, Zach, myself, Devin Blaze, the Suicide Kings. And we come out with him during his entrance and he get we make our way out and the crowd does not stop popping from the time we get on the entranceway until he's in the ring and when he gets on the in the ring and gets up on the buckle they roar even louder and i i was wearing like normal street clothes because i dislocated my elbow so i wasn't like geared up or anything like that and i could just feel the hairs on my arms standing up and that's when i i I said it then i was like holy shit man the suicide kings are over like we're we're over all hail president you know it was wild it was so (laughs) wild and like that time period like i can see it so vividly like myself and devin blaze we're the tag team champions Vinny Abruzzi is the top dog. He's he's teased, he's John, John Cena, Cena yep. dude. He could do no wrong. And there's a bunch of threats to his title at this point. You got Alex Corvus, just Alex, who's doing yep. his best, some of his best work as a heel. Just I, I never got to see he, really he went his by, best work. His moniker was the babyface killer. 
he went after the guys that everybody loved, like mm. adored. You know what I mean? Like it, he had a he had a, a personal stake. Like he didn't just okay, I'm working this, I'm a heel and I'm working this babyface. He actually had a premeditated plot for each babyface he went after. Yeah. Um, it wasn't just because they were good. It was they're good and also this. And JT had just shown up and he had already rubbed everyone the wrong way with his <laughs> mic with his microphone skills and like he was so he had you, talent. So, all right, let's pause there for a second. So he was rubbing people the wrong way with his microphone skills. Was it the things he was saying or was it the fact that he was good at it? I think it was the th- well, the things that he was saying, because back then he was a little he Way more politically incorrect, I should say. Like Fair. he didn't he didn't care about the how personal the insults and the digs were, you know what I mean? And sometimes that can rub people the wrong way. So he had heat from that. So when we found out that T was using him at this point and he was going to be using him, that didn't sit well with a lot of the guys in the locker room. And it took a while for us to really like warm up to JT. Mm. We really like but he was at the time he was the best heel we had in uh Mr. Abruzzi was the, the com- on-screen commissioner at this point. That would and, be Vinny's dad? Yes, and their beef was so great. The, the the power struggle with JT trying to make it to the next level and Vinny and Bruzzi's dad just not liking him because he thinks he's a prick and just <laughs> not not allowing it to happen. And we had like a physical altercation where JT like actually slugged uh, Mr. Abruzzi and then they worked a match and like – that time period is like one of my favorite periods of the RWA. Papa Bruzy was working matches? Yeah, man. It was awesome. It was so awesome. And then man. like I wasn't there for this, but I was still watching. And then like a year later, they flipped the script and turned Mr. Bruzy heel and he was the heel commissioner. And then he was siding with JT and helping him win and stuff <sighs> like that. I was like, when I left, I was like, damn, this is good stuff, you know? Like yeah. once And you t- left in 2010. 2010. And I came back literally a year later, 2011. Okay. And around and around there, that's how was the landscape then? Very different, <laughs> very different. I came back to a locker room I did not know. There was who, who was on top at the time? Uh, T. T okay. was on top. He was. I'm the. I'm the boss. I can use my power to do whatever I want. So heal shit. These are my minions. They yeah. were the agency. He had like five, six guys. He had Vernon Somoza with him. I don't know if you remember Vernon I, Somoza. I, I, okay. I know that. I know the name because it's so unique. He got it. He got his in being in this group, and the group was. Uh, I want to say it was T. It eventually was like T. Billy Ware, Stan Styles, Frank Champion, Jason Devine, JT Dunn. They were like the NWO. Stan Styles. Oh yeah, they were like the NWO. The ratings getter. Yes. I, I heard that. I, I heard that back in RWA that the biggest the biggest uh, matches Most viewed on, match. YouTube, yes. on YouTube were. It's about, now it's like up to like 60,000, 70,000 views. It's like him and Ricky Medeiros one-on-one. Is that and the match he pulled the shit in? No, but okay. this is but this is great too because this goes back to what I was saying about Mr. Abruzzi. Is Mr. Abruzzi, we just talked about how he was, he was in our corner personally. People yeah. knew that. He loved Ricky Medeiros. Ricky Medeiros defeats Stan Styles for the mid-card championship. And on technicality, Mr. Abruzzi has a reverse, so we got the dusty finish, and Ricky's got this huge pop at the Portuguese Social Club. Oh, and, Jesus. Yeah, man, big time. They're In front lose, of his people. They're losing their minds, yeah. and Mr. Abruzzi reverses the decision. Oh, oh it was so good. That's so good. heat you can taste. So good, man. Oh. Was it was it legacy? Because uh, uh, Tom used to, you know, I'd go hang out at Tom's uh, Tom's place when he was living in Plymouth, and he'd have on, like, old stuff. And I think it was a legacy mm-hmm. where uh, it was one. Of, it was an outdoor show, I think, and it was one of those shows where T, I think, as a heel, 
won the Triple Crown Championship, and then Sip came out and beat him in like WrestleMania Nine. Yes, yeah, he did the WrestleMania Nine. Yes, and I remember how just how over that was, right? You know, and it's just like, and the thing is, and, all right, so we're I'm just quickly gonna deviate for a second. Um, David Baker, he went on Leo Connor's show at one point, and my name came up in the name game. And he was talking about my booking and all that stuff, and he told uh, a story which was which was accurate about um, you know when I first came to start working on the book at RWA, I didn't look at David Baker all that much, mm-hmm. you know. I just figured he's like he's been around a while. It's probably this thing. And then I saw him work a couple matches, and I'm like, nope, I'm wrong. Like I was, mm-hmm. I was immediately, I was just like, you know, man, I saw one thing and I was wrong. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, you know, it was one of those things where it's just like, maybe I let what I heard influence my opinion. Right. And then I saw his work and I was like, no, fuck that. That's no, he's good. Right. He's good. And I will say this just because it, it was a, a minor thing. Um, I don't have heat with David Baker. Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't have heat with David Baker either. I He got, he got upset with me over a it's comment, over a comment I made. And I, and I'm pretty sure it wasn't interpreted the way that it was taken either way if at all if at any point david sees this video or if somebody clues him in to check this out brother whatever it was i upset you with i didn't mean it that way i'm sorry and that is what it is and i owe a lot to him too my my, my, every i think a lot of people my aggression my 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 snugness that comes from david baker he was so believable for a reason that's that's where it comes from people tell me all the time it makes me laugh too because i'm always considered one of the smallest guys in the locker room but i'm always considered one of the snuggest guys in the locker room and that's because especially to carlos v (laughs) oh well that was a well you don't (laughs) he fucked with the wrong you you don't come out and chop the top dog when he's got his eyes closed and think you're gonna get away with it you fucking I don't. I'm not gonna make a name at my expense. You fucking Sorry. roll out of the ring and we're just like, motherfucker! You do not Hulk up on Mike Montero. Nope. nope. <laughs> you ain't been here long enough, buddy. Oh, that's, that's all. All right. So back to back to, to we're in 2011 now. Yes. 2011. You're back, the landscape I has changed. Completely changed. Uh, we're doing a transition where this is where the influence was born. Actually, mm. um, Jason Devine is T's hired gun. Okay. Keeps uh, basically saddling him with the mid card championship to basically hold him over because he knows that Jason Devine is a, is a threat to him. And this would have been around the time where Jason would have eventually become yes. the Triple Crown and champion. And they, they did an awesome, an awesome switch where it was a four-way with the four guys who were vying for the title. Frank Champion has now broken away from the agency. Mm-hmm. Irish Warrior, who was at this time feuding with T for the championship, working his way up to being the top dog. Irish Warrior entered the throwdown that year at one, and he won the whole thing. Okay. So now he would be up against T, but T has all these other things going on. So they put together, which is an RWA staple, the Chase the Champion match, mm-hmm. which is keep th- slap a time limit on it. Whoever's the, no. <laughs> whoever whoever's the champion at the end is the champion. Yeah. But this was for both the Mid Card Championship and the uh, Triple Crown Championship. Okay. So essentially, whoever's what, what got was, what was the Mid Card Champion at this time? It was the Television Championship. Okay. So and it wasn't the hype title yet? Or? No, the hype title, we'll get to that. I okay. can I can explain that. Um, So Divine was the television champion, and T was the Triple Crown champion. At some point in this match, Frank Champion gets the television title off of Frank, uh, I mean, uh, off of Jason Divine. So now he's the champion. With minutes, seconds to spare, you've got T Phoenix on all fours and Irish Warrior on all fours, getting ready to crawl at each other to make their next move 
Jason Devine has the opening to do whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. And he punts T and he pins T and takes the championship from T with seconds to spare. Mm. And so the the big belt. The next the next show, he basically he has Vernon Somoza come out, who Vernon Somoza thinks, okay, we just pulled a swerve on the agency. It's just you and me now, buddy. And Jason Devine's like, No, the swerve was on all of you. I don't need any of you. This so he, was all so just baby a babyface move. This was all no, not even. Oh. He's out healing them. This was all <laughs> this was all just so that I could get the title off for myself. I joined your group just because I knew it'd be easier to get myself to the top. Yeah. And then that night was about building his new army. And that night he had his Triple H DX night. You know what I mean? Because so, yeah, that he night he became the leader of the of I made my crew. return and got this huge welcome back popping in the same night turned heel and had everybody hating me by the end of it. It was yeah. awesome. So who was in Divine's crew at this the point? The original influence is Jason Devine, myself, Zach Alexander, fantastic, whatever you want to call him, yep. and Logan Rose. We were the original four. I've heard that name before. Was that the one that dislocated his jaw? That dislocated Devine's jaw, yes. Okay, so that was like two seconds in to, what was it, Legacy 9? Four. Four. So Legacy 4, for those of you who, and, I, and once again, if I have, I know I can get the footage and post it, but it's, right. like, it's literally Jason Devine gets slapped in the face. He just, looks over at me and he's like, I think my jaw's broken. And as he's saying it, blood's just pouring out of his mouth. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh shit, I think so. I think you might be right. I think uh, you might have I, nailed And I looked one. at him and I was like, that figures. You know, like that yeah. figures. We just came out the biggest show we've ever had biggest show biggest crowd we've ever had because it wasn't it was a, not an outdoor show but an outside of yes the we were, show. yeah it was at thayer arena so it was that's like the, that's the big one it was wrestlemania all right you know what i mean and uh so with the influence logan rose was still really green he was he was ba- he he was trained the basics with jt he had just had his first like match where he was put through the ringer okay and then jt left so now we just we had this kid you know and where did where was JT's first stop post RWA? Uh, stop. Like where did he go? He bounced around. I'd say NCW. To be honest with you, I'd okay. say NCW because he had already been working there years before because of his ties with like Matt Magnum and those and those guys. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like yeah. Vinny when they when they were there. I mean, and they weren't there long, but like because of his ties with those dudes, a lot of the NCW guys like DUI and stuff. They knew each other from working ACW, which would be WCW, Wailing City, yeah, right. So, um, where was I going with this? We're talking about, uh, I, I think I deviated into Jason Devine at uh, Legacy 4, but we were on 2011. You were talking about Jason Devine's rise to prominence. Okay, so Logan was, Logan was he was worried about having to carry the load as a heel because he had just overthrown JT and, you know, turned on, because he was JT's young boy. Like, he came out and carried JT's bags for him, basically all that shit. Yeah. And then eventually he overthrew him and flash pinned him one, two, three, kid style, won the junior heavyweight championship from him. Which, yeah, I, I heard I heard was a thing, like, way later on. I actually, yes. I actually, I did, I, I, I tried to make a bid to bring it back before the, right. uh, the shit happened with uh, COVID because we had so, so many, many people. lightweight guys. Mm-hmm. But, the the bloom was already off the rose. Right. All those guys were already challenging for the the exactly the belt, so it didn't really weight weight limit really. So <laughs> like the second show after we've already established that we're the influence now. He Logan tells T, I don't feel comfortable being a heel, <laughs> and instead of us building it, next show Logan flips, turns babyface. You're out. He's out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're out. And then that's where we discovered TJ TJ Swift, and we didn't discover him. Like it's weird. Like, it's a name. It's a name I've he got, heard. He but. got to RICW, and once he got there, he was like, "Oh, these guys will book me, and I won't have to train. So I'm gonna stay here." Mm-hmm. But 
I saw him at a gas station. And I knew him because he backyard wrestled one time. He came to T's backyard with us. And he was friends with a couple of other cats we knew from my area who backyard wrestled. And we saw him pumping gas. And the kid was in great shape. So you're like, well, shit. We can trade hit Logan out for him. And now we have like a heater. You know what I mean? Like yeah. a big guy who we can use to, you know, every now and then insert that that like that quick clothesline here or that little that little thing there to gain the advantage for us. So we asked him, hey, man, at the gas station, would you be interested in like joining our faction? And he was like, oh, yeah, man, like right away. And I started training him like from scratch right there. Right. And from his appearances at RWA, managing the influence that got him his in at RICW. And then once he wrestled, because at the time they had all their like hipster friends and all these people who were like coming to all the shows and their shows were pretty packed, even though the, the show itself wasn't so great. But TJ got over from that. Yeah. And he loved that taste so much that he stopped coming to practice, stopped coming in. You know what I mean? Like he would he work RWA, but like just be a manager. Like he he didn't want he didn't he didn't want to do the work anymore. Mm. So uh, then we integrated Billy in because Billy was trying to get in forever at this point because Billy's like looking for a home because all Billy's friends are gone and his his area at this point like his his position on the card he's kind of just floundering. Right, which was like the magic of the NWO in the '90s. Where it was just like, what else am I doing? Right. So like, like when you would, back when you got jumped by Buff Bagwell and he joined the NWO, <laughs> he would uh, be, <laughs> he would push, he would push like, oh, the influence, the influence, the influence, and like I didn't have anything wrong with it. T did. T was just like, well, we can't have another guy in the influence. There's already four of you. I and I never knew the influence was anything more than just the two of you. And it's crazy because by the end of Legacy Four, there were seven of us. Tom did mention that, it, and and the and the other Booker at the time was freaking pissed. The other the guy who helped us get the building for Legacy. Who, who was the other Booker? Uh, fuck, what was his name? Nick Gifford. Okay, and no, nobody that's still around. No, not at all. Okay. He he like tried to he tried to sell T on this idea of him on screen buying the RWA and being the owner and stuff. Like just crazy guy, delusional thought he was going to take over the company for real, but. So Chad, <laughs> yeah, no, but uh, <laughs> yeah, he was so pissed though because at at the end of Legacy we were involved in so many segments because we we had yeah seven of you yeah man we had <laughs> we had this, that so match we're with back, Logan we're on Legacy four yeah we had that match yep. with Logan we've had Billy Ware Billy Ware and uh, Ricky Medeiros have a match oh Tom was in that too for the Junior Heavyweight Championship yeah. um, and C J Pangman was the ref who was Billy Ware's be- one of his best friends in real life so crooked ref right he joins us you know Danny I mean? Davis we had tj when tj was hurt we had we had a female valet for a little while so like we had all seven of us standing in the ring throwing up the the one the one dude and for us i was, I was wondering where that came for from. us yeah. it was an because nobody's above the influence Aha, that's great so like for us we were having a great time but i could see the dude up in the in the skybox thing pitching a fit flipping out and now we just love it even more you know what i mean at this point we were rubbing everybody the wrong way and we did not care the thayer had a skybox yes it did it was uh, pretty cool that's hot shit how yeah. come you guys don't go back i don't know we've been there a few times i don't know maybe we'll end up there again sometime i i, I would hope so i'd like to see yeah you. we've been there four out of the 10 i mean well now we're on like what 12 legacies so four i think the 12 i think we can refer we keep calling it the golden age i think if we gave it an official name i i think we could call this the legacy era because 2009 would have been what two yeah, 2009 so, would have been too. So, you know, the first legacy happens, and then after that, it's kind of like, okay, now we're catching our stride. Mm-hmm. And the legacy era had begun by then. So it's right. like, I think I think that, that that might be a fair label for it. Yeah, sure. You know, if legacy's supposed to be 
the biggest show of the year and the golden age of the RWA didn't like we like you've discussed kind of started there. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe maybe that was maybe that was what kicked it in. Yeah, honestly, at that point, once I like I don't want to say that me coming back changed the course of what was happening, but I feel like once I came back, that's when all these things started happening. Like now we're doing the campground shows yeah. and now we're getting the Thayer arenas and the Smithfield Elks lodges and the East Providence rec center. Suddenly all this stuff's happening. And as it's happening, we're making new relationships and friendships with people along the way, because now we're not starting not to look so much like a backyard company. Yeah. So more people want to come in. Like after legacy five, Chris Pyro saw my match with Chris Sterling for the triple crown title. And right after that, he was sending messages out to T like, Hmm, maybe I do want to go work this RWA because he noticed, and he said it to me personally, he noticed that everywhere he was going, everybody just wanted to just do what they wanted to do to get by. When he was watching RWA, everybody was busting their ass to try to have a banger. And that's the kind of wrestling he was about. And it, it just continued to go from there. Like RWA started to pick up once we started getting more guys from the area who were just as hungry as the guys who were homegrown. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And that that was the thing. Like I felt that way because if correct me if I'm wrong, you're you know we knew each other from NCW, but were you did you inquire with me about coming to PG or was it the other way around? So Ryan asked me to come to Elkmania before all of this. Sure. And then somewhere in the midst of that, you started like sending me messages like, oh, that was a good match there. Or like, saw what you did with this guy. Oh, how, how was working this person? Like just from my travels. And then you just shot the, the, the question. Like, how'd you feel about coming to work for me? And the first thing I asked was, well, what am I walking into? You know what I mean? Right. And, and is it studio taping? Am I wrestling? Do we have an audience? What's going on here? Right. When you broke it down to me, it was exactly what I came from. So yeah, it was I knew it would be fun. And I just remember, I, I remember we had we had a conversation. I think it was in person at one of the NCW shows. I think you were like busting my balls. Like, so uh, when am I uh, when am I going to get to come down to one of these PG shows? And from that, like I from that moment, I was just like, well, fuck, maybe we aren't just a bunch of bums. You know what I mean? It's, you know, it's a crazy like, feeling when you see other people starting to work with you. I feel like the change in the guard really was when David Baker wanted to come because David Baker was the biggest, the biggest advocate for being against what we did well what would he consider what you did backyard wrestling and i under and i understood it and i got and i got the way he felt but i knew if he saw what we were actually doing he He would change his mind right and when he got there that's what happened and i can't tell you how many times he he did the right thing when he when he wanted to be there he showed up every single time but when i was the hype champion in 2014 t would let me pick my opponents because it got to a point where you know, like the match, I, I had a good string of good matches. So he was like, okay, who do you want to work with for the hype title this time? And I asked for David Baker for like four weeks straight. And to him just saying, never, no way, no way, absolutely and not. And was this, was RWA weekly at that point? Oh, yeah. Wow. Like, or bi weekly, something like that. I forget. Well, yeah, because you guys had a building at that point. Right. And you, you know, you were the only promotion. The shows in there, were happening. Or? I remember there, there would be certain time periods too where we would run, like before Legacy, we would try to cram so many shows in. Like, I remember for Legacy 4, we were getting run ragged because Legacy 4 was actually our 100th show. Mm-hmm. So we were cramming to get shows in and that sucked so bad well, yeah because it's like yeah the uh the show is uh ladder match one week taking a tower of doom the next week i was like no my body please it's like yeah legacy's gonna be our hundredth show but but t the one we're currently doing today is the 89th it, show exactly and we're only a month away legit it was just like that <laughs> 
So, but like once we built momentum, we were running more. But every every show he asked, he was like, "Who do you want to work?" And I was like, "David Baker, David Baker, David Baker, David Baker." Until suddenly, I finally seen David Baker booked on the show. We didn't wrestle each other yet. We got to have one one on one. Unfortunately, the footage of it got lost. It's our only singles match we ever had, and it was in RWA, and it got lost. We ended up having the match finally, but things like that. Like I pit, I was friends with the Mac Attack forever, so yeah, I pitched them like. What about the Mac attack? I'm sure they'd be down. Cause a lot of the things too is like, and I'm sure T said it before is he didn't know where he stood with these people and he didn't know what they thought of him. So like he wouldn't go and reach out for fear of, I not so much fear, but on the, on the chance that they rejected or they're going to call him a backyard guy. Exactly. Completely just Ex- dismiss exactly, him. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I feel like that's what kept him from reaching out to a lot of people. But like once I got close with a lot of these people, I realized that they all just want to work. And before you knew it, there was a point in time where the roster had... Man, I remember showing up in 2016, and you got Bo Douglas, Rich Bass, Mike Grasa, JT Dunn, Tripolicious, Kellen Thomas, The Hoods, Chris Cruz, David Baker, Eric Dillon, Jack Connor, Nick Marshan, all under the same fucking roof. Like, some of the best talent in New England. Brian Fury, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. all these guys that were, you know what I mean? Like, all these guys that have made made something of themselves and have carved out a legacy all over New England. I remember I said it during the locker room meeting. I, I couldn't believe it. Like, I took a moment and I just looked around and I was like, guys, we have literally some of the most talented people in New England all under this one roof. This never happens. No. We need to take advantage of this moment. Yeah. You know, and 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 I've seen a lot of places that don't, but it looks like during this period of time, you guys absolutely. Man, did. it was crazy. I feel like from 2014, like 2012, 20, yeah. Once we got the 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 first chop shop, 20 like late 2012 into 2016 was some of the craziest years because that was when it was like, okay, did you see that match? Now we have to call some more stuff and do more because like. That was a banger. And every match, the fans are getting off their seats and pounding that mat. And then it became, okay, now we all want that, you know? So, all right. So, we're talking about the golden era begins, or the legacy era begins, 2009. You guys get the first chop shop building. In 2012, late 2012. 2012. Do you feel that, I would say toward, I mean, not towards the end, but would you say that you're... Uh, your time in that specific building was when it hit its apex. The the chop shop you're saying? Yes. Because um, a lot of people talk about the original chop shop like it was this mythical thing. Right. You know, like all these mythical things I, It's happened. weird. Like, I, I look at it like it was this this mythical, like, great time period as a whole. Not even so much for myself. Because on paper, my RWA career of those four years... I mean, I was the hype champion that I did that for a, a little while. I think I had like 15 title defenses and then I relinquished the championship to be a tag wrestler. And yeah, I, I, yeah, that's a weird one. Well, I wanted to be a tag wrestler, Yeah, but he didn't think anybody defeating me for the championship after my 15 solid performances was going to do any justice. And I didn't feel that way. Like it wasn't going to do anybody any favors to yeah. beat you? Yes. And I thought it was the opposite. Yeah. And I thought it would have helped, but again, not the. I don't make all. I don't make all the decisions. You know what I mean? Yeah. He he thought he thought he was doing a service to me, and I and I appreciated that. But I'm not that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I totally could have done the favors for somebody. That's I'm not that guy. 
But so there, he was like, "Let's keep you real strong." That was my biggest run in the in the four years that we had the chop shop. That was my biggest run. Other than that, I'm popped in here and there. We had our tag run. We did win the tag titles, but I mean, you can't even see really mine and Jason Devine's tag title run because the footage is so like stop and start on YouTube right now that like you get our winning the titles. Yeah. You get like maybe two title defenses. Cage match with the heavy hitters. Like two title defenses yeah. that recently T just found the footage of and put up. So yeah. up until recently, the only two matches of us the tag team cha- as the tag team champions are the one that we won and the one that we lost. Yeah. So like great run. Yeah, there's a whole whole chunk of that that's missing. And to be honest with you, I was in a bad place at that point. So a whole chunk of that I don't really remember. And so then and there's it's no a, footage, so it's like it, a exactly, double whammy. It's a double whammy. So that pe- that time period we were we were kind of we were that's when we gained 2015 we gained traction as a tag team that's where if it was like i said a year later if we had gotten to do the fet match with the hoods a year later after we had built that momentum then it would have been something different but no i feel like it was the golden era because everybody flourished like it didn't you didn't have to have specific like and i remember team made a big deal about that he was like i'm not going to so much play to storylines at this point i really just want to have good matches like right. this and guy you, versus this guy you said that to me in Kirk- it doesn't always have to be that way. Sometimes right. it's just wrestler A versus wrestler B. Who's better tonight? Right. You know what I mean? And he tried to do that more in that time period. And I don't know if it was, and I don't know if it meant as much to the fans as it meant to the boys, but man, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I called like a match completely and thought, okay, this is it. This is what we're doing. And then somebody went out there and just tore the fucking house down. And I was like, okay, let's add like five minutes to this. You know yeah, what I exactly. mean? Like, let's do some more. But I wasn't the only one. Everybody did that, and that's why I love that time period. So Everybody much. had the drive to succeed, which I'll be honest with you. One of the other criticisms, not of you, but like one of the other criticisms I've heard about PG from from certain people has been like, you know, like you know, you got a pretty big roster of guys. Some of them are just taking up space, and I'm just like, what logic is this? Right. You know, like every I think everybody we have and that's and I think the thing that gets confusing and this is more of an inside thing than anything, because I don't think I don't think the fans of the Proving Ground really understand. But like, you know, we have that private group where we talk about the business and whatnot, you know, not out in front of right. everybody. And anytime someone came in for a one shot, I'd add them to the group and then I just never remove them. And I created this atmosphere of we have all these guys. Is but- everybody a permanent member of the right. roster? And it's just like, no, I'm just doing this so that when I go, hey, who's available for a fucking show? You might be able to have different people to filter in as opposed to use the same people raising their hands. Right. And the thing is, you know, I've, I've been trying, like, I've been trying in my head to figure out a better way to do it. Mm-hmm. And there will be better ways. But, I mean, like, there's a lot of people that think there's like, oh, there's a shit ton of people in PG. But when you really look at the shows that we put on, and if you just go... Okay, yeah, Frank Bones and uh, John Steele had a match at level eight, mm-hmm. and they had a great match. But does that mean they're going to be on every show? No. Who are you going to expect on every show? Well, DCMC, the Busters, the Young Guns, you know, that particular crew of people. You know, But that's not to say that those guys know. wouldn't be in that position either. It's just, no. it's just when they're called on, they're there. do they deliver? Yes. Right? And then once they do... Well, then they're called on a whole lot more because now they're here, you know? Right, exactly. And uh, the reason, and I think the reason why I kept everybody in the group was just to make it easier on right. me. 
So rather than having to keep a document of people who worked for me <laughs> yeah. before, like I've done, right? Uh, <laughs> the spreadsheet is magnanimous, and uh, but like so, yeah. So I, I understand that there's some internal confusion at times to be like, who's really a part of this? And I'm like, well, anybody that wants to be there, but you know who's really right. on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, these two anyway. Uh, <laughs> this this one quit on me. This one paid for his head sculpt, and that's how he wound up. <laughs> like, when we were first kicking it off, he was like, I'm like, I guess I have to use you now. You know? <laughs> like, not, not like that's a bad thing. I love right. Tim Kilgore. Uh, clearly, it got, me, it got me a friendship in NCW. So we're at the chop shop now. It's 2014, 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, does, when does Beyond become a factor? Um, 2014. Okay. Yeah, they started uh- – because I know they started around here. They started in New Bedford, I think. Because I know Drew was running the Backyard Experience shows out of the Forge. Yeah, out of the Forge. Yeah, so I know he had already bounced around and dabbled in Ohio was and in came Ohio, back yeah. and all that stuff. It was one. They did a Knights of Columbus show in Bristol, Rhode Island, that yep. did not draw well. And I think they did one other show. I don't know if it was in Bristol. They tried two live shows that just did not work well. In the Flesh and whatever one had Davey versus Gargano. Yeah. Because I remember seeing that going, I should. Because they were like, "Who should we get to wrestle Davy?" And I, I was always of the mind at the time, and I know better now. But like, I was at the of the mind at the time. Well, put one of your guys, right? Give and them the moment. And eventually, that was the the mantra of all the uh, the Beyond shows going forward. Was you'd see one of Drew's guys against a guy, you know what I mean? Yeah. A name. And I don't, I don't remember if it was so. I, I think it was after the momentum of Fet the first FET show, American Rana, that happened in 2013 that summer, that that was when they really were like, okay, well, we want to keep going and building. And, like, they started – once they came to Rhode Island with FET, well, where else can we do studio tapings that's local to here? How else can I get guys who, who are coming from far away? How can I post them up where they can crash, have local places to yeah. stay? Things like that. And I think that's really what it came from. And JT was – he was the he was the one who orchestrated that. If I'm not mistaken, he's the one who even orchestrated them getting the FET deal in the first place. But uh, I know once they got hooked up, then it was like, okay, now we're working together. You we you use this building for studio tapings, and my guys get a, a showcase match on the show. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. And that and that because a lot a lot of RWA man, guys... and he gained us so many eyes. I, yeah, like the the real like when T finally decided, okay we're going to start selling tickets to these chop shop shows. That was because of beyond like beyond is the one who gave us our audience with that, with that aspect, because we had our core group of people. We had like, it's funny. Like I'll, I'll use her. We had our Liz's, you know what I mean? Who showed up one day and just never, ever left. You know what I yeah. mean? We had that. We had, and those she was people. the camera. She, lady she yeah. First. She walked in the door at the, at the fourth building, the force sat down in the crowd. And then next thing you know, she was taking pictures then she was. Then she was she on was screen, in g- general then manager. Then she's wrestling. You know what I mean? And we had so many of those people. But that's one thing that Beyond helped us is like. I'd say. It's tough. It's it's not so much a bad thing, but it is. A lot a lot of times in the RWA, we often let people. Over the over the fans over the rail and and make them more a part of the show. Yeah, it's not necessarily a bad thing. But the Too more you the more you do that, then who the hell's sitting in the crowd to watch this? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Beyond gave us those people back. You know what I mean? Yeah, because they weren't. It wasn't. It wasn't a matter of like. It's not like the talent 
that RWA had wasn't good enough to garner an audience. They were great. It's just they already they, they already, already saw it, and the audience that was there already knew they could see them for free. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So you had to change it, and that's what T did. He, okay, now these shows are going to be five bucks. Now you're going to see our guys, but the main event's going to be like Jack Connor versus Brian Fury or Mike Grossa versus Brian Malonis. You know what I yeah. mean? Something like that. Something that it's like, okay, this is different. And then when you look at the undercard, it's like, oh, okay, that stuff's good too. And that's when I feel like shit really started to pick up. And that's when the chop shop shows were drawing. And that's when we were able to do more outdoor venue shows. Well, not outdoor, but you know what I mean? Out outside of, out, of the building. Outside the building, yeah. And um, all right, so Beyond comes in. They get you, your audience back. They're doing the secret shows. Mm-hmm. You guys are getting opportunity. Like like you said, Jack Connor and, and Fury. Man, Jack Connor got so many opportunities from that scenario. Jack Connor defended the Triple Crown title at Aurora. I saw that. You know I what that. I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, Beyond comes in, they do their thing, and that's around the time of their renaissance. Yes. When all their shit. Man, it was, what a fun time it was, man. It was awesome to be a part of that. It wasn't, like, it seems, sounds like to me that it wasn't just fun, it was, it was fun, but it's like, oh, fuck, we're actually getting somewhere Mm -hmm. with this now. Exactly. And it was so meteoric, it was happening so fast, that was so cool, that was the cool thing about it, was like, after American Rana, dude, they were off to the races, like, the shows just kept getting better. They were getting con- like more bigger names were like contacting them to come in. Like the matchups they were putting together were matchups nobody ever seen before. Like right up, like the one that stands out to me the most is like from Amer- the first American run. It was I never thought I'd ever see Kevin Steen versus Masada. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that was a badass match. You know, like and it's gave- not one you what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They they were they were. Drew's good at that. He's good at like taking two guys. It's like what? I don't know if I don't know if I would na- actually want to see that. And then when it's over, being like, man, I want to see that. Like, I'm three glad. More times. I'm glad I saw that. You know what I, I mean? I want to see it after they have experience with each other. Right. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's why holding off you versus Sean part two for several years is going <laughs> to pay off. <laughs> oh, like, it's going to work. Oh, I'm counting down the days. So, not to um, not to deviate into like a negative conversation because i don't think there's any i don't think we need to do that but um beyond comes in they're going through their renaissance they're becoming what they become you guys are are benefiting from it Mm -hmm. what's the plateau on that like where's the moment where it was it was it was no longer like this and it was more like this i don't know if i don't know if there was a significant thing that happened i just think who was there in the rwa we didn't once once beyond started elevating itself to that point some of us most of us we didn't bring ourselves to that level you know what i mean we were kind of still in the same position but now we have this big i feel like in a way drew was waiting for a lot of us to step up and be that guy who was going to break out and cuz everywhere he he plants his flag he picks he finds He's somebody looking. he finds somebody yeah. and i can honestly say there isn't anybody, and that's and that's that's on us. There is nobody that was at the chop shop from our guys that he picked up and was able to make a star. Do you think was it because he didn't see anything, or was it because the boys didn't step up? Were I think it's too, a, I think it's both. I were think, they too nerved out to do it? Hell or? yeah, man! I was dude. I was shitting bricks every time I was working those shows. I could the matches I had there, I could have with my friends a million times in my sleep. But I'm wrestling. Tommy Trainwreck and Devin Blaze, guys I've wrestled for over a decade. And it's different, man. It's different because you have these people that you want to be in the ring with and you want to approve of your ability all just watching you. 
and their and their locker room is not the same. Like no. it, everybody wants to be the best, and everybody's ready to see you fail. I have jokingly said this about PG, where I would say. I book matches I've seen in other places, but for some reason when they do it in front of my banner, it's way different. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, and I don't, and that's that's not me going, well, we're clearly, no, no, no. No, I know what you mean. Yeah, I'm just like. It's a vibe. Yeah, and not only that, but it's just like the locker room's a certain way and whatever, but there are some talents I've picked up over the course of time that never thought they would get, like, all right, so let's let's be real. I've picked up some people from WAW. Right. And WAW if we're being fair, is the bottom. Right. You know, if you're looking at the hierarchy of all the wrestling promotions, like there are people that don't acknowledge that as a wrestling promotion. I, I get it. But when it comes to wrestling on levels, they're, they're at the bottom. Right. They're, they're the entry point or the exit point or the never going to move past it point. But I have gone there and I have seen some some di- you know some diamonds in the rough mm-hmm. that, you know, like my cameraman is a good, is a good fucking wrestler, but he's my cameraman. Right. You know, but like you go get your Frank Bones's. Fuck, that's where I got Dennis. That's where I got Delilah. Mm-hmm. That's where I got Kevin Giles. And there are people out there just like, well, neither of them are any good. Well, I disagree clearly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best-selling toy. I don't know. I, just, <laughs> you know, I don't like, think I don't... they ever thought our school was on anyone else's school's level, so they didn't treat us the same. Like I can just think back to the only victory we ever had in Beyond. We worked, myself and Jason Devine worked, Mark Quinn and Anthony Gangone. Yep. And there's there's a guy we've talked about. Our him. tag team finish is he hits the Death Valley driver. The guy kind of sits up like Undertaker, and I drop the meteor and he's on him. Yep. The, now, the, 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 the Oklahoma Stampede Death we, Valley driver we've thing. Got, right? We've got kids from the CZW school there. We've got kids from schools all over the place. At this, I can't remember how many others, but there's all kinds of stuff going on now. The CZW kids, they got like 20 minutes to go out there and show their ass. Us guys from RWA and House of Glory, we have eight minutes, and we're not allowed to go off the top rope, and we're not allowed to do dives. So you're saying that they immediately handcuffed your performance? We were only allowed to be as good as they wanted us to be. I felt that same feeling that I felt when they kind of just were done with RWA without really giving a rhyme or reason. You know what I that's, mean? That's what I was going to go next. I was going to say, because I said, you know, not to be negative, let's talk about the plateau. Now we have to talk about when did it end? What was the descent? Because you, you just told me that it was like one year I'm on top of the fucking world, and the next year everything's fucking crashed It's starting to, the to go down, yeah. So what caused that? What, what, tell me about that period of time. I mean, for me personally, it's probably just the way I was carrying myself. I mean, at those shows, you, there's alcohol running so freely. And that was during the bad times. Yeah, man, and that'll help. That'll help. You sit there, you start drinking because you're not on, you're not booked. So you start drinking, and then you start getting bitter, you start getting mad, you start acting out. I made a couple of scenes. I, I, I've literally been thrown out of FET music before. I, 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 I had some bad times, and maybe that had a lot to do with it. You know what Possibly. I mean? I mean, of course. How could I? How could it not? You know? Yeah. And I just, I didn't own up, I didn't have, like, take responsibility for that. I just kept blaming it on everything else. Like, oh, man, they're not, they brought all these guys in from this far away, but we've been here and they could just use us and we could do that. And then you watch guys, and sometimes, man, I was just hating. But then there was times where it's like, I watch, I'm not going to name anybody, but I watch tag teams go out there and straight shit the bed on their own offense. Things that they, stuff that they should know. Stuff that they do on a regular basis, forget their own offense. And I'm like, 
this is what you're putting out, out there instead of us. Why? Because their school is is a different name and their and the the guy who represents that school is somebody that you mark out for. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's that that's where I feel like it changed. Because it you see those guys that helped build the company. Like Crusade for Change had a twelve month undefeated run. Yeah. Do you know what happened the next month after that? They were just done. All of them. Not brought back. None it was of them. over. None of them. We done. lost. We got to go. No, they didn't lose. They just, That's the thing. They went over 12 months straight. And w- then just. Wasn't it the War Games match was the close on that? No, they kept going. That's oh, what shit. I'm saying, man. Okay. They kept going. Like, they, that was just the beginning of the storyline. And then it kept going. They went for like a year and a half, 12, 12 straight matches that I can remember. I was there for all of them. You know what I mean? These guys were. And it was like four man. I mean, not four man. Eight man, ten man tags with the four or five well, yeah, guys. Yeah, because it was so many people. Yeah. And they were doing this. Week after week after week, Joey Styles called called one of their eight-man tags the best eight-man tag match he's ever called. Mm. And none of those guys are brought back after after a year of that. That's really strange. You know what I mean? You're, on, you're only allowed to be as much as they want you to be. And that sucks. That's a, that's a shitty mentality to have. And I hope that that's not the way it is now. I can only hope. I can only hope it's not that way now because I can't, I can't take anything away from those dudes, man. They're a... What Drew Cordero and Beyond has done has has been absolutely amazing. Yeah, and it continues to be. the The shows are killer. They and there's no sign, even though the world is crazy right now. There's no sign of those guys plateauing. No, you know they they've got a. But we understood. Yeah. It. But we understood it, and once we figured out where they saw us, we just went back to business and just started doing our own thing again. You know, it wasn't. We didn't. We didn't lose the momentum really that we had once they left. It's just. We no longer had Beyond Wrestling's backing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and it kind of it it seems like it kind of hurt the hunger. Yeah, like, it it hurt my hunger for sure because I never want like I wanted to be there so bad. I wanted so bad. You wanted to go up, man. I wanted it so bad, and just the atmosphere and seeing the way some of the people were in that locker room, it just it changed my whole aspect like of what I thought I wanted to be like. For instance, for years I heard horror stories about Top Rope. Oh, like just. Basically, if you don't train here, you're not respected. You're not welcome. You know mm. what I mean? I, I would always hear that coming up. I did their Spindle City Rumble last year. Every single rumor, everything I ever heard, completely debunked in just my one time being there. Yeah. It was such a positive experience and so much fun. And honestly, I couldn't, I, I would love to go back. Like, I had a great time. And. That's kind of how it was with Beyond, but it happened over a slow course of time, and it turned the opposite way. You know what I mean? When we got there, it was like, oh, my God, this is so great. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But as time progressed, it was like, oh, well, it's great if you're Chris Dickinson, or it's great if you're this guy. It's great if you're the guy he wants to put over right now, but if you're not, you're not, you know? And and, and it's funny. We talk like this, and we're just like, we fast forward to today and in Proving Ground. I'm sure that there are people in my locker room that feel that way about you. Sure. It's PG's great if you're Mike Montero. You know, I'd like to believe I'd like to believe that I go out of my way to make sure that everybody's taken care of, but you know, shit happens, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and no one will tell you once again if you're in the vicinity sure. of a punch. But you I won't can but I can assure you I never ever ended up in a position that I'm in because I had to cut a promo on you or right. cut a promo on anybody no. to try to work them into putting me in a position, man. I've never asked for anything that's been given to me. <laughs> that's probably why I haven't gotten very much, but <laughs> I, I, I've, I've never asked for anything that's been given to me. I'm so grateful for everything that I do have because I know how hard I fucking busted my ass for it. And I know how much, 
of a chance the people who took a chance on me i know i know what that was worth and i know what a risk that was yeah because there was a time in my life where i was not a stable person so i understand that and i appreciate that now and all i can do now is just make sure that i don't ever change that aspect you're, of myself you're you're back in a world that you grew up in with a different with a different set of eyes I, that's the best way to describe it is i grew up in this business i was a 17 year old kid when i started yeah 16 actually i was 16 years old when i started i'm gonna be 30 you're not months. even 30 yet i'm not even 30 <laughs> but i feel like i've lived you know i've seen it all when you were telling me because you're on a you're on a, a big run as my champion right now and you're telling me it's just like i got a bone sticking out of my foot and, uh, you know, I'm being held together by sticky tack and that fucking shoulder brace is not a gimmick. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like you're all fucking tore up and then COVID happened and you had a chance to kind of stop. And even that wasn't enough. No, it's not because all the years of doing what I've done, it does, it doesn't go away. The injuries, they just nag, you know, yeah. the best thing you can do is just try to relax. You know, it, I mean, I'm lucky, like definitely don't have the bone thing going on anymore That's in my good. foot. That's and, good. Like, but like. The wear and tear of wrestling three, four times in a weekend, oh that kills you. And that's the thing. Like, that's the other thing. You know what, guys? Yeah, maybe it is fun to be Montero. But to get there is not fun. It sucks. And it's constant pressure. You don't realize what it takes to be that guy. They know me as that guy who always goes out there and delivers. But that's because I have to be the one who goes and does it you every single time. You have to time. deliver. I have to do it every single time. And that's the scary part about being the top dog is – you can never be less than you were the last time. You always have to be better because you're only as good as your last match. Don't you love that mentality? You know what it I mean? It sucks. So, fine. If anybody wants to step up and take that position and be able to do what I do on a regular basis, you know, all these same guy, the same guys who are crying about, oh, it must be nice to be Montero, the same guys who are crying, oh, I'm having a bad time in my life, I'm going to quit wrestling. Those same guys who are saying that, maybe you should do what I did. And when everything else in this world sucks, you make this matter the most. Because yeah. that's that's the only reason I'm where I'm at is because when everything else in my life goes to fucking shit, everything else in my life, I always have this. It's never turned its back on me. That's the reason why you're you're where you're at with me. That's it. Because that's like, what I, I saw. I don't I don't I don't have to politic. I don't have to ask for things, man. I got I, you saw it with your own eyes. I was that guy in the random four way in NCW. I was that random guy. I was just there. Not only that, but we don't talk about this publicly, really. Um, you know, there there came a time, it was last year, there came a time when my second-in-command uh, had to leave. You know, he had to go because, you know, his wife was pregnant and he was going to have some kids. Mm -hmm. You know, he took off, he had some kids, and now uh, and I'm like, well, I need a, I need a second-in-command. And the first person I said was, well, it's going to be Mike, for a couple reasons. He's respected in this locker room. One way or another, he's respected in this locker room. Second of all, no one's going to say because he's second in command he got the belt. I gave it to him before that. <laughs> it's like it's, I was worried about it. I was because I, I thought people I were going to think that too. And it's, But at the end of the day, th that's not what I'm about. And I just, I always, I always want to do what's right for the company. And if I really cared about being the champion, I'd be everybody's champion because I can talk, man. And the truth is, like, we've had business conversations about, well, what should we do here? What should we do there? First of all, you never motherfuck anybody. Second of all, you never like, it's got to be me. Yeah, and exactly. Th and third of all, sometimes I'll pitch something that's just like, that's like in your brain. And once again, you've been in different and better places than I have. Mm -hmm. So when you say something like, yeah, I don't know if that's going to play. You also follow it up with, I'm not telling you not to do it. Right. I could be completely wrong. Exactly. But 
I'm just saying from my experience, that's what I think. I'll tell you what I, I'll tell you what I would do. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's all. That's all I can say is like I can't tell you that what you're doing is wrong. I yeah. can just tell you what I would do if it was me. And then inevitably, if I decide, you know what? I know he doesn't agree with it necessarily, but I'm gonna go with it. And I go, we're gonna go with this. You're like, all right, let's make it work. Let's see what happens. Exactly. exactly. So, so it's like I that was that was why. Once again, we don't talk about that, but like. Now that we're here, we're talking about a lot. Might as well be like, let's peel the curtain back a little bit. Yeah, you are in a position where I value your opinion. And the same thing, I value everybody's opinion. Right, of course. And the thing the thing that I have a hard time with sometimes is that um, some people will like blindly be like, oh, this guy's not doing this, not doing that, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, well, have you ever talked to him? Well, well no. <laughs> are you going to be Okay. You know, like yeah. fucking, like seriously, like Tim Davidson came to me once. Now, Timmy, we liked him. Good guy. Yeah. Maybe his wrestling skills aren't where he'd want them to be or where we want potential. them to be. A lot of potential there. But the, the thing that he did really, really well was he was demolition derby man. Right. You know, he's a hardcore guy. So he comes to me and he pitches this idea to me and I'm just like, all right, try it with your buddy. And what happened? We saw this cool thing. We saw the death wish challenge that right. went on for a year. And it gave Tim something to do that was entertaining because mm-hmm. people like a car wreck. Right. And then it gave his buddy Brian, who wasn't really getting looked at, at least he got a match, got himself on a trading card for it. <laughs> so, yeah. Something. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And and I'm going to be perfectly honest, my little brother, Rich, Burke Beckett, I think he has probably done his best work in PG with Tim Davidson. Right. Because Richie came from the hardcore background, like the new T-shirt on Big Daddy T's <laughs> Deathmatch Survivor, which is a picture of Richie after taking a powerbomb shirtless into a bunch of light rods. Oh, my God. So he's got blood draining from his back, and he's just like, take a picture, you know, like because he's uh. a psychotic. So I stick him with Tim Davidson, and we do the Burke Beckett thing, and it was like, we're going to have you do Richie Sick for this, which was, you know, his younger, when he was right. younger, that was his main character. Uh, and... The Christmas lights and all the shit. And it was just, it, Richie, Richie killed his body doing Richie sick for mm. so long. And then when we did this and it was just like, well, he's been doing Burke Beckett forever, which added years to his life. Um, and then he kind of, he kind of dressed down a little to be who he used to be. And it was just like, well, that was fun. Yeah. And then we put it on the first live show as a casket match. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we, we played with the, with the different nuances of the character. But the fact of the matter is all of that happened because Tim Davidson was just like, I don't necessarily don't like my position. I just feel like I'm not doing anything. Here's an idea. And I'm like, fuck it. Let's run with it. Exactly. And all he had to do was talk to me. Right. You know, that's it. And when people are just like, well, uh, whose opinion do you get when you're booking? Everybody's. Right. I'll be like, hey, I have this idea for you. What do you think? And if they don't like it, most of the time, I know like people don't even realize like I spent, I don't know, my entire shift at work coming up with this crazy random story like that I came up with for Dick Lane. Just... To take yeah. him to take him in a completely different direction for his character, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's things like that. That's that's what I'm. That's let's not talk about that. We might. Do yeah, that but one. but that but that's what <laughs> but that's what I'm like. I I want to do in that position. It's not it's not about this, man. I I could give a shit less about this. You know what I mean? Hey. I just want I just want to wrestle. <laughs> I just want to wrestle, tell good stories, and I want to see my friends do the same thing and succeed. Yeah, because that's what that's what makes me feel good is seeing everybody else around me feel the way I did, you know? And that was and that was the biggest it's the biggest part of this, these toys, it's the biggest part of being able to book. It's been the hardest part 
of having to fucking step away because right. of my neck. Because I always, I always felt that I was giving back by, you know, giving somebody a big performance and then getting them over. Right. You know, I felt like I'm going to give my body to you so that you can keep moving up because, you know, I'm a big guy and if mm-hmm. you beat me, it'll probably look good. Right. I never give a shit about that. And, um, and then, and then that got taken away from me and it's just like, Oh fuck, how do I do this? Completely forgetting I'm in charge. You know, like how do I do totally this? Totally different creative like, outlet. It's a different, it's a different thing, you know? And, mm-hmm. uh, and it's great. Like when I, I sent the picture of, uh, of Calvin Campbell's action figure to him and he was just like, you know, when you put me on a card, that was a dream come true. I got a fucking toy now. And I'm just like, yeah, man. It's unreal. That shit's fucking it's unreal. unreal. And I'm like, all right, how did I make this happen? <laughs> you know what I hate about your figure the most? That your fucking tongue is sticking out, and I have to fucking meticulously paint. <laughs> I have to get the really I never realized small that was going to be such a. Yeah, I have to paint your teeth. Oh, and man. you see, your teeth. They go over the tongue, so it's always a constant battle yep. of okay, I got the white on it. Now let's paint the tongue. Ah, fuck, I got red on the teeth. Let's oh, put some. <laughs> it's good. It's a good time. That's why sometimes your teeth look pink. Nice, and, uh, nice. You know. Um, so beyond leaves, you're in a different position uh, mentally in 2015, 2016. When does the first chop shop go bye bye? Is it around this time? Yeah. So. In storyline, I was doing this angle where I never recovered from being forced to disband with Jason Devine. Okay. So I was on a really big losing streak. So yeah, you're like you became a tag, you dropped the secondary title to become a tag team guy. We had our run; it was successful. All beyond all that, it was shit. successful. Devin Blaze took over as the on-screen president god. Yes. Yeah. And his first mission was to make his best friend's life a living hell. That would be me. But why? What's the story there? Because he told T, hey, my sidekick, he's not really a sidekick. He could be something special. Oh, b- behind the scenes, you mean? Yes, but it blen- it blurred over into real life. Yeah. Because him doing that for me, him putting me in that position where T realized, oh, Montero's not just a sidekick. He could do this on his own, made me the Triple Crown champion, and I went on to become, on paper, the greatest wrestler in the RWA's history. Devin Blaze has never held the championship. Really? Devin Blaze has never even been in the conversation. That's really interesting to me considering his, and if his history. He, and if he didn't do that for me, I wouldn't have been there either. Mm. So his animosity comes from his mo- him putting me in a singles light altered his career for the negative forever in the RWA. Right. So does does, does he really feel that way? Um no, because he knows he did he knows he what he did for me really helped me, but Look at me killing the fucking vibe but, here. But in real life, <laughs> but in real life, yes, him yeah. doing that changed his entire career forever because he was never looked at the same and he was never treated the same and he was never pushed in that same light. Because yeah. there was a time where, it, I mean, this is backyard days when I finally got the look, but it was it was a year and a half, almost two years into RWA. By this point, Blaze is tagging with T's five-year-old Austin's son because he's Austin's favorite wrestler mm-hmm. and he's... He's the real John Cena at this point. Before there was a Vinny, Devin Blaze was going to be John Cena. He was right. going to be T's be-all, end-all. And he was always very interesting, like, aesthetically. Very, but always very opinionated. Was that it? Very insane. We all know that. He's a lunatic. It's Sta- hard, you know, it's Stands really- for what he believes in, and he's loyal to his friends. Well, yeah. And back in those days, sometimes putting your loyalty 
Remember what I said? Sometimes some things are better left unsaid. Yeah. He didn't realize that a lot. And that strained the relationship he had with T personally, which you know as well as I do. If you have problems with somebody personally, you have a hard time really wanting to work with them professionally. Yeah. And they don't see eye to eye all the time. And even this, like, I'll say the biggest, I'll say the biggest mistake of that, that era of the chop shop where Devin Blaze was president of God was that he didn't win the title. Yeah. Because everything was primed and set up for him. He owned everything. The company was his. Like, there was no reason why he shouldn't have been able to power himself into that position. And much like a lot of other times in his career, when he got to that point, just cut off. No more. Stop. No reason. No reason at all. It just didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And that fuels everything that he does in wrestling. And I don't know if he'll admit that, but that fuels a lot of the things that he does in wrestling is because he was held down. Would you consider him in this in this particular time frame like the Joker to your Batman? One hundred percent. Yeah. One hundred percent. Because that's that's the vibe I got at Free for All. Yeah. It was just like Mike Montero is on this fucking now historic run as the Proving Ground champion. He's starting to kind of lean into different shit. He just had a banger with fucking Christian Casanova, mm-hmm. and here comes this face from the past to flick boogies at him, and then fucking. <laughs> I literally <laughs> said know, it. Like... I literally said it the day of, I, or the day it was announced. I was like. I'm coming to terms with the fact that this thing between you and I is never going to be over. Right. We're going to do this until we're dead. Like yeah. this, until one of us is not here anymore, we're going to be doing this and forever. We didn't touch on the story at all because we didn't have one. This wasn't really meant to be a story. It was meant to be like, a, you know, here's a nod mm-hmm. to back then. And also this guy's coming back. Exactly. This, and he's fucking jacked. That's what I wanted. Fuck, I didn't like, I know? wanted, like, I wanted it to be subtle. I wanted it to be like, oh shit, this is a, a skeleton from Montero's closet. But damn, look at that fucking skeleton. You know what I mean? Oh shit, what's going to happen here? You know? When he put you in the headlock and he was like, "Of course he's falling asleep. I'm fucking Jack." <laughs> he's nuts. You know? dude. He's nuts. <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's he's always been a lot of fun to me. Like that you time know? period, he forced me to defend the tag titles against him and Tommy Trainwreck with Jason Devine and the losing team. We got we got him to put on the the stipulation that the losing team would split up. Yeah. Because obviously nobody's going to pay to see only one team splits up. You want to see the controversy of what's going to happen. Could it be this one or could it be this one? Right. And nobody thought we were going to lose. Right. Nobody thought we were going to lose. It's hard for me sitting in the position that I'm in because, once again, I didn't I didn't live this. I didn't see it. It's all, you know, I'm, I'm listening to it mm-hmm. secondhand right now. It's hard for me. I would have, and I mean this in all due respect to Jeremy, I, unless you had said it, I'd have never believed it. Because you, to me, as far as I've ever known you, have always, to me, been like, I'm the top dog. And they're not your they're not your underlings. They're your equals. But if somebody said, who's the leader of the DCMC? Well, it's Mike Montero. I get what you're saying. You know what I mean? I've mm-hmm. never I've never looked at you as the... I've never looked... I'm not saying that they're not... You know, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm just saying it's just like when you say, Jason Devine was the leader of the group and I was a member and I was... I'm like... What? Yeah, I was his. I was what? his. For lack of a better term, I was his flunky. I was his lackey. That's I took his bumps. It's very interesting to me. Like, and I'm glad I get to hear this story because you know, does it change booking going forward? Well, probably not. But like, because we're creating a different narrative. But I like knowing the history so that if we ever wanted to touch right. it, there it is. I said the same thing about Irish Warrior because Irish Warrior had his last match like in 2019. Yes, and. I remember being at the practice night when him and Tom were figuring it out Mm -hmm. and it, it was looking good and the match itself executed. It was a little long, 
but it still looked good. And I remember being in the locker room with him going, that was a really good match. It's a really good last match. You should be proud of yourself. I'm sorry this audience doesn't know who you are. You know, because yeah. that's the harshest reality. Mm -hmm. It's just like, yeah, Irish warrior, or how about this? Irish warrior, Dante, um, a handful of people that came through. Like, I didn't get to see anything of Alex Corvus, really. Right. But it's just like, the audience that's here now ain't here for the old guard. Not anymore, exactly. So and it, there, it's been years since those guys were in prominence. So, like, yeah. the audience now, the audience now is people we have met fans we've managed to garner now plus who's left from that beyond era do you know what i mean yeah exactly. that's basically that's basically what our fan base is and that beyond era none of those guys were a part of it so to be to even look back at your diehard rwa fans of today like cory lanker he doesn't know who you know what I mean, and he he knows he knows who Irish everywhere. he knows who Irish Warrior is because he's everywhere in the chop shop. You know yeah. what I mean. And Irish Warrior did work other places in the chop shop, but he doesn't know that Irish Warrior went to number one in the Thanksgiving Throwdown and won. He doesn't know that Irish Warrior's been Thanksgiving Throwdown winner twice. Yeah. He doesn't know that Irish Warrior's won the Triple Crown Championship four times. You know what I mean? I know those things because I was there. We were but, there. You know what I mean? A lot of people don't realize that he was there. So that and that's the thing. And here's another here's another question. It's it's kind of deviating, but we're on subject here. Um Hansen. Yes. Now, as far as I was always concerned, my idea, my my thought of what the RWA was from a completely outside standpoint for a long time was the place that Jimmy Hansen wrestled at. That's all I knew. <laughs> that's so funny in it yeah when when you look at rwa in your opinion because mm -hmm. i'm sure you lived a lot of that when you look at the rwa i want to know how how was my opinion of my thought of that like wicked off like <sighs> where, where's the legacy of jimmy hansen and i know we're really in the weeds on no, this at man, this point this is a funny this is tough i don't i don't know like it's it's hard to say because was Jimmy was Jimmy ever the top top guy? One hundred percent. That's what I thought. One hundred percent. But see, Jimmy was a bigger badass and a bigger tough guy in his own mind than he really was. Okay. And when we first all met these these guys, T, Tom, Irish Warrior, they also were worked by Jimmy into thinking that he was this big tough badass. Mm -hmm. So he we met him already with this. He had this already persona of. I'm the badass here. I'm basically I'm RWA Stone Cold. He only won the championship one time in okay. the time that he was there. How long was the reign? Not very long. That's very interesting. To Dude, me. It's true. T Phoenix, founder of the company, been champion five times. Yeah. Hanson was the co-founder with him. He had that one run. And to me, like I think about it, he was never really like never really put himself in that position like I want to be the champion. But he was always going over. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was always winning. He was I don't always, need the belt, but he was still winning. He was winning always all beating the time. people that realistically you know damn well this guy couldn't beat. You know what I mean? <laughs> and like I know it sound it sounds crazy to say because like back then he was so feared and so respected by all these people, but me and my boys, we came from the hood. We could see right through his bullshit. We knew he was fronting, like from day one. So like when people to so that's why to me it's laughable when you say that. That's the place that Jimmy Hansen wrestled at because 
that's the place that Jimmy Hansen, Jimmy Hansen's the reason why a lot of us got negative press because he would hurt people and he was not good at wrestling. Mm. And that hot take, I'm saying it. That's just, I got a, I got an interesting story about Jimmy and it was the one professional connection I had with Jimmy. And as far as I know, we're cool. Dude, I don't have beef with him either. Like, I know. I, and this is gonna I, this is gonna sound like I do, but it's it's just a fact. He went he went out of his way to put on this tough guy persona, and it's funny because if you notice now, once everybody realized that he's not as tough as he wanted to lay on, we haven't seen Jimmy in years. Yeah, and I think I think if like I think if Jimmy or anybody we've really t- or anybody anybody's been talked about here uh, can be introspective about what's been said, they'll be able to see it. Right. You know, I've had conversations with people that I thought would never come around and they're like, no, I get it. I was a dick. Right. You know what I mean? So, Jimmy, back when PG was starting the first year, we had uh, it was going to be the eight person round robin. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, that was going to be our thing points, all this stuff, you know, all the complicated stuff that has failed in every promotion attempt that. (laughs) Yeah. That's not the G1. And uh, so we did this thing and the original eight was going to include um, Tommy Corbin. Yep. And it inevitably did. He inevitably won the first uh the first tournament. Right. However, Proving Ground officially started six months later than I had planned. It was supposed to start in like January of twenty sixteen. It ended up starting in April or something like that. Or I wanted to do it in November of twenty fifteen. Long story short, it started after three cancellations on a date. And it's because we wanted to start in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. That always sucks. Tommy at the time, and I'm sure I'll have him on the podcast to tell the whole story because I'm sure it's interesting. Uh, Tommy had experienced a potentially career-ending knee injury. So, like, he's getting scopes all the fucking time, draining fluid. Ugh. He ended up having to get surgery. He got surgery, like, a month before the debut of the show. Mm-hmm. And he was still like, I'm still going to make it. And then as time got closer, he's like, I don't know. Now, around this time, I had... Um, I was connected to MAW right. through Joey Warner because yep. he was working there. And um, Jimmy had just been coming back at this point. He was doing the Jimmy, I forget what it was, it was like Jimmy Hollywood or something like that. He wasn't Gaga. Dude, that he's was done else. so many failed gimmicks. The guy has changed his gimmick so many times. Jimmy Gaga is the only one that got over. I heard that. And then I've he stopped doing story. it. Um, But I talked to Jimmy and for years... Anybody who knew RWA and PZW, which was a very, very small mm-hmm. crew of people, but anybody who knew the both of us always said Derek Simonetti versus Jimmy Hansen would probably make sense because we had similar, like, mm-hmm. we'd beat the shit out of each right. other is what it you was. You guys were the brawlers of your companies. Yes. Right. And um, so when the opportunity came to work with him because he was coming back, I said, absolutely, fuck it, let's do this. So Tommy's on the verge of having to finish wrestling and also not be in this tournament. And I'm just like, okay. So I have it on paper. I have it in my official Proving Ground notebook that I had been keeping at the time. Right. Jimmy Hansen taking Tommy's place in the tournament. We are coming up on a taping. MAW happens two weeks beforehand. And Jimmy and Chad get into it. Nice. Now, Chad Chad was trying to offer uh, a criticism of some kind. To to Jimmy? Not to Jimmy. To somebody in the locker room. Okay. And I saw what the criticism was, and it was a fair one. It was like, stick tea times or some right. shit like that, right? Jimmy was like, who the fuck are you? You're not a wrestler. What are you talking about? Right? So there was heat there. 
And I talked to both of them about it. I got both sides of the stories. I actually wrote it in detail in that notebook <laughs> just so I would know. Right. And um, I talked to both of them. At the end of it, I said, Chad, are you willing to have a fucking sit down and talk with them in person and like shake hands and just fucking bury it? And he's like, absolutely. I went to Jimmy and I said, are you willing to sit down and shake hands and just bury it? And he's like, I'll never shake his hand. No. And I'm just like, okay, I don't want to use you. Right. I don't think I don't think now is the right time. And I said, and at the time I was, I don't like disappointing people. It's I hate it. It sucks. Mm-hmm. And I said, hopefully you and I can work together again down the road because I was still holding out hope that I'd get to work with them, for whatever reason. You know, right. it's just because somebody said it would be a good idea, and I'm like, let's go try it. And he was just like, I mean, honestly, brother, uh, no, because if you can't work with me now, you can't work with me at all. And I'm just like, that's a fair assessment. I understand completely. Have a good one. And then the next time I saw him, we were cordial. Yeah. Because I didn't motherfuck him, you know? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. It was just a situation. And then thankfully, by the time we actually officially started after the cancellations, Tommy came back and he did his best work. Right. And had his, essentially had his final moment in the sun. And he was there when we had our first live shows. Right. He actually retired at level two. And he told me on the car ride home. That that was his that last that was match. his last match. And I'm like, I'm driving an hour and a half through tears because of how much what he meant to me. Right. You know, because he was he was my brother, like him and Tom, him yeah. and Richie, and and fucking with the nineteen eighty six boys, because <laughs> we were all born. Like Richie was born five days after me. I call him little brother. He fucking hates it. <laughs> um, you know, it's all very interesting to be able to finally hear all this from, as my grandfather would put it, from the hands that prepared it. <laughs> it's crazy too because I don't I don't typically do this. Yeah, podcasts I've been on, it's not usually. You know, as raw as this, I guess that's the best way you could say it. That's what I came here for. That's what I was trying to do. Uh, <laughs> you know, I wanted I wanted to be able to have the kind of interviews with people that you really can't have anywhere else. Right. And to be perfectly honest with you, fuck, three and a half, four hours of just sitting here talking about the good old days, the bad old days. Didn't know I needed it as much as, as I did, you know? I literally, in the middle of this interview, I texted my therapist because I go to therapy every other week. I texted my therapist going, I'm good this week. Well, I'll see you in two weeks. <laughs> like, I think uh, as refreshing it was as it was for you, it was incredibly refreshing for me because it's like I get to know more about, you know, the, right. guy, the guy who I've trusted with my company. Right. You know, and it's not like I didn't know you, but it's like I like that that not only were you comfortable enough to do this here in front of cameras that I've told you to completely ignore. They're not, I've here. done my best. I've done my best. <laughs> That's why I made sure I didn't pull out the, the screen on this yeah, one. So you're I not constantly look, going, I would have been looking at my hair the whole my time. My hair. My hair. Yep. You got me like Ford failing my hair. Uh, I remember when I used to have hair like that. And I ain't cutting mine because until until it doesn't grow anymore, I'm going to hang on to it because that's what, I seem, that's what I seem to hear is when everyone has that, that moment yep. where they're like, oh, I'm cutting my hair. Mm-hmm. That's when it doesn't come back. So It's not that it doesn't come back. It's that it doesn't come back thick, yeah. lustrous. Yeah, I can't have that. I remember I all through high school, I had hair down to my ass. And looking back on it now, and it's like, no, bald's better. And, uh, <laughs> but I remember my girlfriend at the time made me cut it and then it grew out again a little bit, not as long. Uh, but I got the skater boy haircut, right? You know, the Madeiros. <laughs> uh, and I did that forever. And then, you know, I let it grow in and all that shit. And then one day, um, Adam Nessel convinced me to shave it. 
and I felt so, oh, I felt so terrible. I literally I went to a, a Titus comedy show with a bald head, and, nice. I, and I looked like a newborn baby. Chick. You were afraid he was going to call you out, huh? No. Well, we did, did a meet and greet afterwards that I didn't know was a thing, and I'm just like, I look at the picture, and I'm like, I look cold. <laughs> <laughs> I look like I don't have any head heat. And uh, back at a time where I was getting lots of heat, so I don't know why the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I remember, and then I remember one day I was just like, I'm going to try and grow it in again. And it grew in like baby hair, and I'm just like, nah, <laughs> we're done. Yeah, see, that's my the re- fear. The revolution's over, so keep it while you can. T made it work. Yeah, he did. I thought T with long hair didn't look right. Uh, I always, I, I liked know. him with the ponytail. I dig, I dig the long hair T, but T's one of those people. There's very few in this world who can pull off both. And the T's Kevin one of those, Owens, yeah. He's, he, he can pull them both. Yeah. I don't know how he does it, man. I tried. I, I got some old pictures I'll eventually post. This is actually my second time around because I did have long hair at one point and cut it all to... to Nothing. Was this the image days? Yes. And then I grew it back to become you had that, what you I had. You had that now. Matt Hardy laser blazer haircut or whatever. The, the ramp, fuck. as I like to call it. <laughs> this, like, <laughs> thing going on over here. Um, One thing I wanted to touch on, um, and I hope it's, I hope, it, you know, I, I would imagine if you're anything like me, that when you talk about or think about stuff like what I'm about to ask, it's kind of like a positive reminiscence, you know? Um, was it two years ago now when the Max did that show? The first one at the Chop Shop? Yes, it's been two years now. Um, and I was, they, you know, they asked me to lend out the cameras and I did, I had this whole thing with Monster Mac where I threatened to kill his entire family in front of him. Yep. Whoops. Uh, (laughs) we worked it out. I hear about it from time to time. We worked, I even told them, I said, invite me on your show. I can be like the weatherman who says, yeah, there's a 30% chance I'm going to kill your whole fucking family. (laughs) And we got, we got a laugh out of it. And he even, he even, he was cool about it. He's like, I wasn't, I wasn't really all that mad, but I was just like, dude, I am so sorry. I was, I was fucking, I was in a really bad way at the time. Um, and I was just angry about everything. So I, I'm pretty sure we worked it out. I asked, I asked him if they'd be part of the tag tournament. Yeah. Because I thought it'd be cool. Because they had their they had their last tag team match, or you know, at the time was their last tag team match at a PG taping, and I always I always took that like I I appreciated that, right? You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So um, so anyway, um, they did that show, and they asked me to hey, can you print out a couple of posters? You know, we're giving away, et cetera. I'm like, yeah, sure. Can you also print out a couple pictures of this guy? And I didn't know who it was. Because, you know, I, I just figured it was one of their backyard guys. And mm-hmm. that was my interpretation until about maybe a week ago. I was going looking. I was renaming pictures from the chop, from the original chop shop. And I was trying to find what fucking show it was or what who was in the match. In, it was like 2014. And that's when we were talking about, um, what the fuck was his name? I said he had a lot of potential. He looked like he had a lot of potential. Oh. <sighs> He, he came back as Spider-Man recently. Oh, Michael Santana. Michael Santana, yeah. So it was like Michael Santana, Mike Grassa, Trips. It was like a three- or a four-way match or a tag match or yep. something. I was trying to figure out what to name it, and eventually I just said, here are the guys in it, and just put it in the files, and I'll, right. never, I'll never look at it again. Um, but then I started seeing, you know, Kevin Strider or, right. you know, or whatever he was being called, and I remembered, I'm like, well, fuck, I thought he was, for whatever reason, without anybody giving me any information or smartening me up, I thought Kevin Strider was just a guy you did the backyard shit with, right? right? And um, and then I start seeing RWA matches with him. I was like, no, he was he was one of the boys during the, the period of time that mattered. And then, you know, because I was at the Mac show, and it was like, basically, it was a running tribute to him. 
And what really struck me was, I guess he had a signature. The dance. The dance. And the dance. you hopped in the ring and filled and did the dance. And I was just like, Mikey's all fucking jazzed up about this guy. One day I'll ask him about <laughs> it. Um, so uh, I'm assuming that Kevin has passed. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, I don't want to get into the sensitive stuff about like, you know, how and why, if, especially if it was something not cool, but, uh, I mean, dying's not cool, but you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, but it's, it seemed like he meant the world to you. And I feel like much like I said about the Irish warrior, it's too bad this audience doesn't know who he is. I feel like maybe the people, maybe PG fans watching won't know who he is. And I know how much I have tried to keep my friend David alive. He's been right. gone for 13, 14 years. I did an entire two-year storyline with the king who was gracious enough to help me continue this shit. Right. And it was my way of keeping him alive to an audience that never knew him, never got to step in the ring. So when I saw that and we were going to do the podcast, I said, I want to hear about this guy. Who is this guy to you? <laughs> Dude, he was so hilarious. He was so funny. He was a guy. He was the life of the party. He was so funny. Like, I, I, I can't stress it enough how funny he was. And, like, he'll be the first one to... Remember how we were, we were saying before, like, about how people wouldn't tell me what I need to be critiqued on? Yeah. That wasn't Strider. <laughs> <laughs> he will tell you straight out, oh, that was the shits. Oh, you should have switched that up. Nope. He Maybe you could have done this better. He and I'd already be like, reminds me of my friend. And I'd be like, <laughs> in the first 10 seconds of this match, I'd be like, are you going to like watch the match? Can He's like, bro, I'm not going to be here to tell you what you did that's good. I'm here to tell you what you did that sucks. I'm like, so the whole match sucks? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I got, somebody's got to be. But like, I'll always take, I'll take away from him just his laugh dude his laugh was so funny like just it, i don't know if i can do it justice but it was like a <laughs> and like it was just so great like he i would find something funnier because of the way he was laughing at it you know what yeah. i mean and when i didn't drive he was our he was our guy you know what i mean to all my shows i wouldn't have i wouldn't have gained the experience i had if he didn't drive us everywhere and he didn't just do the he didn't just do the the club justice dance because that's the deal is like is that what it was? Club justice was basically like too cool. Oh, too cool meets a night at the Roxbury. They were <laughs> they were two guys. They were two club hoppers who thought they were cool who just really couldn't get in. That's fucking great. It was awesome, and I just I loved I loved the gimmick. I just it was so funny, and those guys were there from the very beginning of RWA, like literally in T's backyard, and. Not only did he have that dance, but man, if you got him jazzed up, he could. <laughs> he had the, he had the uh, the Men in Black the the mu the music video. Yeah. You remember? Have you seen the music? The video? The first or the second one? The first one. Not Black Suits is coming. The, the first one. You remember okay. when the alien uns unzips and then does the whole dance number? Yeah. Dude, he had that thing. <laughs> All the time. I but. We would ask him to do it. When we asked him to do it, he'd be like, "No, man, no, 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 chill." And then, like, once it's like asking get, New Jack to dive. Once he got yeah. jazzed up enough, then you then you'd see it. Just bounce with me. Just bounce with me. Come on, <laughs> let me see you just slide. He had it, man. He was so funny. Like, and then I think about that, and like I think about how he loved to love to dance, love to be crazy like that. And then it's like, man, he loved karaoke too. Like, yeah, I remember we would go to like we would be at the VFW shows, and then it's over. Like, I have this distinct memory. Of Strider doing the Men in Black dance. I have that that burnt into my memory. I have 
us sitting there burning one down playing Soul Calibur together. You know what I yeah. mean? Like I have all that burnt into my brain. But like, man, just <laughs> him doing that, <laughs> the fucking dance. Like I just, the Men in Black. Like it, just all all like, it's hard. It's 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 hard to to go back and think about it because I took our friendship for granted mm. because he stayed where he was at at the time that I was moving up. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I didn't really appreciate how good of a friend he was. It was one of those cases. Kind of he was always there, but you didn't look at it like that at times. Yeah, and... exactly. He was he was always there. I always, and like, I it's, always felt it's that It's crazy because yeah. like, I, didn't, I didn't really think about like the person he was until he was gone. And like I think about the dance and stuff, but then like I think about how he loved the karaoke, and that's what I was trying to get to. I kind of got choked up, so I was forgetting what I was trying to say. But like then it's like he's sitting there, and he grabs the microphone, and he's doing Matchbox 20's uh, push. Yeah. And I can't hear that song and not think of him because that was his song, you know, like he had such a different side of him and just a side of him that he, I wish we were, I wish we weren't so wrapped up in our own shit because we could have, I don't, I don't mean, don't get me wrong. I don't mean that we could have saved the guy's life or that we could have made a difference because nobody knows if that's really true or not. You know what I mean? I just know we could have done better by him in the last couple of years of his life and we didn't. And that's something that I got to live with, you know. When and when did that happen? In 2016. We were all we were all at an RICW show, hanging out, having a good time, drinking beers, and it got put out that he was missing. And he had they had found him later that day at our middle school. And when he was missing, it was like okay, Strider's missing. Who got was he like notorious for this sort of thing, or there being wandering? He, he soul would have and shit? he would have outbursts emotionally because he lived through his 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 family was was they died in a fire. So his mo- his mother and his, his mother and his sister they they died in a fire. So he lived with that for a really long time. He 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 had one other sister that I'm pretty sure is one other sister, and she was she was a little older than him. And so when he would while out like this, we. You know, we expected it from him sometimes because he had he had a checkered past, and I didn't know, I didn't I didn't know him for as long as Craig, like Cruz did. Yeah. that was Cruz's best friend since they were kids. Like the things, the reason I know about his childhood is because Cruz told me all these things. So like these weren't things that we talked about. I just know he became legend through Cruz's right. stories. So, so like when when it all went down, we just it just didn't feel. Like it could be really a didn't, thing. It didn't feel real, like it could yeah. be really a thing. Oh, he just he just he just took a walk around the world. Yeah, and, he'll and be that's fine. it. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's going for a walk tonight. He'll be back, and he wasn't, and it, that opened my eyes, and that's why my attitude towards RICW and the way I treated those guys and the way I treated people who were quote unquote beneath me. Mm. Nobody's beneath anyone. Mm. Nobody's beneath anyone, and I was wrong, you know. And because I acted that way, mate. I know it's crazy. I I shouldn't even think that way, but if my friend knew he had somebody to go to, maybe things would be different. But we didn't give him that outlet. Yeah. I don't know, man. You know, you know, thinking hearing this story, it really sounds a lot like what happened to my buddy, you know. And I uh I actually spoke with him the night he died. Like we used to he moved to um he moved to Philadelphia with his family. So he was kind of tough to like. 
He was he was the little critical asshole. Right. And I say little because he was actually he was really short. I once watched that motherfucker walk up to a seven foot tall guy, point straight in the air, and say, "You give me your fucking lunch money." <laughs> And then when the guy went, what? He just went, bitch, and just walked away. You know, Because <laughs> that was the kind of guy he was. Yeah. He was fucking hilarious. And he'd be the first person to tell you, your entrance sucked, by the way. Yeah. And I'm like, that's just the entrance. <laughs> we haven't even gotten to the work. You know, um, so when you said that about Kevin, I was like, ah, fuck, you know, shit. My, my buddy was like that, too. But uh, the, night, the night that David decided to go, we were just in the middle of having a conversation. And... At the time, I would just walk away from the computer. I'd never say goodnight, never say right. goodbye, shit like that. I have his last words. I don't remember what they were. Shit like that haunts me. Right. But it's just like, I spent years and years thinking, you know, how many more hugs or I love yous could I have given them to keep them here? And it's hard, you know, and I've been in therapy the last several years of my life, and I've gone through all of this. Because therapy, Raven said it best. I think he said, uh, "If more wrestlers went to therapy, there'd be far few less dead wrestlers." Right. And you know, when his family was like, you know, he kept a folder on his computer with your name on it, and it's all the stuff that you would send him from the rest. Because I was just finally starting to get into finally doing cool shit. Right. And and then just like that, he was gone. And I fought forever with myself about I could have done something. And the truth is, no, no. you're right. You're you, right. You couldn't have. The only thing that it does is if, if, if fuels your guilt, that's what it you're, does. And it's survivor's guilt. Especially in yeah. this situation. Like, I guess, I don't know, in a way it sucks because you were, you saw the last conversation you had with them and at least you, you guys were on speaking terms. Yeah. I, the last conversation I have with Justin is him asking me for a ride to a show and me brushing him off and telling him to ask the driver. That's the last conversation we had. And that's probably the one thing you think about. Every day. I know all about that. Man. Every day. But you need to know, man. I'm, I'm only assuming, because we're not saying it. If it happened the way that I think it did. Yeah. It was going to happen. It wasn't you? I know. It wasn't, I know. It wasn't Craig. It wasn't anybody. It was... He'd, I know. He'd lived, he sounds like he went through a lot of shit. I think the thing that made me want to bring this up is the fact that I saw how happy you guys all were in that moment, dancing like fools. It takes me back, man. It just takes you me know? back to being in Cruz's living room, full-on wrestling matches. <laughs> <laughs> drunk as drunk as hell, <laughs> drunk as hell, man. Strider, Cruz, Tommy Trainwreck, Devin Blaze, my roommate now, Paul Sands, Seanson, hilarious. Just all of us together. That was the group, and his partner, uh, Zach Justice, Brian. Yeah. He was that was that was our car car load for man two years straight. We drove everywhere together. Yeah. And that was our crew. It's it, it's crazy. It's it's crazy. Yeah. That's. I remember uh, I broke up at level two when I was talking about it, and I said he never, ever got a chance to stand in a ring, you know, and that, that always broke my heart. I was meaning to, before the world went crazy, and T had been um, starting to, you know, theme the shows and change the names. I was, I didn't know, I hadn't brought it up yet, because I wasn't sure 
how how it was going to bring down the demeanor of the show or anything like that but i had planned on suggesting doing like a, a show for kevin strider like annually instead of a night at the roxbury like a night at club justice or some Something shit like, like that, that. Yeah. you know what i mean that I, I mean once you said that i was like that's fucking hilarious yeah, <laughs> yeah man their their gimmick was so great it was like I think about that all the time. Not the best wrestlers in the world, man, but man, did they love what they were doing? And like that's, he loved everything that he was doing. And like it was just, I I see I see his face, I see his smile and his laugh, all the time. It never goes away. Yeah. I say this about, you know, what happened with my friend Dave and everything. I I and I've said this. It's it's one of those things that comforts me. And I said, uh, there's something about the weird feeling that you get when you stop and realize that even though he'd moved away, you know, and I wasn't seeing him anyway from like 02 to 06, which yeah. is when he died. Um, even though I wasn't seeing him anyway, I knew that he was somewhere on the planet causing trouble for someone. Right. You know, like, and it was weird the day after where it was just like, that's not happening anymore. It's It's weird. Yeah. You know, it is weird. It's crazy, especially like with this business, because I, I, I don't get along too well with my family, yeah. really any of them. My, my mom, I have three sisters and a brother, Yeah, but I only speak to one of my sisters cause we were raised together. Yeah. Um, I speak to my mom. I can... What's your mom's first name? Lisa. Okay. Yes. I'm trying to figure out which one bought your toy. That would that would be her. Okay. She was all excited. She <laughs> sent me a message and everything. I bought your I bought your figure. I bought your figure. I was like, that's awesome. You and know? it wasn't fifty dollars this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, it's pretty much those two. Like I don't interact with any of my other family, mostly because they're bad. They're not good people. So not a good influence to you, or just both. Not good people not a good influence to me and not a good influence to where I want to continue to be. And my, my relationships with the people that I've shared the ring with and shared the road with, that's my family, you know, and it's never been more real. So I never, you get your grandparents and your, your old, the old people in your family, they die and stuff like that, but your brothers don't just die. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's different. It's a different kind of it's a different kind of relationship. You you're born into a world where it's like if you're lucky, you have at least one set of grandparents. I only had one. Right. My my dad's parents were gone before I came. And those were my those were my grandparents and I loved them and I see my grandmother, you know, every week, a bunch of times a week and then then there's your parents. And they're a different kind of love. Right. They're the ones that got to be there and nurture exactly. you. Exactly. And then they're your brothers. And your sisters. And in my case, I was an only child, but I grew up and I, I got my own brothers and sisters. Exactly. I went and found them myself. And it is different. Like, I lost my dad. It killed me. Yeah. But I, I didn't have the same kind of pain when I lost David. Right. You know, or, or Mike Zarba or, you know, those guys. Like, the people there, it's just like, these are my selected family. Yeah, losing my dad was the worst pain I ever had in my life, but it just hit different. Right. You know, yeah. it's, it's a completely different kind of pain. It is like we, we bonded it in a different way. These people actually understood me. Like, it's weird to say that you have family who doesn't even know who you are. You know what I mean? So yeah. to be with those people all the time who do 
and then somebody who had a significant impact on your life that in a way you took for granted it it affects you it does it's something that no no speech no positivity nothing in the world can change the way that i feel no nope. i uh i'll say this and you know a lot of people take this the wrong way and i'm not even saying it to you i'm, I'm basically saying it generally um i really wish there were more people um, especially our brothers and sisters, you know, in the business. Right. That would hear a phrase like, maybe you should consider therapy and then not flip out. Right. Because that happens all the time. I don't know how many times I've suggested it to the boys. Some people just flat out tell me to <laughs> not to fuck myself, but like <laughs> the idea is just like, I don't need that shit. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you, you mean. You know, but it's just like, I think, but I think even shit like this, like what we're doing right now, we're just talking about yeah. it. Yeah. We're just talking about it, you know, and it doesn't make the pain go away, but sometimes just talking about it makes it feel better. Yeah. Just a little. I always, uh, there are some, I'm not going to tell the joke on this, but like there are some terrible jokes that I have told since my buddy has passed where he was such a little tough guy, asshole, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and there's, you know, yeah, fuck it. I've said this. We've, I've gotten a laugh with people about it. The nice way I put it is the day Dave decided to go. And that was on the 9th of November. He didn't pass until the 11th. And there's something in my brain that immediately came up with this stupid joke, which was something about that would make him proud <laughs> that not even he could kill himself that quickly. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, but like he was such a tough guy. He's like, I couldn't even do it. You know, like, yeah. but that's who he was. And it's really morbid and disgusting if you're an outsider, but like to his friends and be like, yeah, yeah I get what you mean. That's pretty funny. I get what you mean. Um, but it's, it's what, it's what I've had to do to get through it no i understand you know i didn't realize it was so fresh you know i didn't realize it was only you know what the fuck five years ago now yeah now it feels like it was now it feels like a different life yeah well you've you've lived an you've lived an extraordinary life the last five years it's been a wild ride it really has do you feel better about it now i mean like your life in general yeah, I do. I'm I'm happy with where I'm at. I'm happy with who I am as a human being. I You're making your own family, you know, in, yeah, in a matter of speaking. Exactly. I don't I don't know. I I live with cert I live with certain what ifs, but the what ifs that I live with aren't enough to make me want to change what I'm doing. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's kind of an it's a nagging noise in the back of your head. Yeah. It's not a fucking pounding headache. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's I'm I'm thankful for where I am. I'm thankful that I have such a good woman. That's 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 the God's honest it's, truth. It's very important. She changed, she helped me so much find my way and find my way to you guys because I was so far up my own ass when I met Sarah that I didn't want to work for anybody who wasn't beyond wrestling or limitless wrestling or you had had a taste of what you'd considered the big time and you're like nothing else will do. And she explained it to me so smart. She was like it's pretty simple too. She was like, "Well, you don't work anywhere if you're not working for them and you're not working for these places. You want to make money, but you're not making any money at all. And I was like, wow. I don't know why I never thought of it that way because it's... She told you. She basically told you all or nothing ain't the way to go. Exactly. Like, you you got to... Re- she was the one... She's responsible for my, for my singles resurgence because yeah. she was the one who made me realize that I needed to start over. Yeah. That there was no dancing around it. 
I, I, I wasn't going to just, I was a tag team guy and now put, push me because I was a tag team guy. I have to start over. And every time I see Mike Pavo, I'm like, there's this young guy I think you should work with, and then Mike Montero. <laughs> Meanwhile, I sat through the entire year-long thing. Right. I'm like, there's this young guy I think you'd work well with him. I'm just and saying. I, and I loved every second of it. I really did. That was some of the be- most fun I've ever had. That final fucking match, the hit the buzzer, change the stipulation it match. It was everything I wanted it to be and more. Wasn't, was, was it an evening gown match that it popped the up? The panties. And you both just went. Fuck that. We were like yeah. fight, fighting over the, the bell. Yeah, it was good stuff. And then you guys both decided like, all right, treaty for one second. Yeah, Ding, yeah let's know? make sure we get this one out of the way. Right. <laughs> so I, that was always funny. Uh, we've been talking a long time. And, uh, you know, I alluded to this a long time ago in this yeah, conversation. Right. So I figured it'd probably be a good way to close it out. Um, you told me a while ago or a long time ago or whatever the fuck. Uh the story of how you came into what would become your wrestling life. Right. And I just remember you telling me this story and it just made me laugh. So tell me this story. You're a kid growing up in the projects. Setting the setting the tale here. You're a kid growing up in the projects. You're backyard wrestling. Because it's the safest thing to do. Right. It's either a backyard wrestler, sell drugs, and go to jail. Or fight for your life. It's one of those yeah. two, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just one day, and I, why am I telling it? This is your story. <laughs> well, you, you seem like you had it going. I, one day, so we're, <laughs> <laughs> so we're independent backyard wrestlers at this point. We're traveling to other people's companies. That's how I met T Phoenix. He's backyard wrestling in a sandlot. We're MySpace messaging, yep. making connects that way. Kind of like, um, what's his face? One of the stepdads. He was in charge of like the, the Global Backyard Wrestling Network. Oh, wow. I didn't even know. Um, that. That's crazy. Not the big one. Yeah, yeah I know. I know, you know what I mean. The, the, yeah. the shorter one. Yeah. So from that, we were we were doing what we called training. <laughs> so we're at, we're basically, we're at a public park practicing our crazy bumps that we're going to give to each other at this pay-per-view that we're gonna do yeah we viewed it on paper yeah and uh, <laughs> and i think it'll work out so <laughs> so we're about to do one of my buddies is about to take a vertebraker on oh the ground my god as chris cruz is driving by <laughs> and he like now chris cruz you don't know him at all never seen the guy before in my life just a guy driving by in a car stops <laughs> yo what the hell are you doing you could hurt that kid stop that <laughs> Like all like frantic, like and, any parent would do. And Tommy Trainwreck is like, "Well, fuck you, buddy. What the hell do you know? <laughs> like, leave us alone." Like he thought this like older man was like harassing us, and then like he gets out of the car and he comes walking over and he's like, "No, I'm actually trained. I'm actually a trained professional wrestler. What you guys are doing is gonna get yourselves killed." And then after he stops and he's all hot, he's like, "Get in my car. Come with me right now." Just like that, all like, all like abrupt, and we're all like. And then you did what? Whoa, he's a wrestler? This guy could have been a fucking kidnapper. He could have been he could have been a murderer. You name it. But he had the keys to the promised land. He said he trains in a ring. <laughs> like, I was like, what? Like, what kind of sexual assault am I, I like, con- what? <laughs> okay, we're going. We jumped right in his car and we went right over to the forge. So let's pause for a second. Uh, <laughs> let's pause for one second here and just... Let's give the let's give the the cliff notes on this story. So me and my buddies were backyard wrestling in the ring. Some stranger danger rolls up in his rolls up in a car and goes, "You guys are fucking idiots. Get the fuck in my car." And you guys 
go. Okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> literally what happened. Like, I'll take a little bit of what could possibly happen I if we can get the keys. We got there, and Brickhouse was running a class, and I think Kellen was there, and Anthony Stone was there. We were running the forge at, at around that time. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, for sure. And I just remember being like, whoa, this is it. And then, like, he made us gather the rest of our backyard friends, and we went to this project. It's not it's not in Fall River anymore. They knocked it down. But it was we had two projects that we generally wrestled out of. And yeah. when we would get kicked out of the other one, we would go to – that was Next the week's show is at the other one. Right. So yeah. we were at the other one just in the field, and Cruz gave us this big speech about how he basically had blackballed himself at that time period and – wasn't getting work anymore, and he was ready to quit wrestling. At this time... And what year was this? This is 2007. So this is 2007. He's like, I've blackballed myself. Meanwhile, like, he has become, in in my in my opinion, one of the most criminally underrated so fucking good. wrestlers. He's so good. I and owe everything to did him. Did he... I, I think you mentioned the last time we spoke about it, he finished up. I don't know. As far as he know? As far it, as we know? He... he maybe. I hope maybe. not. I don't... I don't... I don't know. I can never... I can never... Say for sure with Cruz, he's he's a wild card. But well, he's always welcome in my house. So, but um, shit. So, so yeah, you guys get in the car, right? But, uh, oh, the the thing in the field, the black ball. He gave us this big speech, like guys, I I've lost my passion for wrestling. I don't really care about this anymore. I haven't in a long time. I kind of just been floating through this. But then you guys showed up, and you guys made me feel alive. You guys made me remember why i love this again young guys that want to work yeah i the stuff that i've learned i paid a lot of money to learn but i know you guys want this so i'm going to teach it to you for free and we started lockups hammer locks Basically, wrist locks yeah. waist locks all that stuff in a big ass field in the grass eight guys four of them stood as corner posts you worked <laughs> that's good you worked the center that's we took bumps on the ground. Yep. Come running in to cruise. You're going to take four different strikes. You're going to bump them all. And then we would go to practice and do all this stuff in a ring. And you're like, this is better than the ground. No, it wasn't because no, wasn't. I was backyard wrestling forever. So I wasn't used to landing flat on a cold ass canvas. You know what I mean? Yeah. So and you I were was used bones, to protecting man, yourself at the time. Learning yeah. how to actually bump as opposed to falling down on the ground and then be- making the transition. It was terrible. I hated it so much. But, um, from there, it would be once we were doing the RWA shows because we had already been hooked up with T before we met Cruz. Yep. So once T and this decided, was RWA was in the backyard. Once T decided to buy his ring, we would get to T's house at ten o'clock in the morning for a show that say was going to start at three o'clock in the afternoon. Just to set up, we'd be bumping, practicing, training for five four hours every weekend that we went to T's house. That was our we trained before we officially trained because that's the thing. Cruz didn't want us to go train with Brickhouse because he didn't want us to make him look bad. So we had to. So we went to RWA's. We went to work RWA shows to gain live experience. But for the first four hours that we were there, we were okay. You get in the ring. You're learning how to take this move. You're learning how to give this move back and forth. And we learned all the basics from Cruz, all that stuff. But what we learned most from Cruz was after he showed us all that stuff. Then we would sit down and we watch like some old school ROH, which is where I discovered Asriel. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. And he would be like, Divine, you should you should watch more of this guy or you should pay attention to this guy. And he showed us, even though we were all training the same, he showed us all how to be different. That's why you can take yeah. you we all train together. Cruz, Devin Blaze, Tommy Trainwreck, myself, Jason Divine, Ricky Medeiros, but we're all different. Yeah. No, you definitely we're are. We're all different. You all bring something different you to the table. You know what I mean? 
And we didn't have that. That's one That's one thing. There's some schools where you get guys who train under one person and they think only one way. So they move all the same. They look all the same. They do all the same stuff. And they're just carbon copies of the guy that they trained with. Chris Cruz showed us how to be individuals. Yeah. That's the biggest thing I'll take from him is, yeah, he showed me a lot. And he showed me the fundamentals, but he showed me how to be me. Yeah. He was the one who gave me the name, The Ace. And that's a that's a that's a big thing, you know. Like I, you know, like I didn't really understand what the idea of the ace was until I started getting more into the Japanese stuff. Right. And then you got like Tanahashi. And you got to remember, this is Cruz telling me this in 2008. Yeah. You're my ace. You're the ace. You're the ace of my of my of my students. You're you're, you're the guy that I see. The you're most my potential you're my number in. one exactly. That's yeah. all I ever wanted was to get my cruise points. That's what we worked for. Our cruise points. There's nothing worse, man, than going to, <laughs> going to hit a move on somebody that you're learning for the first time and you're botching it, and Cruz just goes, get out of my ring. All, dis- <laughs> all disgusted, and now you're waiting on the outside, like, can't wait to show to show him up, and the next thing, like, fucking get it right oh, I'm going to get time. it right this time because he just shit on me and took away my Cruz points. <laughs> man. Yeah, I know um, we had a couple people like that, too. So and he I doesn't get that. nearly enough credit that he deserves because, like, no. not just for us, but he takes random, the randomest of random people, and he finds a way to help them play to their strengths and become better. Nick Marchand found his way because of Chris Cruz. Mike Grasso found his way because of Chris Cruz. You know what I and mean? Those guys are fantastic. And they found, the, the you ring. know what I mean? And before, before when they, were, th- those two came together too. Mike Grasso and Nick Marchand came from their own backyard thing together. I think them and Jack Connor were all together. And, mm. Once they started training with Cruz and him showing them more of the basic, like more than the basics, and just showing them how to branch out besides the normal realm of a basic match, that's when those guys were off to the races and figured it out. But he does that for everybody, and that's the thing. People don't even realize it. For years upon years, Cruz has just opened those doors for people, and he lo- he's a natural-born teacher. He, 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 just, he knows how to teach the stuff. Like I, I learned so much from him, and even to this day, man, I love I – love, I don't love wrestling him for the physical aspect of it because the dude is every it's so physically exhausting to wrestle him because he throws everything at you. It's yeah. it but what I learn from it, what I take from each time I wrestle him, when I when he shoots on me and does something completely random that I think, oh, he's dumb, he's botching, or he's doing something <laughs> stupid, why is he doing this? On the fly, he had a reason for it, and it makes sense. He's one. Right. Of, he's one of the best wrestlers. In the moment, I thought this in was the moment, right. dude. Like he's yeah. one of the best on the fly guys that the, like that that I know of in this area. Like I work. I worked him at a festival show where we only planned an end. Yeah. And I just listened. Yeah. And man, this place was going fucking crazy just for the stuff that he was thinking of while we were out there. You know what I mean? He's such a good worker, and he doesn't get nearly half the credit that he deserves. Yeah. And the thing is, is like we had him in PG a handful of times. I didn't realize how often we did actually. Right. We had him in a bunch, and it was always I always you know I always felt bad because we didn't really have like a like a story for him or anything like yep. that. But he's like, I don't give a shit about that. I'm just gonna go out and have a good match. And I'd always put That's him. That's all against, he cares about. I don't. I'd always put him against someone I knew he, that I'm like I don't. I want to see it. And it was always a running gag with him and I, where it would be like before the match. I'd be like, okay, it's going to be uh, Chris Cruz and Ricky Medeiros. you got six to eight minutes. And I'd look at Cruz and be like, you know what I want? Yeah, exactly. I want the butterfly pile driver. No, no you know what qu- I want. No questions asked. Man, I, if there's one thing, like, 
I can take from my experience with Cruz and the time that I've known him is that I've learned I've learned a ridiculous amount from him and he's so helpful to so many people. But bucket list wise, man, I I won tag team gold with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stack deck, yeah. And we main evented the and headlined the chop shop for the championship and his first championship he took from me. You know what I mean? That's yeah. If anything, <laughs> I can I can hang my hat on that. You know what I mean? Those are two moments that I'll take with me forever. He brought you into this world. You gave him his moment, and I gave him his moment. Yeah, that's that's. I think that's I think that's a good place to stop. Yeah, uh, I think something so. Super positive. Um, you know, hopefully we get to see more of him. In yeah, the future. I hope so too. So um, so yeah. Uh, thank you, Mike no, Montero. It was a blast. For fucking, I had fun for all these hours. Just for shooting, coming down, shooting the breeze, shooting the shit. I have no idea if this is going to be a one piece or a two. piece. <laughs> I don't know. It might, we might have to split it up. It is. There's, there's a lot of talking. Uh, but uh, thank you very much for a being here, b being as open as you have, and c being the guy that I hang my hat on. For this promotion, I'm trying to get off the ground. You've not disappointed me, and I don't expect you well, to. Well, that means a lot to me. And so. thank you for trusting in me to be in that position. And honestly, I didn't know I was going to be like this. I didn't know I was going to be, because like I said, feelings, things like that. I can't express feeling unless it's emotion from a match or unless it's emotion from the stories that we're telling. Yeah. That's when I feel emotion the most. In real life, it's very hard to express my emotions and express what I feel and what I've dealt with in my life. And I got to say, today was easy. It felt like it. Today was easy. Just two guys shooting the shit. Thanks for checking it out, everybody. Thanks, guys.